0: Support for this podcast comes from Smart Water. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smart Water Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smart Water Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com.
1: It's the
0: Mixed
2: Martial Arts Hour with... The Mixed Martial Arts Hour back in your life on this Monday, January 20th, 2014. Hello again, everyone. I'm Ariel Hawani inside our New York City studio. If you're off today due to Martin Luther King Jr. Day, thank you so much for joining us. And if you're anywhere across this great world of ours, thank you so much for checking in with us on another Monday here in New York City. We're joined in the back, as always, by New York Rick. Buzzkill Brendan in the house, not taking the day off. How about that? we got Will there, Alfred's there, everyone's here today, and it's pretty much just us in here. No one else is in the uh, the office slash studio, so it's very nice. It's our little show that we're running, and uh, happy to be here after a weekend where it was uh, relatively quiet as far as MMA news is concerned, but uh, World Series of Fighting held an event they crowned their first ever lightweight champion, Justin Gaethje, looking very promising. Once again, uh, a dominating performance, Jessica Aguilar, their new strawweight champion, Anthony Johnson, Winning in his final uh, fight, at least for now, in W's, uh, WSOF WC. How about that? Um, he has uh, no more fights left on that contract, so we'll see where he ends up. And uh, we may get an update on that later on in the show. I'm excited about this show. There's a lot going on today, so let's get right into it. Uh, we have a jam-packed show at around, uh, I don't know, four or so. We're going to take your questions and comments. By now, you know the drill. Hit us up using the hashtag The MMA Hour. Leave a question on the website we're giving out another box of uh, the tops cards and hopefully this time the person saying who they are is really actually that person if you recall last week we ended the show with the catfish mystery involving a young lady named jessica jung and then like five minutes later we found out that it was some guy named robert probably in his underwear in his basement but anyway we gave him the prize just for the hell of it uh, anyhow, we've got some more prizes to give out, so uh, hit us up using the hashtag The on Twitter. At around 325 in studio, we'll be joined by Henner Gracie and his fiance, Eve Torres, the former WWE diva. They'll be in studio, uh, and that's going to be great. I'm looking forward to that. Someone is drilling, and uh, my entire desk is shaking right now. That is a, a wonderful sound. Um, at around three oh five, Glenn Robinson, the uh, the CEO of Authentic Sports Management, aka the Black Zillions, he'll be stopping by to talk about their their resurrection as a team. Uh, Eric can we ask Buzzkill. T- yeah, okay. <laughs> That's, uh, that's an awesome sound. I hope you guys can hear it. Uh, at around uh, 2.45, Uriah Faber will stop by to talk about his uh, UFC 169 title fight against Hannon Barrow. 2.25, Travis Brown, he'll talk about his UFC on Fox 11 fight against Fabricio Werdum. Is that the main event? We shall see. 2.05, Cole Miller will talk about his big win on Wednesday at UFN 35 against uh, Sam Sicilian, then calling out clown boy Cerrone. Looking forward to having him back on uh, the show. Khabib Nurmagomedov at 145, joining us from Dagestan, Russia. Looking forward to that. Is everyone afraid to fight this guy? We'll find out. 125, we'll talk to Chris, the crippler, Lieben. What is next for him in his fighting career? Hopefully, we find out today. But first, let us go to the Skype machine and welcome in our first guest of the day. He is uh, one of the leading voices in mixed martial arts and uh, boxing, of course. He has been doing this for a very long time, one of the pioneers of MMA Journalism. He is the one and only Kevin Ioli, joining us from Las Vegas. Kevin, how are you?
3: I'm great, Ariel. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing great. And uh, you, of course, are joining us from the uh, fight capital of the world. But I, I-, I want to challenge you for that title. I think that uh, Montreal is the new fight capital of the world with that great attendance they had on Saturday and the, uh, the HBO boxing event, all the great attendance they have for UFC events. It's time to give up the title. What do you think?
3: Montreal is getting there. But I think the problem is, while you get the biggest MMA events that would go to Montreal, you don't get the absolute biggest boxing event. So Las Vegas gets both. So I think Las Vegas holds on to the title, although Montreal is definitely closing ground.
2: Okay, I'm giving you a new title, best Skype connection that we've ever had in this show's history. This is unbelievable. What are you using over there? It looks like I'm actually sitting next to you in the studio.
3: I've got uh, Cox, believe it or not, and I've got 100 megabit uh, connection, so, you know, uh, it should be pretty good.
2: It's unbelievable. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Wanted to have you on the the show for a very long time. A lot going on in the world of MMA. Let us start with Montreal's own George St-Pierre. Uh, last week, he, uh, he caused a, a lot of ruckus in the world of MMA with some comments that he made about why he decided to leave the UFC right now, calling the UFC a monopoly, saying guys are afraid to speak up, saying that he was enormously disappointed that the UFC didn't stand by him as he was trying to get Johnny Hendricks to do the Vata testing prior to UFC 167. What did you make of his comments? Do you think that it's, you know, a little too late for him? I mean, you walk away and then you say this stuff? Or because he's GSP, because he hadn't really abused his power in the past, it still held a lot of weight?
3: Yeah, you know, Ariel, it really kind of bothered me that George waited until he was done. The week that he fought Johnny Hendricks on that Monday, I was up in his uh, suite with him, Uh, had a five o'clock interview that day. And George came out on time for the interview, then all of a sudden he got pulled away just as we were starting with the drug testing. So, you know, he didn't know when he's going to be tested. So when he came back, we started to talk about the drug testing and I asked him if there was a problem and he just, he just would not go there. He refused to really address it. You know, he said, Hey, I'm trying to do my part, but he would not address the the issue at large. And to me, that's when he had the bully pulpit, everybody in the world, you know, he had the big stage and, you know, right now he doesn't have that. So, you know, it doesn't mean his comments, uh, you know, aren't, founded but it certainly you know i'm disappointed in the fact that he waited until after and then there's evidence that would indicate he's incorrect that the ufc in fact did support
2: so is it possible that he didn't want to talk about it beforehand because he didn't want to create some kind of distraction leading up to the fight and now that he's free of any obligations he feels like he can talk about it
3: yeah you know i don't like to put words in somebody else's mouth i mean i suppose that's probably what it was you know that's that's the the best i can think of ariel um but he knew the facts as they worked out. You know, like I talked to Lorenzo Fertita multiple times about this. I talked to Mike Mersch and Lawrence Epstein, who were also uh, ZUFA executives. Um, George's side is not so forthcoming to be willing to talk about it. I'm still trying to reach Rodolf uh, to get his version. But um, I talked to Francisco Aguilar, who was the chairman of the Nevada Athletic Commission. He, and he unquestionably... Unquestionably sided with the UFC on this mm. and said that they were willing to do any amount of testing that they supported 100% the testing. And they said, we will pay for anybody to be tested as often as you want randomly, not randomly, whatever you guys want to do that would undermine George's position quite a bit. Um, and George went from being interested in being tested by a wada approved lab out of salt Lake city, Uh, And the results going to the Nevada Athletic Commission to then doing the testing with VADA. Uh, And VADA has been in the middle of a lot of controversy for whatever reason on some of these things. But, You know, I think that uh, George lost a lot of heat for whatever reason, a lot of his power by waiting until after he left the UFC to make these comments.
2: What's your take on Vada and guys trying to set this up on their own? Because I think that's what was bothering UFC president Dana White. He was saying that Johnny and George were kind of looking silly going back and forth here when they could just defer to the Nevada Athletic Commission and and do it through them. What's your take? And I know this happens a lot in boxing as well. So curious as to what you think about Vada and how guys use it right now.
3: And let me explain, too, a little bit of the difference, too, so people who sure. don't understand. Because, you know, Johnny Hendricks, all throughout that fight, talked about, yeah, you know, I want to do wada testing. That's the best, not VADA. And, and so he had it wrong. He didn't even understand it. But, you know, I, I think VADA is a, is a fine company, I and I think their intentions are honorable. It's run by Dr. Margaret Goodman, who used to be the head of the medical advisory board uh, on the Nevada Athletic Commission, and she certainly has the right idea. She wants to get rid of, uh, p- Performance-enhancing drugs in sports, as we all do. So, you know, she's given the athletes a stage. But let me first explain what it is. VADA, it's not like there's WADA testing and Nevada Commission testing and WADA testing. It's you follow WADA protocols, the World Anti-Doping Agency, and whatever lab collects it. So, the, there's a lab in Salt Lake City, as an example, that is certified by WADA, meaning that they follow the procedures that the World Anti-Doping Association puts out so that now when, when there's competitions, if you follow those, you're, you're following the exact testing that goes on in the Olympics. VADA follows that testing. The Nevada Athletic Commission, their testing isn't, wasn't as rigorous, but now when they farm it out to this Salt Lake lab and they say work, they call it enhanced testing, when they're doing that, that is doing VADA testing, that is doing VADA testing, whatever you want to call it. The entity doing the testing is not VADA. It's not Dr. Margaret Goodman. It is not VADA. It's a lab in Salt Lake or a lab in UCLA or a lab in Montreal, wherever the athlete happens to be but the, the testing collection is being done under certified rules by a, a certified testing collection agency, and then the the, the uh, doping is being tested by a WADA-certified lab. So that's a big difference that I don't think a lot of people understand.
2: Do you have any kind of hypothesis as to why this is such a big deal for GSP now? Because let's be honest, I mean, for, for the last few years, starting with BJ Penn— a lot of people had accused him of taking some kind of PED, yes. and he, you know, he kind of dodged those bullets left and right. And now it's such a big deal. Why now?
3: Well, I think you know, I think he felt bad about it, but I think a lot of it is born out of ignorance of what the testing is. Um, I think he was getting a lot of heat uh, throughout his career, and I think you know, as he knew, hey, my career is coming down the line. I don't want my career to be tarnished. And who does, right? You know, Barry Bond certainly doesn't want that. I mean, he, his career has been tarnished, but he doesn't want that. You know, none of these guys do. So I, I think, you know, honorable intentions on George's part, hey, I want to try to do my part. You know, he believes he didn't cheat. You know, we can't prove that he cheated. You know, a lot of people look at his body and they say, oh, there's something unnatural there. And you know that most people don't have that type of body. But, you know, George might be one of the ones that, that does. And so I'm not going to accuse George of anything. You know, he only he knows. And the fact is he was willing to undergo the testing through this camp and he did undergo the testing and he passed all the tests. Hmm. So, you know, credit to him, you know, he passed all the tests and, and he, he had the same body. He didn't look any different. You know, I remember one prominent boxer, I don't want to mention his name, but you know, he was involved in a uh, in a uh, controversy in terms of uh, PEDs. This was about ten years ago, uh, and then you know he was upset and he was there was allegations going on. Then he came back and he fought a fight right after, that and his body looked totally different. Mm. That's not the case with George. George looked exactly like he always looked at UFC 167. So, you know, I I will take George word and say he didn't do it. I think all he's trying to do is protect his legacy. He knew he was near the end of his career, and I think he was trying to say, hey, you know what? I deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. I did all these great things, and I did it on my own with nobody's help. Do you think
2: this is about the UFC and their stance on drug testing, as he said uh, a few days ago, or is it simply about, Him getting his feelings hurt over the fact that Dana White called him and Johnny Hendricks stupid and that he didn't stand by him and all that stuff. Because even leading up to the fight, he spoke to La Presse in Montreal and said that he was hurt by that. So I feel, and Dana said that, you know, after the fact on Wednesday on Fox Sports 1, he said that he was hurt, GSP was hurt because of what he said at the press conference. I think it has more to do about what Dana said in September, October leading up to the fight. What do you think?
3: I I think there's a little bit to that. You know, hey, I think, you know, George was a little bit miffed that that Dana's saying that, but why not speak out? Hmm. Here's what I think ultimately becomes the problem in a nutshell is not Lorenzo, but Dana's comment. You know, Lorenzo, anytime anybody's ever spoken to him, and not a lot of uh, the media has access to Lorenzo Fertitta like they do to Dana White. You know, Dana's pretty accessible, and, you know, uh, you don't have to be high on the food chain in MMA to be able to get an interview with Dana White. You know, maybe you do uh, more so to get Lorenzo Fertitta. But Dana is always the phrase he uses, I think, really turns off a lot of people and it turns me off a lot of times is, oh, we're tested by the government as Mm. if that's some rigorous testing. And, you know, people know that's not the case until they start doing this quote-unquote enhanced testing. But these post-fight tests are, you know, you know they're coming, you know what's going on. And I think Dana dismissing it by saying that, you know, irritates a lot of people. And so even I had an impression, hey, you know, they're not really committed to it. Until I spoke to Chairman Aguilar and I talked to him at length and I heard, you know, he said, hey, they're willing to do anything and they're willing to do whatever we wanna do. And, and I've talked to other commissions and, they're, and they, they say the same thing. So the UFC saying, hey, if you want to test every one of our guys on every single card, we will pay for it. And if you want to test them, you know, five times, we'll pay for it. So they, they their issue is simply we want the results to go not to VADA, which has no regulatory power, or to WADA even, which has no regulatory power in this particular instance, but to somebody who has regulatory power that will discipline the fighters that can, that can then make the uh, proper ruling. And in this case of the... the UFC 167, George St. Pierre and Johnny Hendricks fell under the jurisdiction of the Nevada Athletic Commission. So, you know, I think Dana's comments that he makes, you know, kind of give out the impression that, hey, maybe, you know, we're trying to pull a fast one and that we don't, you know, we don't care. But I think that they really do based on after I did some reporting and talked to a lot of people about this. Hey, they're willing to do the testing and they're willing to pay for anybody who wants it or anybody that the commission asked to have it done. And I think that says a lot. And, and that's new information that I gleaned in, in, in reporting after George's uh, comments. And I think that that, you know, that side hasn't gotten out because Dana doesn't make that point too often.
2: So do you think based on this information, do you think they will start to do more and do you think they should start to do more?
3: I, I, absolutely, I think they should start to do more. I think you know this, Ariel. There's nobody in the media that's more anti-PED than I am, you know, and I have been for a long time. And I, I right now think that, you know, there should be no uh, TRT. I really am anti-TRT. Uh, We can get into that later if you want. But, you know, so I do think they should do more. And and I think that the commission is, at least in Nevada, is going to request more. They're going to go to the UFC and they're going to go to boxing promoters and say, hey, let's do this testing more often. We want to do this enhanced testing. The most important thing, if you ask me, Ariel, about this, is it has to be random and unannounced. So I I think that, you know, like even like the testing we had uh, on 168 for uh, Barnett and Brown, it was great that they did it but i think to really be the most effective you know you just have to go in one day and say you know what we want to test and pick a name out of a hat we want to test uriah favor you know we want to test uh you know whoever matt brown whoever the person happens to be that you pull out of the hat you know that has to be and just randomly test them and i think if they do that on a regular basis you will root it out you can't they did that with over him and they actually caught him uh, Keith Kaiser, give him a lot of credit. He did that with over I and he caught him, uh, on a thing, but you know, it, if it only happens one time into somebody who in the past had allegations of steroids or actually failed a test, then, you know, the average person who hasn't been caught doesn't have as much fear about it. But if you put the fear of God in them and say, we are going to test you, you never know when you never know where I think it, it'll, it's not going to eliminate it eradicate it totally because guys find ways to cheat but i think it'll eliminate it to a large degree
2: i know you said you have you have yet to talk to gsp but you did talk to dana white and lorenzo fortita how would you characterize the relationship right now between the ufc and gsp
3: well, I think it's a little bit rocky, as you can imagine. You know, I mean, they're they're disappointed uh, with that he made these comments. And, you know, Lorenzo, I talked to Lorenzo much more than I did Dana about this. And uh, Lorenzo said, you know, hey, look, we've had an open line of communication with George. You know, he's been able to pick up the phone and call us, talk to us whenever he wants. And, he, you know, he could have come to us in Las Vegas that time and, and said something face-to-face in a meeting. But he chose not to. And I, th- I think that they're mystified why he said all this After, you know, after he kind of had a sabbatical or whatever you want to call it, you know, his retirement, I don't think it's really a retirement, but whatever it is, you know, why did he say this later and why did he not tell them first? You know, their relationship throughout the entire history had been an open relationship where they would speak to each other first as opposed to going to the public. And in that particular case, they went, um, you know, they went to the, George went to the public first, and I think they're mystified by that. Do you think he fights for them again? I do. You know, I think I think he's a competitor, you know, I think he really wants to do it and I think this will blow over and I do think George will fight again.
2: Who comes back first, Anderson Silva or George St. Pierre?
3: I think Anderson's not going to fight again. I think Really? Yeah, I I really don't. You know, I think he's saying that now, but when he goes through it, like, what is it for Anderson? What's in it for Anderson to fight? You know, it's only negative. You know, he's going, you know, he may have to fight his friends. You know, let's just play this out here. Let's say Machida uh, or uh, Jacare, whoever wins that fight. You know, Anderson feels close with both those guys. If he comes back, that's a big fight in the middleweight division. Does he want to fight that? You know, does he want to fight, you know, Musasi? Does he want to get in those kind of guys? I don't think he does. You know, I think he wants to be at the absolute top and i think you know i don't think he deserves nor is he going to get a title shot you know he's not that far away but he still has to win a couple fights he got beaten by chris Wyman twice so you know i don't think anderson comes back so i i think george will be back first
2: Want to get your take on obviously the Nevada Athletic Commission? You're in Nevada right now. Um, th- they announced on, or they made a decision on Friday to not hire an interim executive director to replace Keith Kaiser, whose uh, tenure ends next week. And they're going to go through this whole process. Hopefully, around March or April, they'll they'll find someone. First, about Keith, do you think that he was pushed out or he left under his own power?
3: I think he was pushed out. Personally, I think he was definitely pushed out. You know, he claims no, and you know I know Keith you know, very well and he's an honest guy and, you know, I I don't want to call Keith a liar, but, uh, you know, I believe that there was pressure from the boxing promoters, you know, I believe there was pressure from the UFC. I believe on all sides, you know, that they were, there was people that were unhappy. With Keith and I think that they you know they put pressure I know governor Sandoval got involved and in, uh, after the Mayweather fight because of uh, CJ Ross scorecard and that was uh, and you know when you get the governor involved and things at that level that's not good and I think ultimately you know all that pressure was building up and there was a lot of people and I think that you know Keith recognized it and, and decided to walk
2: any leading candidates right now that you're hearing about to, to, to be the new executive director?
3: You know, it's still wide open. um, You know, I mentioned to you before, you know, I think Randy Gordon, who ran New York's commission as a member of the media now applied and he's going to be considered Uh, a name that I think you should watch is Darren Libanotti. Uh, Darren run, uh used to run the Thomas and Mack Center. And now he has a uh, consulting business in Las Vegas. I think he might be a guy that, you know, you can see he's very well-known in Nevada, knows everybody, uh, was actually a f- kicker on the UNLV football team. Uh, and Darren's pretty well-connected in, uh, in Nevada, knows all the people, you know, has a good feel for both MMA and boxing. Uh, I think he's a guy to watch. I'm not going to say he's the frontrunner for the job. A lot of the people that, you know, that are applying for the job are either Really strong on boxing, or really strong on MMA, uh, but don't have both, and they need to have both. You need to have somebody that can get in there that knows boxing, knows the fighters, knows the issues in boxing, but also knows MMA and can deal, you know, with that. It, as I wrote in my column, this is going to be a really tough hire and a really difficult job.
2: If you were in charge, you had the pick of the litter. Who would Kevin Ioli hire? You could pick Arielle anyone. Ariel Hill, money. <laughs> well, Ariel money. Yeah, I mean that's that's a given.
3: Well, if I had the money that I, you know, and I could do it, I mean, unquestionably Mark Ratner is the guy, Um, but Mark Ratner is not going to do it. So, Mm -hmm. you know, Going after that, I don't. Right now, I don't see any one person that I know of that I would say this is the person you got to get. This person, you know, California just underwent this and they got Andy Foster. I think Andy's good. Uh, is he perfect for the for the Nevada job? I don't know, but certainly I don't think he's going to want to leave after just getting you know getting the California job. Um, there's no one person out there that I think you know fits all the criteria, and it, it would really you know be be perfect for this job um there's a lot of people that are that are pretty good the people that i keep thinking of are people that right away when i think about it i say nope, he won't do it nope he won't do it nope he won't do it and that's the problem some somebody asked me uh, about big john mccarthy and i think big john actually would have been a good candidate but the comments that he made on twitter i think really you know and i not think i know because i talked to people on the commission and and around the commission those comments he made celebrating keith's uh Uh, Demise, you know, really hurt him. I don't think it's going to hurt him coming back to Nevada as a referee. I do think he will be back, if not at UFC 170, at the next show in Nevada after that. I don't think there's any question John McCarthy will be back with Keith being out. But I think any candidacy John might have had for the executive director's job basically was killed by those comments.
2: Final thing this Saturday, the UFC returns to Fox. It's UFC on Fox 10. It's headlined by Benson Henderson versus Josh Thompson, the co main event, if you will Gabriel Gonzaga versus Stipe Miocic. Not the uh, strongest offering on Fox in the last two years or so. What's your take on the card? Scale of one to ten, how interested are you in this card?
3: I think it's about a seven. You know, I, I'm always interested in a, in a Benson Henderson fight. You know, I mean, he's he's a fascinating guy. And, and, and Josh Thompson really intrigues me because, you know, I think. To me, he runs parallel with Gilbert Melendez to a large degree, and Gilbert Melendez has this great reputation and people, you know, this great athlete, this great fighter, he's the best lightweight in the world, some people say, and just, there's all this raving about Gilbert Melendez, and then people think Josh, you know, Thompson, they think more about him, about those crazy comments that he made a while back than they do about his fighting, but did not Gilbert Melendez and Josh Thompson have three unbelievable fights that were just, you know, nip and tuck? And I think, you know, Josh Thompson isn't given enough credit for how good of a fighter he is. And I think he's going to push Benson Henderson. I think there's going to be a really good fight in that main event on Saturday. And I think the co-main event, you know, is intriguing just because you, know, you have Steve Miocic who's coming off a, a big win over Roy Nelson. I wish he had fought a little more often yeah. than he you know i mean i don't understand that long break and, and gonzaga is coming back up to me gonzaga is always a guy that you know the whole has been less than the sum of his parts you know gonzaga has a lot of good ability and the fact that he drops you know he loses some of these fights is like mind-boggling and anytime you have donald cerrone on tv ariel you know it's good uh, no no complaints about that so you know, i think it's an interesting card
2: All right. Well, uh, always a pleasure, uh, Kevin. You know, we love having you on, love talking to you. Your insight is uh, second to none. So uh, great stuff on GSP, Nevada, and, of course, this weekend's Fight Card. We'll see you very soon. Thanks for stopping by.
3: Anytime, Ariel. Much appreciate Thanks for having me.
2: There he is, the one and only Kevin Ioli of Yahoo Sports stopping by. Great on Twitter as well. You can uh, follow him, twitter.com slash I. is the Twitter handle. A lot of interesting things happening outside of the cage right now in the world of mixed martial arts. Okay, let's, uh, let's move along. A few weeks back at UFC 168, Uriah Hall defeated Chris Lieben. And ever since that fight on December 28th, we, we were wondering, what's next for the Crippler? Last night, he mentioned he has a new job. And I thought, well, th- this is a good time to talk to Chris Liebman. So happy that he's uh, able to join us today on the show. Chris, how are you? Doing good. Well, uh, thank you very much for stopping by once again. We've been wanting to talk to you for quite some time, uh, and and I think a lot of people, you know, we'll get to the job, we'll get to everything, but just want to know, where do you stand? Because the last thing we heard from you, and I know it was pertaining to the fight, but people were trying to, you know, make it out to be a, a, a bigger message, you said to your corner, I'm done. Were you talking about the fight or your career on that night?
4: Well, I mean, at that time, I was in particular talking about the fight. But, uh, but you know what? I think that, uh, I think that's pretty much it. As far as, as far as competing in the UFC, I think I, I may actually um be done. You know, it's been it's been just a fantastic, wonderful ride. Uh, you know, I've landed more strikes than anybody out there. Um, definitely highs and lows, ups and downs, but uh, you know, I think I, I'm I'm starting to realize that, you know, for me it, it might be time to kinda make that transition over away from from competing and get more on the coaching side of things
2: so are you saying you're done not only in the ufc but done in mma in general no more fighting for you
4: well you know if i'm not fighting in the ufc uh... i'm not fighting i mean the bottom line is you know i i've I've been with 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 the actual ufc now for almost ten years you know and and i really feel like i have kind of i've kind of grown with them in parallel with them and uh you know, I definitely don't, you know, in this sport, you're either, you're either moving forward or you're moving backwards, you know, and, and, um, I just couldn't imagine myself having had so many amazing fights in the UFC and then to be stepping back to a, a smaller show or something like that. It would just be, it would be so crazy. So yeah, I think I'm done.
2: Have you talked to the UFC about this?
4: Uh, you know, I mean, I, I talked, I talked with Dana a, a little bit. You know, we, we've we've done some texting back and forth. We've had had a couple little conversations. Um, but yeah, and, and it, it sounds more or less like everybody's kind of on, you know, the same at the same place I'm at, and kind of kind of where I'm at. You know, is you know, I, I really can't be uh, can't be upset. I've had I've had just a wonderful career, you know, and. And again, I didn't. I didn't start fighting until I was 21 years old, you know. And and that back then, you could actually get in the UFC, win, and do well just on being, you know, a tough guy. You know, I was a tough guy. I had some techniques, you know, and stuff, and that always worked for me. But you know, when you're looking at these guys now, like Uriah Hall, I mean, they're just they're just a different breed of athlete than than, than I am. You know, it's the, the, the game has been evolving and changing so much, you know, so, so rapidly, you know, that, uh, I'm actually pretty happy that I can say that I, w- I was in it for as long as I was in it.
2: You know, a lot of times in, in the world of fighting guys don't want to leave on a loss. They're not happy with their performance. Are you content leaving at this point?
4: You know, it's one of those things. I mean, you know, obviously, um, I, I would have loved to get a victory, you know. I would have loved to have won my last three fights. That would be fantastic. But, uh, you know, but but, uh, but I haven't. And if I would won my last three fights, I'd probably still still be fighting as well, you know. So, you know, anytime you take a loss, um, you know, that that's huge. But it's definitely, as, as far as I'm concerned, it's one of those signs that tells me, hey, buddy, you know, you, you, you know, you never, before I, would never lost more than two fights in a row in my entire career. And now I've lost four, you know, I mean, it's definitely one of those signs that lets me know, Hey, you know, don't be upset, but it's, it's time to move on and start doing something different.
2: When did you come to this conclusion?
4: You know, I, I really didn't say anything to anybody else about it, but, you know, sitting at home and talking with my wife, even b- before my last fight, I said, you know, if, they said, we're going to wait and see how my performance is because I, I, tra- I trained and, and, and prepared harder than I, than I ever have in my entire life for that, uh, for that fight. You know, I was in great, awesome shape going out, you know, um, you know, so, so I told my wife, I said, well, you know, we're, we're going to see how my performance is. And then, you know, make a decision on, on, on what I'm going to do next, uh, depending on that, you know, and obviously the way the fight went, uh, the decision's kind of pretty, pretty cut and dry, you know, that, uh, I've got a lot of years ahead of me, you know, and I, I would like to, you know, have still have my head on my shoulders and have a brain when I'm raising kids and every, doing all the other stuff that, that, I, that I want to be part of longer in my life, you know, and I think it, you know, it might just be time for me to, uh, you know, gracefully bow out. And, you uh,
2: know, obviously we tip our cap to you and, uh, you know, we'll get to the, 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 the whole career in a second, but, you know, on that on that stool in between the first and second round, when you did tell your corner that you were done, why, why did you do that? It was a very noble thing. It's something that a lot of fighters can't do. And uh, you, you've always been known as one of those guys who, you know, no matter what, hell or high water, you're going out there swinging. And it was it was almost, you know, inspiring to see you do that, to understand that, you know, this, this fight just isn't going to go my way. What led to you to do that?
4: Well, you know, thank you for saying that. I mean, I don't think people realize how that, that, uh, I was, you know, I was pretty, he, 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 I thought the fight was over for, for a little while. I didn't realize the bell had been stopped. He had actually, he'd actually done a little damage to me, you know, um, but that first five minutes was just absolutely horrible. Um, and, and it was more, uh, of the same as far as what, uh, what my last couple of opponents have been doing, you know, where nobody really wants to, you know, you know, and, and, and I understand why, but. You know they don't. They're not going to stand in front of me toe to toe and just swing like like guys used to try before. You know, you know now I've got you know a guy with six or nine inches in reach advantage. That's you know definitely a better athlete than I am. That, that's that's running away from me as fast as he can. Is only going to you know hit me with these little shots. Um, you know, and and it was it was one of those things where. Personally, I knew that you know the only thing that was going to happen was two more rounds of that until he really got me upset and I was rushing in and then he hit me with that crazy spinning kick that he does, mm. um, you know. And and I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I mean, I, I see that you know there's warranted you know why he why he should fight that way, you know. But that fighting that way kind of drives me nuts. And and I think I was, uh, you know, definitely some of it was frustration. You know, another part of it was was an inner knowing that hey, just more of this is going to happen. Um, you know, but having said that, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. You know, training 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 with with uh, Totsky, Eric over at Alliance, and having him in my corner. You know, um, you know, I should have trusted that guy. I know he was watching the fight, and you know, it's it's never the fighter's job to decide when they're done. That's that's really why you, why you trust and put your you know, put your trust into your corner to do to make that decision. You know, so. Hindsight being 2020, yeah, I, I, I really wasn't happy about, you know, looking back and me making that decision. Um, kind of, kind of further showing, you know, that, that, you know, I'm 33 years old now, which, which isn't the oldest for a fighter, but, um, you know, like I tell people, it's not, it's not uh, how old you are, but it's how long you've been doing it. <laughs> mm. And I've been doing this game for, for quite a while. So, you know, I, I almost feel like both, you know, not not only physically and athletically are some of these guys getting greater and greater, but, you know, since I have made all these changes in my life, um, for some reason, somewhere in my heart, you know, I'm more interested in helping people, you know, training people and helping people move forward than uh, than getting out there and, and fighting to the death, um, which is a really weird thing to hear from Chris even, but it's <laughs> kind of true.
2: So if you could do it again, you wouldn't have said, I'm done. You would have kept fighting uh, at 168. Yes. Mm. Um. You you haven't said the R word. You haven't said retire. Have you officially retired from MMA?
4: You know, well, I think this interview is kind of me making that that official announcement. You know, um, definitely I wanted to uh, after the fight I wanted to go back and uh, reevaluate things and you know and make sure that that. that The decision wasn't based purely on emotion. That was really what I wanted to do, Um, and now, yes, I can say um, I've I've retired from 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 competing in MMA. Uh,
2: You tweeted yesterday. That uh, you were super excited that you got your dream job to be the team, um, to be the team coach at Victory, which is the biggest gym in San Diego. Also, you'll be teaching some classes there. Uh, Tell us about what you'll be doing there. Is this is this the new chapter for you? Is this what helped you, you know, kind of move on? And uh, are you going to be, you know, is is Chris Lieben the next Greg Jackson, the next Eric Del Fiero? Is that what you want to do?
4: Oh man, you know, I I hope so. Honestly, I've always felt, you know, that that I was a good fighter, but, but a great coach. And coaching is something I've done parallel my entire fighting career. And, you know, believe it or not, I really, really, uh, love, love that side of the sport. I love being able to, you know, inspire and motivate people, help people lose weight, all the great things that go along with this sport and, and training somebody and getting them you know, and, and giving them, you know, everything that the sport has done for me. I mean, this sport has totally completely, you know, changed my life and, uh, you know, sent me, down down the right road instead of the wrong road, you know. And, and I love being able to uh, to pass that on. So, yeah, I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm training with, with the team down in Alliance. You know, obviously I I, I love those guys, and I definitely want to help everybody down there. And, and uh, but I am going to be picking up some classes at, at Victory, which is a, which is a huge beautiful gym out here. I'm going to be helping out with their team um, run running their team program down there and then picking up a couple other classes. And uh it it's really exciting, you know, because it is, it is a it is a big, nice gym that's got a lot of members, you know, so I'm really excited to get to get down there and make a difference.
2: You know, when we said that you were going to come on the show today, some people were kind of fearing the worst and thinking that you were going to retire. People who are, you know, big fans of yours. And a lot of them were telling me, you know, you're one of the major reasons why they became an MMA fan when you were on The Ultimate Fighter. You helped build that, that show into what it has become and really got them hooked on the UFC. Do you ever... Take a step back and think. Wow, it's amazing. You know what I did on that show. The opportunity that I got to be on that show. How everything. You know, it might not have looked all rosy while it was happening, but how it really kind of you know created this path for you to be the Crippler, this you know this uh, international star and 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 uh, a huge fan favorite. Now that it's done, can you take a step back and and really appreciate what you've done? You never got the title or anything like that, but you truly were. You know, one of the, the, the big fan favorites, and one of the guys, a lot of people can't say this, one of the guys who got people hooked on this sport. That's a major feather in your cap.
4: Uh, thanks, man. And, yeah, you know, you're right. It it really has been a pretty, it's a pretty crazy ride, you know, and I've definitely been doing a lot while lot looking back these last couple of weeks, you know, and sitting, you know, and looking back and realizing that, hey, that, that first season of The Ultimate Fighter might be a, uh, part of what's made the UFC what it is. And then, you know, I, I kind of feel that I'm part of what, what made that ultimate fighter what it was. So, you know, that, that's, a, that's a huge, you know, a huge thing. And it's, and it's crazy. You know, look back and look at those days in the house and look at look at the guys that were fighting in the UFC at the time and where the sport was and how many, how many pay-per-view ratings they were getting. And then the look. And everything that happened in the house, the level of fighters and how it's continued to grow, and just how big and huge and you know, mainstream the UFC is nowadays compared to where it was then.
2: When you signed up in a million years, did you have any idea it would turn into what it has become, not just for the sport, but for you?
4: No, no idea. (laughs) It's funny. I actually, I remember telling Dana one time when we were on the, on on the first season, you know, yeah, maybe I'll be able to wear this jersey and go to a bar and get a free beer from a guy because he'll see, he'll see my Ultimate Fighter team jersey. I mean, I didn't, I didn't have any idea that anybody was even going to recognize me from the show or, or, or nothing like that, you know. And now, here it is, here it is, you know, 10 years later. And, you know, I still can't go to the mall or go out to dinner or go anywhere without somebody reminding me I pissed on Jason Thacker's bed.
2: (laughs) That's amazing. Do you have any idea what happened to Jason Thacker?
4: Uh, You know, I have no clue. You know, I'd like to hope he's up there in in, uh, Canada somewhere. (laughs) He's happy drawing Pokemon figures and and living his life. But, uh, yeah, I don't
2: know. Maybe maybe this announcement will bring him out of the... uh the the igloo somewhere in canada and he can uh say goodbye to you because you two will be linked you'll be linked of course with bobby southworth and all those guys josh koschek of course but when you look back though you, know, you mentioned the ups and downs any regrets
4: none you know i mean yeah it was a wild ride like i said and, and a lot of times it was really uncomfortable and i definitely made some decisions that that were not very good but uh I think all that goes into uh, putting me, you know, to, to that's the reason I'm in the situation I'm in now and, I, and I'm who I am right now and I'm where I'm at right now. And, you know, I think, it, I think everything is really happens for a purpose. And I feel like, you know, everything was meant to be and I'm meant to be right here, right now. And, and, you know, all that stuff caused that. So, yeah, I wouldn't change a thing.
2: You dished out some big shots. You took some big shots. I mean, health-wise right now, are, are you in a good place? Do, do you feel any ill effects from your fighting career?
4: Well, you know, I, I mean, I got to make some pains there, you know, there's no, <laughs> I've been through a lot of battles, you know, so there's no joking about that, but uh, I'm definitely kind of at, at one of those places where, you know, I've got to, I've got to make some pains now and I know it's only going to get worse, you know, so. So I, I want to kind of, that's kind of why I want to bow out before, uh, before I really do have a huge injury, you know, and it, and it is too late, and I've got something I've got to deal with for the rest of my life. Um fact of the matter is, you know, it's hard to believe, you know, more fights than anybody in the middleweight division, but, but I've never had a surgery in my life. Wow. So, wow. You know, pretty, a... pretty lucky all in all.
2: That 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 truly is amazing. And now, I know it's very fresh, and I have a feeling I know what the fans would say, but is there one guy... You know, one fight in one place that you wish you could have had before it was all said and done. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> you know,
4: I, I've I've been a couple of my couple of my buddies that have been you know listening to what I've been thinking. You know, the last few days are kind of on the inside circle. Always, they're still asking me about that Josh Koscheck fight, and if I go back and make that happen. You know, and <laughs> I mean, besides that, really, pro- probably not. You know, because there, there really is no animosity. I mean, everybody that beat me that, that day, they they were the better man. But, uh, you know, and, and, and a couple of years ago, I would have told you for sure Josh Koschek, 100%, you know, because I can't stand him. But nowadays, you know, I, I think you know, you know, time, time tears were all wounds, you know, and we, we, we both moved on and, and yeah, n not, not, nobody really.
2: You know, you also had some great moments, and uh, if you ask me, and I, I want to get your take, but I'll just throw mine out here right now, the the ultimate Chris the Cri- Crippler Lieben moment was when you came back on two weeks' notice, UFC 116, and defeated Akiyama, when at a point, you know, you, there, there was a time and we didn't really know where you kind of stood, and all of a sudden you defeat Aaron Simpson, you, you say that you're on the couch eating pizza and drinking beer, they call you up, and there you are two weeks later in Las Vegas once again, and you defeat Akiyama, when a lot of people thought... You weren't gonna beat him. That to me is the ultimate Chris Lieben moment. That that kinda of puts you in a nutshell. What was your favorite moment?
4: Uh, you know, definitely that that was definitely one of them. Um and then obviously, you know, Vandalay. That yeah. was that was probably the next biggest one too, you know, because Vandalay's always been been my hero, you know. When I when I started fighting, I used to walk You know, walk two miles down to the store where I could buy these bootleg Pride videos to watch Vandalay fight. And really watching him is what got me into the sport. So you know that that win over Vandalay was probably for me. You know that that was the icing on the cake.
2: Does this mean the crippler is gone as well? I mean, the hair, the nails, all that stuff—is that sticking around too, or is he uh, is he going to the retirement home?
4: Uh, You know what? I I kind of like the nails. I'll be honest; they'll probably stay around. You know the red hair. We'll we we'll have to see. You know, may, maybe a little bit here and there, but but I don't think I'm going to be walking around like a like a 33 year old bright red beacon every day.
2: <laughs> well, that's uh, that's fair. I mean, you are retired. I mean, after all, I, I do expect you to. Uh play shuffleboard or whatever that game is called, you know, with the people in uh, Del Boca Vista in Florida. Um, two more things before we let you go, Chris, and we, we definitely appreciate the time and thank you so much for thank coming you. on the show to, to talk about this. It, it means a lot. And, uh, you know, I want to congratulate you on a, on a tremendous career. Um, you know, as you, you know, you've been on the show in the past and you you've had some unbelievably honest interviews here, you know, without getting into it too much, are you in a good place right now? Are you happy? You talk about your wife a lot. We see the pictures on Twitter. Do you leave the sport in a good place?
4: Yeah. You know, I, I am, I really, I really am happy. And I, and I think that's the biggest thing, you know, that I just don't have that mean streak anymore. Like I used to, you know, I'm really, I really am in a, in a, in a good place. Um, I have, I'm happy with my life. I have a, I have a good life. I'm not angry at anybody. So, so yeah, I mean, pretty amazing, but, uh, but uh, I definitely, uh, definitely turned things around, and, you know, we've been staying a lot. We've been continuing to walk down the right road, you know. She's kind of like my 401k. I've got her in law school down here in San Diego. So, you know, um, you know only, only the brightest in the future for us.
2: That's amazing to hear. Very, very happy to hear that. This is a, a nice little forum here. Uh, a lot of people listening. You can talk to them right now. Anything you want to say to your fans? You had some of the, uh, the more loyal fans in mixed martial arts.
4: Oh man, yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I I think one of the things about me was either you loved me or you hated me. No, nobody was ever ever in the middle there. You know, and and I absolutely had some of the best fans ever. You know, and a lot of times, you know, when I you know when I was down, when I was really bummed after after a loss or after I got in trouble again, you know. Those 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 Facebooks and those tweets, you know, from the fans saying, "Hey, we're still behind you," and and everything else, you know, those those are what those are what give you the energy to, to push on, to be able to, you know, turn around and and not keep going sorry for yourself, and then you know, change what you're doing and move ahead, you know. So, um, yeah, I love love my fans, man. I'm I gotta thank them for you know for being behind me for 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 every fight, you know. And uh, you know, I I hope they understand, you know, when you know when it's time, it's time, you know. I I want to go out, you know, I want to say, okay, you know, I'm, I'm done. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to keep just slowly fading away. And so, you know, appreciate everything that they've done for me. And, uh, yeah, thank, thank you.
2: That takes a lot of courage, and that might be the, the most the brave thing that you've done in your career, to know when is when, especially in this sport. And with all the glitz and glamour, it's, uh, it's great to hear. I think this is a moment that should be celebrated. Not only were you one of those guys who drew a lot of people into the sport, there was never a dull moment when the Crippler was around. It was great to cover you. I congratulate you on a great career, and good luck in this next chapter now. I think you'll be a fantastic coach. Right on. Thanks, man. Thank you. There he is, the one and only Chris Lieben on the show, saying the retirement word, saying the R word, walking away from the sport, uh, it, it was time, um, had, uh, had lost four in a row, as he mentioned, uh, most recently lost to Uriah Hall, knew when to say when, even though he regrets it now, I think it was the right call, knew when to say when between the first and second round um, against Uriah Hall, UFC 168, and uh, here just moments ago announcing that he was in fact um, done, he's done. He's done inside the octagon. He's done in his MMA career, but he's not done in MMA. He is still going to coach, as he said. Victory Alliance still be a part of that team as well. Had some uh, had some ups and downs, as as uh, as he mentioned. He was on the Ultimate Fighter season one way back when, long time ago. Made his uh, UFC debut on April 9th, two thousand five. Defeated the aforementioned Jason Thacker, Strange Brew, in the first round via uh, TKO one thirty five and. Uh, at that point, he was 11-1, went on to fight Patrick Cote, defeated him. Edwin Deweese defeated him. Uh, Jorge Rivera defeated him. Luigi Fioravante. Chris Lieben was on a 1-2, 3-4-5 fight winning streak in the UFC alone, not to mention outside of the UFC, heading into the big Anderson Silva fight in June of 2006. He lost Anderson uh, in 49 seconds, but rebounded to defeat uh, George Santiago. And then then it was a little bit up and down. Uh, lost a couple to Jason McDonald and Caleb Starnes. Defeated Terry Martin, Alessio Sakara. Then had a big main event at UFC 89 against Michael Bisping. Um, it was uh, you know that was the fight where he uh, tested positive for a PED. Came back after a suspension. Defeated, uh, actually lost to Jake Roschel, excuse me. Then defeated Jay Silva. Defeated Aaron Simpson, and that was the big turnaround for him against Yoshihiro Akiyama. Defeated Aaron Simpson on June 19, 2010, came back on July 3, 2010 to win the fight of the night and to also submit Yoshihiro Akiyama with a triangle choke, an amazing scene at UFC 116. That was the, uh, the card, of course, that featured Brock Lesnar defeating Shane Carwin via triangle choke. For him to come back saying that on that Monday when he got the call after there was an injury uh, while eating pizza and drinking beer on his couch, Uh, At that point, Chris Lieben was arguably a top 10 guy. He was on top of the world. Came back, a big fight against Brian Stan at UFC 125, where if memory serves me correct, he may have even been the favorite, or at least there was a lot of buzz surrounding him. Fortunately for him, he lost that fight uh, via TKO, Uh, came back, defeated Vandale Silva, lost to Mark Munoz, lost to Derek Brunson, Andrew Craig, and then most recently Uriah Hall, we... Uh, Congratulate him on a an entertaining career and one of those uh, guys who was a part of the Ultimate Fighter season one. Who honestly, you know, I got got a lot of people telling me that uh, they were drawn into the sport because of that feud. You remember he pissed on Jason Thacker's bed. Um, he called um, uh, Bobby Southworth called him a, a fatherless bastard. They got into uh, this whole heated exchange with uh josh koscheck the the memory's now a little cloudy in my mind, but I believe he was uh sleeping outside and they they came outside with the uh the hose and they poured water on him and uh woke him up and then he uh he was very upset punched a hole in the the doors you know it was just part of the drama that was the ultimate fighter season one and now here he is after a long u f c career walking away from the sport we tip our cap to chris Lieben. all right let's move along now and uh welcome in a guy who's very much talked about in the world of MMA right now. It seems like every day it's as the Habib Nurmagomedov turns. Someone's calling him out. Someone's apparently turning down a fight against him. UFC president Dana White saying that no one wants to fight this guy. So we thought we must get Habib Nurmagomedov on the phone. We're going all the way to Dagestan, Russia right now to welcome him in. He is, uh, he's actually being joined by his manager, and uh, perhaps the brains be t- behind the uh, team, uh, Re- the Red Fury fight team, Sam Cardin. Sam, are you there? Yes, I am. And we're being joined by Khabib, right?
5: Absolutely. He's on the line now.
2: Okay, great. Well, thank you uh, to both of you for joining us right now. And I know it's a little late out there in Russia, so appreciate it very much. Okay, Khabib, first, first question. You know, uh, Dana White said uh, last week that, that he feels like a lot of people are afraid to fight you. Do you believe that to be true?
5: yeah uh,
6: think
5: I think it's true because you know he posted a video saying that as well as he uh, tweeted that comment so yeah
2: <laughs> okay, so explain to us what's going on with Gilbert Melendez. The fight was announced, and then uh, Dana White said the fight. Uh, is not going to happen, at least not for now. What were you told as to why this fight isn't happening?
5: I нам, пожалуйста, что ты знаешь про бой с Гилбертом Миллендесом. Сначала вроде объявили the плакатах, даже показали, что бой будет, но потом сказали, что нет. А что тебе
6: говорят и что ты знаешь об этом бой? Честно говоря, я тоже как и все читаю И на самом деле я сам считаю, что я это бой заслужил, потому что у меня 21-0, 5-0 в UFC. То же самое у Гловера Текшери, 20-20 боев подряд он выиграл, и выиграл 5-0 но ему дарили титульный бой. Я даже даже сейчас не титул не прошу, я просто прошу бой за выход за титул. И я думаю, что я заслужил это бой не только с Милендезом, но и с любым бойцом. И с Диазом, с Милендезом, разницы нету.
5: I mean, there's definitely a lot of noise around this fight. Um, you know, I pretty much get the same news as you guys do from the internet. Um, I think that I earned this fight. I think I deserve it. Uh, just like Glover Teixeira is fighting, he's got a 20 wins, 5-0 in UFC, and now he's got a title shot, whereas I'm not asking for a title shot at this time. I think this fight with Melendez makes sense. I think I earned it. I'm 20-1-0, 5-0 in the UFC.
2: So, what reason were you given as to why it's not happening? Какую
6: тебе причину дали, почему этого боя не будет? Ну, мне сказали, что у Меленте за и у UFC есть какие-то недоговорки и по контракту или по деньгам что ли они не обсудили. И вся вот эта ситуация между ними влияет на бой со мной. И я уже четыре месяца после того, после боя с Хили уже жду соперника. Меня еще даже бой не назначили. Mm, конечно, мне обидно то, что mm, вот эта вся шумиха между или между, и между UFC отражается на мне. И я тренируюсь, я готов и жду любого из них. Если, если они хотят, вместе, двоем тоже. I guess uh, you know mm-hmm. either Melendez or Diaz need to work things out with the UFC. I'm ready. I'm
5: I'm working out, I'm exercising, I'm in top shape. I'm ready to fight. It's been about 4 months since my last fight with Healy. So, um, you know, I'm ready. It's, they really need to kind of work things out, and I want to get started.
2: So after it seemed like the Melendez fight, you know, wasn't going to happen, they turned their attention to Nathan Diaz, and uh, Dana White said that he turned down the fight. And, and, and Nate, going back on Twitter, saying that he'd fight anyone, anytime, his manager saying that they wanted to be compensated fairly. What was the reason you were given as to why the Nate Diaz fight wasn't happening?
5: Ну после того как Melendez not получился а все сказали то есть Уайт сказал что скорее всего будет бой с весом потом опять же этот бой опять а, не подтвержден на данный момент а, потому что у них там его менеджер говорит что он готов драться есть говорит что он готов драться но они не могут договориться на связи, по финансамft какая причина какую причину тебе говорят почему этот бой пока еще не состоится?
6: Мне на самом деле сказали, что они не могут договориться по, по денежным обстоятельствам. Типа Диаз и Милендез просят больше денег, и я никакого отношения к этому не имею. И типа они не боятся со мной подраться. Ну, я на самом деле думаю, что они боятся за свое имя, потому что я пока что не имею такое имя, как у Диаза или как у Милендеза в Америке. И проигрыш мне это для них будет большой шаг назад. Я всё понимаю, но это же всё бои, и если ты тренируешься, ты должен драться и искать бой с лучшими бойцами. Если они оба боятся, пускай вместе выходят тогда на клетку и пускай двоем нападает. Что ещё делать? All right. So, you know, it's really
5: I mean, that's pretty much what I understand is that they're trying to work things out financially. I understand that it's going to be a tough fight for them. Um, I don't have, I'm really kind of a no-name, or I don't have as much of a name in uh U.S. right now as they do, so I lose a loss to somebody like myself, who will definitely set them back quite a bit. Um, so I, I do get that. I do get the business aspect of it, but I think that they should definitely fight. If they say they're willing to fight the best, they should fight the best. Um, if they want, they can I'll take them both
2: with one in the cage. Wow. Okay. Uh, very bold. Uh, if you had your way, who, who's your 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 dream match for uh, for yourself next? Is it Melendez? Is it Nate Diaz? Is it someone we're not talking about? Who would be your pick if they gave you the entire roster to choose from?
5: Koby, если тебе предложили подраться с любым на данный момент в этой дивизии, с кем бы ты предпочел подраться? С кем бы ты могли сейчас
6: подраться сейчас? Кроме Diaz и Melendez, чай. Kro- кроме Диаза или Милендеза я бы выбрал на Ти Джей Гранта, потому что у него тоже пять бы подряд выигранных э, в легком весе, и у меня пять бы подряд. Ну, для, и для фанатов тоже это было бы как противостояние противостояние ударника борц с борцом. И всегда люди задавались вопросом, кто лучше боксер или борец, или ударник или борец. Ну, в данный момент, я думаю, можно было бы и с Ти Джей Грантом подраться. You know,
5: either... One of those two, or maybe TJ Grant. I think it would be a really good challenge. It would be a good fight for the fans. You know, a lot of times there's always like this challenge of fighter, I mean, or striker versus wrestler. So I think that would be a fun, fun fight as well. But, you know, you one of those three guys.
2: You said earlier that you do believe that guys are afraid to fight you. Uh, I didn't ask why, so I'd like to ask why now. Why do you think guys don't want to fight you? Simply because of your name? Because you say you're not a big name in America, or because of another reason?
5: А почему ты считаешь, что с тобой боятся драться? Потому что ты, на данный момент, не такой известен в Америке или другая
6: из Не, я не считаю, что многие боятся или не хотят со мной драться. Просто отклонили предложение пару бойцов. И да, Налайд сказал, что многие боятся драться. Но я не считаю это так. Потому что я знаю, в Америке очень много мужественных бойцов. И особенно в моем весе. И я особо на это внимание не обращаю. You know, I, I wouldn't
5: go as far as saying that everyone is afraid to fight me.
6: Uh, I'm not saying that. I know
5: Dana White has said that uh, the elite of uh, the lightweight division is afraid to fight me. I guess uh, either or not, you know, they don't want to lose to someone like myself, who's not as famous or not as popular as they are. But uh, I'm not going to go as far as saying that everyone is afraid. But I do, I think that, you know, people do see, and my results speak for themselves. 21-0, I have, I've never been defeated, and I have 5-0 in the UFC, so. But I'm not going to say that everyone is afraid of me. There are a lot of good fighters in the U.S.
2: That is very fair. So one fighter who has stepped up is Michael Johnson. But uh, via Twitter, you said that uh, he's not quite at your level. If you can't get Gilbert Melendez and Nate, why not give Michael Johnson a-, a chance? I mean, as far as the rankings are concerned, you're higher than him, but, you know, Gil and Nate were higher than you, so why not give Michael Johnson a chance if he's the only one stepping up right now?
5: Uh, one of the players who wanted to with you is Michael Johnson. Uh, he's than you, but also like you are lower than Melendez. Uh, why not win Michael
6: Johnson? Я понял, просто на самом деле Майкла Джонсона в UFC делали болевой на ногу, его он проигрывал удушающим, он проиграл решением, он проигрывал в одни ворота, и у него четыре или пять боев проигрыша в UFC. Но на самом деле, на данном этапе карьеры для Майкла ну бой с Майкла Джонсон для меня это не цель. И если, например, такие бойцы как Диаз, Гранд, my goal is to fight Melendez, uh, Grant or Diaz,
5: just because I feel that there would be a much of a challenge to me in the fight. I mean, Michael Johnson, um, you know, I would say that if uh, one of those three doesn't accept a fight with me, I may have to fight him, but... Uh, you know he has lost in the UFC by decision by submission, so I don't think he is posing as much of a challenge at this point. Um, so that's that's pretty
4: much it.
2: You know, right now one of the big stories in in our sport is this sort of invasion of uh, Russian fighters, um, fighters from Dagestan coming over, like yourself members of your team, the Red Fury fight team doing so well in the UFC, all of a sudden in the last couple of years, it really feels like this has, uh, this has escalated greatly. Why, why is this happening now? Where, where, where are all of you coming from? Where did you all start to, to kind of come together and go on this run in the UFC? Because it really seems like, yes, there were Russian fighters, there were fighters from you know, that part of the country doing well in MMA in the past. But it seems like in the last you know, year or so, every month, there's a new guy coming over to the UFC, going to Bellator and doing so well. Why is it happening now?
5: Почему ты считаешь сейчас такой наплыв бойцов из России, в основном из Дагестана, из Чечни, откуда они появились? И почему ты считаешь сейчас такой поток? Видимо, что у многих есть хорошие перспективы в UFC, в Bellatorе, даже как члены своей команды России. Чем будете там? Как будете голосовать?
6: Ну, еще года полторы-две назад э, вообще в России почти не было менеджера, можно сказать, нормального. И появлялся такого менеджера, как Сэм Карден. Э, многим бойцам э, появилась возможность подраться в Америке, в UFC, в Белакаре. И вообще на территории вот, Чечни, в Дагестане, вот, на Кавказе. Молодежь живет этим, смотрит бои, тренируется утром, вечером. Очень много хороших перспективных бойцов, которые еще не подписаны в UFC, которые могут себя показать на среднем уровне, я считаю, даже без подготовки. И даже у нас в зале с любыми я молодым, любым мне дает отпор, с любыми у меня бывают и стойки за рубан, и в борьбе не уступает. И вот я думаю, что нужно время. Только-только это началось и это должно было начаться, потому что у молодежи просто невероятное желание подраться в Америке.
5: You know, there were always been great fighters. Um fighting is part of the culture in uh Russia and uh Dagestan and Chechen in particular. Um, you know, it's just a matter of not having the proper management. About a year and a, ho- a year and a half ago, Sam Kordan started bringing some of the fighters like myself, uh Admana Magov and a bunch of other guys. And, uh, you know, it's really just an opportunity that wasn't present before. But now you're going to see a lot of good fighters coming in. Um, A lot of guys are training specifically for the UFC. And when I go training at my uh, gym here, uh, (laughs) a lot of young guys actually giving me a really hard time. So I think that you're going to see a lot of great fighters coming out of that
2: uh, region. Speaking of uh, Amagov, do you have an update on him? Do you think he will ever fight again?
5: А что ты думаешь насчет Атланы Амагова? У тебя есть какие-нибудь новости? Ты думаешь, он будет еще драться?
2: Ну,
6: Я общался с ним. и Пока точного ответа нет. Но я знаю, то, что он хочет побыть семьей. Он последние два года почти не был семьей. У него недавно родился сын. Ему почти годик, по-моему. И он чуть хочет побыть семьей. И мы, мы сами видим, как он прогрессирует последние полтора-два года, как он дерется, как он от боя к боя растет. Ну, я я думал и до этого до этого боя, что ему тяжело будет, но последний бой показал то, что он на самом деле может в будущем стать чемпионом. И я считаю, что он вернется. Он должен вернуться. You know, I don't have
5: a clear answer for you yet. I spoke with Adlan recently, and he has mentioned that he wants to spend a little bit of time with his family at this time. Uh He recently, you know, had a son. His son is about a year old now. Um, and he wants just to spend a little bit more time because he's been spending a lot of time in the training camp. So he hasn't had a, ch- he hasn't had a chance to kind of uh, spend some time with his uh, wife and kid and his mom and dad. So that's his plan at this time. Um, I hope that he will come back just because he's been doing so well in his recent fights. And I think he has a great future at the UFC.
2: And I'm wondering, you know, there was a video that came out uh, a few months back of a, of a young child wrestling a bear. And a lot of people said it was you wrestling this bear. Was that in fact you in that video? And if you were not in the video, have you ever wrestled a bear before? Havib,
5: uh, недавно... недавно вышло видео, что ты, этот, маленький мальчик какой-то боролся с медведем. И они хотят знать, если это ты был на этом видео. И если это не ты, ты когда-либо боролся с медведем.
4: Я
6: вообще, за то, что это видео вышло в интернете, я был недоволен, потому что это мой секрет. Секрет, как я выигрываю. <laughs> uh, you know, I uh, I wasn't really happy when
5: that video came up, simply because, you know, it's my secret training partner, so, um, you know, I didn't want to give out my secrets like that. But uh, I do wrestle uh, different animals before my fights uh getting ready. So if I if I end up fighting Melendez, I'll I'll wrestle the line.
6: Wow. Before taking the fight. And <laughs> 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 Sam, Sam. Sam. <laughs> so, <laughs> if <Diaz> and melendez Um if uh
5: if they end up not taking a fight, then I'll have to I'm going to have to take Fanny as my uh training partner. So,
2: so was that kid you? Was that really you? That's a simple light of video. It is a
4: secret. It's a big secret.
2: <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, in, in a perfect world, when would you like to fight?
5: Uh, in terms of the dates or yeah,
2: like what what month? When 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 you want to get back in there?
5: Okay. Когда бы иметь свой следующий бой? То есть, скажем, апрель, в каком месяце?
6: Я я хоть завтра готов. Я И на самом деле, если вы дату, для меня самая оптимальная дата сейчас была 11 апреля. Я слышал, что UFC хочет на 11 апреля проводить турнир. Я бы хотел бы в этом турнире поучаствовать. И на самом деле 11 апреля для меня самый оптимальный вариант. Могу еще и раньше, если UFC
5: захочет.
2: Okay, final question. Which uh, which animal has given you your toughest test? I mean, of all your training with animals, it sounds like you do it a lot. I'm just curious. Which animal is the toughest? <laughs> <laughs>
6: <laughs> uh, right now, the toughest one is uh, the Eagle. That's, <laughs> the one I, that's the one I uh, definitely cannot out wrestle right
5: now. So that's, that's the goal in the future.
2: By the way, uh, a happy anniversary to Habib. It was exactly two years ago today that he made his UFC debut, January uh, 20th, 2012. So it's been a great run for him. Hoping to see him back inside the Octagon. And, and honestly, I'm a little disappointed. I was hoping he'd say. Uh, in Russian, don't be scared, homie. Maybe he did, and you missed it, but that would have been a perfect reply to the the Diaz and Melendez camp.
5: Uh, Habib, Что я сказал сейчас?
6: Скажи по английски. Ну, скажи по м- английски. Скажи, скажи этот, знаешь как? Скажи, нейт, don't be scared of me. Nate, don't be scared of me. <laughs> <рис> scared of me. <laughs> <"Н-> <рис> скажи этот, знаешь, что скажи? Если он, если он не боится, пускай выйдет, я особо его убить не буду, я основно бороться буду, скажу. это скажи, ней там? Да да да, 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 да. И с ней там не с недом,
5: антиметр. Ай, this match is for neй for 1. Um, if you guys take this fight, I promise I won't hit you hard. I'll just wrestle you.
2: <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, thank you so much, Habib, for joining us. I know it's late there. Really thank appreciate you. it. Good luck getting the fight. And Sam, to you, thank you very much for translating and uh, continued success to the uh, the Red Fury fight team and to MVC management. You guys are doing a tremendous job.
5: Thank you.
2: All right, there they are. Sam Cardin, the, uh, the manager for one. Habib Nurmagomedov and uh, Khabib himself stopping by, kind of telling uh, Mr. Diaz and Melendez to not be scared, homie. Great stuff there. Looking forward to seeing. And I think really, if they can't get the fight, Michael Johnson stepping up. I'm interested in it. What's you know? Let's see. He he makes uh, you know a good point as far as. Um, Johnson, you know, having a few losses and whatnot, but he's looked good as of late. And uh, sometimes you got to take the guy who's calling your number. And right now, Michael Johnson is calling his number. <clears throat> uh, while we were doing that interview, in a minute, we'll be joined by Cole Miller, who's coming off a uh, a big win over Sam Sicilia. Um, Bellator announcing that the season debut, Bellator 110, on February 28th will feature... Christian and Pumbu versus Rampage Jackson on one side of a four-man tournament, and Mikhail Zayets versus King Mo Lawal on the other side of the tournament. That means if Rampage and King Mo win, they're finally going to fight each other. How about that? Winner faces uh, the champion, who uh, will be determined when... Um, Attila Vay goes up against Emmanuel Newton, a unification bout for the Bellator light heavyweight title. So there we go. We know what uh, what is next for Rampage Jackson. Okay, let's move along and uh, welcome in our next guest. He had a big win on Wednesday in Duluth, Georgia, over Sam Sicilia. He is on a roll, and his post fight interviews are nothing short of entertainment. They're 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 very. Very fun to listen to, and he has been uh, somewhat reinventing himself as of late. You heard him after his last win a few months back. We wanted to talk to him today about his latest call-out, or is it really his latest call-out? You'll you'll see what I mean. Of course, we're talking about Cole Miller joining us on the line right now. Cole, how are you?
7: Hey, Ariel. Thanks for having me.
2: It's good to have you back on the show. So uh, congratulations on the win, but I want to fast-forward just a little bit and go to the uh, the call-out because I'm sitting there, uh, waiting i said this before the fight oh I, i'm looking forward to seeing you know if he keeps up with the uh the colin mcgruber stuff as you did back in england and uh, you get the win and then i'm really excited and then you say that everyone knows who you're going to call out and you call out clown boy cerrone now we know you, you've you had your issues with them in the past but why didn't you stick on the conor mcgregor train
7: oh uh, you know i think that i uh made my point with the whole uh, mcgregor thing you know um I'll be glad to fight that guy any day, but I think that I just wanted to, you know, raise some people's eyebrows and, and get them thinking and not just, you know, uh, you know, buy on what this guy's selling, so to speak. You know, I, I think that, uh, you, I, again, you don't get to beat up a 20-year-old and now move to the front of the line and uh, talk trash on the, all these top 10 guys that work so hard to get where they're at and then... Just because, uh, you happen to be from a country where we're trying to get fans from now, you know, just because you're from there, you don't get to, uh, uh, fight Aldo for the title. You know what I'm saying? You gotta, you gotta step, you know, step in place in in your spot in the line and, uh, work your ass too. So, get where you need to go.
2: And, and and that is brilliant stuff, and I and I, and I love this kind. Of, and by the way, I mean, just on a side note. Where and, and you've you, you've talked before, and we'll get to the Cerrone stuff in a second. But you seem to be a lot more outspoken now. Where is this coming from?
7: Uh, you know, I think I just I've been seeing a lot of stuff that's been uh, bothering me in mixed martial arts, and you know, you know, there, there's two sides to uh, you know how I feel about MMA. There's uh, my personal career as a fighter but then there's how I feel as a fan. You know, I was a fan first, and I do care about this sport and, you know, martial arts in general. And I've been noticing a lot of things that have been rubbing me the wrong way into, you know, I feel it's been making the sport kind of um, decline. And, you know, I, w- I want to speak out about those things, and if nobody wants to listen to me, maybe there are others that people do want to listen to that can reciprocate you know what i'm saying if they feel the same way
2: and uh it'll get people thinking like what in particular
7: oh like you know what we talked about last time with mm-hmm. uh you know just how judging overall is uh affecting how fighters are fighting fights and how um coaches coaches are training their fighters to fight and how that's um how i feel is leading to the decline of martial arts in mixed martial arts um you know with uh doing enough to win rounds, uh, you know, to uh, affect the opinions of people that don't even know what they're watching.
2: Mm. Is that the only thing bothering you right now?
7: Oh, no. You know, the, the whole, uh, you know, McGregor, you know, <laughs> getting to the uh, front of the line, that, that, that bothers me. Right. You know, um, I don't like people, you know, coming into the UFC and, you know, the guy's got the, the whole Fighting Irish gimmick going on and, uh, you know, he jumps to the front of the line and a lot of people will you know i got some people on uh, twitter and stuff that were like you know shut up you gatekeeper bitch and i'm sitting there <laughs> thinking that's exactly what i'm saying like i earned my you know what i don't even think that that's like a bad thing to say i've worked my ass off you know i've had my my ups and my ups and downs in my career and if at that point i'm a gatekeeper you're damn right i'm a gatekeeper and i fucking earned that
8: mm. you know what i'm saying mm. so
7: let me do let me do my job and throw these guys like Conor McGregor in my way so we can find out just how good they are. Wow. You know, I never, anybody I ever called out, you know, is I don't call out no easy, easy people. I don't say nothing about guys that stylistically are made uh, for me to walk through. I call out hard guys to fight. I say, I say things against uh, guys that are going to push me to be a better fighter and step my game up. You don't see me calling people out that their styles match well with mine or some guys that, you know, are just easy for me to walk through.
2: And, and, and you bring up a great point. i never seen someone really embrace the role of, uh, of gatekeeper like you just did, but it's, it's, it's great stuff. And now I'm wondering why Cerrone now? Because for those who have been obviously following the sport for a long time, we know that you've gone back and forth with him. You've had your moments calling him out. He's called you out. You've talked about your issues. But why, why on Wednesday? Why was he, you know, at the tip of your tongue? Why did you feel the need to do it then again?
7: Well, honestly, I didn't even know he had a fight coming up this weekend until the other day. Uh, I had seen, um, you know, I checked the the UG all the time, and I had saw he had made a comment about um, dropping down to 145 pounds, and so I was like, perfect. Um, you know, we we had our b- our beef, you know, and it's n- it's not gone. You know, he just happened to be, you know, on the rise when he came in, so he got. You know, not that he didn't earn it, but he he got a quick run towards uh you know the the uh, lightweight rankings. You know what I'm saying? And I was on I was you know on, on a skid at the time, and I dropped down to featherweight and uh you know had a rough start at the beginning. So we weren't you know in anywhere uh, near each other to fight. But I but I said in in some interviews, you know, before my day's done here, you know, it's it's going to happen. So I really just wanted to throw that out there to uh, you know remind him and others, you know. It's not done yet, and if, you know, if he needed some motivation to come to 145, because you know, I didn't know if he was just considering it or if it was for sure going to happen, but you know, that,
2: that, that's on the table. What's the genesis of this feud? Where did it all start and why?
7: Honestly, I think it started when I fought Leonard, and uh, you know, I beat Leonard, but I had all the respect in the world for Leonard, and, and other people have, have uh, beat Leonard, and he didn't try to call them out. I honestly think that he thinks I'm a mark. That I'm just some, with some easy guy that he was gonna um, get over on, you know, and uh, and I was just some pushover that he could just have a, a easy fight with, but, you know, there might have been some guys that beat me, but I'm not an easy fight for anybody, um, so, and I'm not just gonna stand there while somebody, you know, talks about me like that, you know, we can fight, and we've had a couple, you know, we've jogged back and forth and had a couple close calls, you know, behind the scenes and things like that. But, uh, you know, we haven't been able to um, get in the cage. So when I saw that on, on the the underground where he uh, said in an interview that he was, you know, concerned dropping down to 145 pounds, I was like, hey, if you, if you just need a, a little bit of mo- motivation to cut that weight, uh, you know, here it is.
2: You fought Leonard in 2007. I'm surprised that this has lasted this long.
7: Well, I, what it comes down to, I think, is we just don't like each other. Right. And, uh you know, it, it, it's not going to matter. Uh, you know, if you respect somebody's fighter fighting style or not. You know, I I, I said it's going to happen. You know, and I, I stick to my word. So.
2: And it sounds like the UFC isn't all that keen on him going down to 145. Would you be interested in going back up to 155 to fight him?
7: Yeah, you know, or meet at 150 or something of that nature. You know, if I if I had known that, uh, that he wasn't going to come down, I wouldn't have even. Mentioned his name, you know what I'm saying? Mm. But, uh, but I thought that that was what was going on. And again, I didn't even know he had a fight coming up this weekend. So, but I, I think guess that's my bad for uh, no, honestly, for I, I actually thought,
2: I thought that you knew he had a fight and I thought it was brilliant because now you're going to be asked, uh, he's going to be asked about you all week long. I bet you more people are going to ask about you than his actual opponent this weekend.
7: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess it kind of worked out good like that too. But, um, you know, I I had not heard that he had a fight. So I was thinking this whole time maybe he was trying to do a test cut, you know, or maybe he's been working on it with a dietician or, you know, because it's been a while since we, we uh seen him in action. So I was thinking, man, I haven't heard anything about him having a fight. He must be, uh, you know, training hard and trying to do this test cut to see if he can make the weight, you know. Yeah. So that, that, that that was my train of thought.
2: <laughs> yeah, he's only fighting on, on uh, Fox, that small channel that no one gets.
4: Right.
2: <laughs> you need to check maybe the the schedules on the UG as well, and not just the the actual uh, the forms, which I know you you frequent um, quite often. So okay, so you got you got the win. It was a very impressive performance. The last two in a row had been supremely impressive. What's been the difference for you? I mean, you were coming off that controversial loss to Manny Gamburin. You had the win over Barb Pajewski, but in the last two, I mean, you could say one could make the case. And I'd love to get your take on this. The two most impressive wins of your ufc career like this stretch right now you maybe have have never looked better would you agree and and if so why is that
7: yeah i I would agree with that and thanks for noticing um i uh i've been working real hard and i I think that i can attribute it um primarily to my coaches um all collaborating i think that we're all on the same page now and the way that my uh, wrestling coach uh, Carmen Barzini's instructing me it blends in really well with the way my striking coach uh tell is uh, instructing me um, you know and I've been working with uh, my ground coach Marcos tomata for you know ever since I was a purple belt um, so we all, we've you know developed a real good you know um, synchronicity there but uh, you know I'd say that that's the thing is the coaches are all on the same page for how you um, how I need to be fighting and that's affecting how I'm being instructed as a fighter and my uh, understanding of MMA uh, and bringing all the skills together at the same time has just gotten better you know I've been doing this for 10 years now you do something long enough finally it'll click so um, you know I think I've shown before in the past that you know I I do have some good uh, stand up and striking and then I've also shown that I do have some good ground but I think the one thing that was not happening for me was mixing it all together in the fight and uh now i'm starting to do that now i'm starting to uh not just land good strikes but avoid strikes now i'm not just starting to um you know clinch with guys i'm getting takedowns and i'm stopping takedowns mm. and uh and i think that that's that's just you know in this past year like you said fighting um bar palaszewski ogle and Gambarian in 2013 and now starting my year off right with uh you know, Sam Cecilia, things are just finally starting to come together. You know, people talk about, I'm just starting, I'm just, I'm finally getting it, I feel like. You know, I felt like 2012, I started thinking, I, I, I've been doing this like nine years or something. I'm like, I don't feel I even know what I'm doing in here hmm. sometimes. And 2000, or like, I was like, I don't even think I know anything about MMA anymore. <laughs> it just, it just felt like that. I thought I was a, a student of the game and, and I knew, I probably knew a lot, you know, knew more than I was able to do. And then other times I'm just like, I don't think I know anything. And, you know, 2013, um, you know, I, I finally started getting that confidence back, and I, I finally feel like things are just starting to click.
2: I know you were embracing the, the gatekeeper role, but are you starting to think now that you can go on a run here for the title?
7: Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I know I'm a top ten featherweight. You know, when I'm talking about that gatekeeper Rolled, I'm I'm referring to my inconsistencies, you know, the two wins, one loss, two wins, one loss, two wins, one loss. I know if you, no one's going to argue um, that my skill set is not top 10. You can't tell me that with all the, the top 10 guys that I can't strike or I can't grapple or I can't fight with any of those guys. I feel like I'm like the dark horse. I feel like those guys, none of them, none of them want to fight me. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I think I think that I'm a I'm a contender. I think that I've, uh, like you said, I think that I showed some real good performances in in 2013, and and that this is the best that I've ever looked in my career. And that's what I want to I want to do next. I want to fight a top ten guy.
2: Why would you yell at uh, Dana White after the fight? And I believe you said to him, "I'm a top ten guy," right?
7: Yeah, I'm a top ten featherweight. You know, because I, I want him to know. You know, I don't. You know, this was my uh, 16th fight in the UFC, and I know that. Uh, Dana respects me. I know that Joe Silva and, and Sean Shelby and, uh, you know, Lorenzo and Frank, I know they respect me as a fighter, but I don't want to get overlooked for, um, for the next big thing. Mm. You know, I feel, like, I, th- I feel like I've always been kind of a late bloomer in life, you know. Um, so just because I've had 16 fights and I didn't win my uh, season ultimate fighter, I didn't even make it to the, uh, past the quarterfinals. And the guys that I've got six losses in the UFC and none of them were top 10 guys when I fought them, when I lost to them. But that doesn't mean that I can't keep going. You know, I'm, I'm a constant work in progress and I'm getting better every day. You've seen that in the past uh, three fights that I had in 2013. And this uh, this a uh, really solid start to, to 2014. And I don't think that, you know, I think that you could make the argument that I do belong in there with those guys based on those performances.
2: So so you tweeted that you did, in fact, uh, break your hand. Um, I'm wondering, A, which hand is it, just so we're clear? Um, when did it mm-hmm. happen, and how long will you be out for?
7: Uh, I broke my left hand. Okay. I broke it in the same um, spot that I broke my right hand uh, against uh, T.J. O'Brien in uh, 2011. It was it's the index finger, one of those metacarpals down by the index finger, uh, close to the thumb, um, in two and a half weeks, I have an appointment to get the cast removed and re-X-rayed to check to see how it's healing. Uh, basically, they said that right now we avoided the knife right off the bat because we want to see if it will try to heal on one piece, but basically it's like uh, eggshells in there right now. Wow. There's a, The fracture is not just one. It's broken off into multiple pieces, but they are close together, and none of them are... Um, displaced, you know what I'm saying? So they they said it is like eggshells in there, but let's wait three weeks and then re-X-ray. If it looks like it's starting to heal good, then we'll leave it alone. If it's not looking so hot, then we may have to uh, put a pin in or, you know, look look at something like that.
2: So right now you don't know exactly how long you'll be out for?
7: Correct. But what I'm guessing um, is I'm probably looking at a June fight time because I figure any kind of broken bone or surgery, unless it's um, a ligament tear, usually is eight weeks. And what that means is eight weeks, that's two months to heal, and then you usually need about a month or two months of training to get comfortable again, and then you need a two-month um, training camp mm. or eight-week training camp. So usually when I get an injury like this, a broken bone, or I have to have surgery that's uh, non-ligament in a knee or something like that, you're, you're, you're always looking at six months.
2: That could be around the time that uh, Mr. McGruber comes back. All right. You know. <laughs> In Ireland, you wouldn't mind, right?
7: I wouldn't mind at all. Let's take a trip.
2: Yeah, that, that would be uh, that would be something else. So, what are you going to do to you know pass the time now with a broken hand? Do you are you able to work out? Or are you just going to lay low?
7: Uh, I'm going to lay low for a little bit. That's what my doctor said to do. So, uh, but the moment that I'm I'm able to do any kind of physical therapy, um, I'm going to be doing it. I'm a I'm a working man. I like to work for the UFC. I like to fight as often as possible. You know, we talked about that before too, you know, all the way up until 2013, I've been fighting two times a year. And that wasn't the UFC's fault or my manager's fault. That was injuries all the time. I've had five surgeries since being in the UFC. It it sucks. Trust me, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh I like to work. I like to make money. I like to make people happy, you know, when they appreciate my fighting style. So, You know, the moment I can um, start doing some sort of rehab or something, I'll be doing it.
2: Awesome. Well, uh, heal up very soon. Another great performance. Again, congratulations on that. Another great post-fight interview. You threw me a curveball. I was expecting uh, McGregor. (laughs) You went Cerrone. You went old school on us, but uh, I I predict you'll be talked about a lot this week in Chicago as Cerrone does the interviews because a lot of people like to get excited about that stuff, including myself. So great job there. Uh, As I mentioned, heal up soon, and uh, we hope to see you back soon rather than later. It's always great. You're so honest. It's great to have you on the show. All right, Ariel. Thanks, man. There he is, Cole Miller, coming off a, uh, a big win this past Wednesday in Duluth, Georgia. Somewhat of a, a home game for him, and uh, once again, somewhat stealing the headlines with his uh, post-fight interview. Great stuff out of Cole Miller. Hopefully he uh, gets well soon. And again, I maintain that he could main event a show in Dublin against Con- uh, Conor McGregor, I was going to call him Colin, uh, Conor McGregor because of the, the back and forth that has happened between the two over the last few months since he called him out in London um, just a couple of months ago in uh, October, end of October. So great stuff there, and uh, hopefully he gets well very soon. All right, let's move along. Uh, um, <clears throat> excuse me, at uh, UFC 168, One of the big performances was Travis Brown with a massive, massive win over Josh Barnett. One minute KO via elbows, telling me after the fight that that was only the second time he had ever done that. The first time was when he KO'd Gabriel Gonzaga earlier in 2013, back in April. Travis Brown is on a roll, and then afterwards it came out that he, in fact, was somewhat of a free agent, didn't have a new deal with the UFC. They worked it out, and then they quickly announced that he'll be fighting in Orlando at UFC on Fox 11 in April against Fabricio Verdum with the winner fighting Cain Velasquez for the belt. A lot to talk about here, so let us welcome in Travis Hapa-Brown, the uh, the owner, as he knows by now, of one of the greatest beards in MMA right now. Travis, how are you? Good, man. Hey, Let me
9: stop you there real quick oh. and of playing magic by myself to a computer screen, this is what I'm doing right now. <laughs> That's Bishop Gorman wrestling uh, wrestling team right now. I'm putting in some work with Frank Meir, Ricky Lundell, and all the guys over here. So, wow. you know, we're, we're putting in work, uh, making changes to our game already.
2: Wow. Well done. Well done. Uh, so, I, I take it that you saw that interview last week. <laughs>
9: Yeah, I saw. I saw. Actually, my buddy told me about it, and then I I just started watching it for a little bit, and yeah, I, I watched some of it.
2: What do you think of what uh, Josh was saying? And uh, it, it just seemed like he wasn't giving you all that much credit. He he was talking about himself a lot, but never a tip of the cap to you, right?
9: Yeah, you know, um, and I, and I think that that just kind of defines. I feel like that defines him as a fighter, you know. And 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 he had these twelve steps and. All this other kind of kind of nonsense. When really there's only one step, one thing that you really need to do in this sport, and there, it's the golden freaking rule, and that is make no excuses.
8: Mm.
9: That is it. If you make no excuses, there's nothing holding you back. People beat themselves in this sport. On that night, on any night, I'm the better fighter, and I and I 100 percent believe that of myself and that's why i went out there and did what nobody else has done in such a short amount of time to a fighter like josh barnett
2: you feel i mean josh is is one thing and sometimes fighters are like that but do you feel like you're getting the respect that you deserve now
9: uh you know that's that's the thing is, is i think people get worried about that like and i and i and i think i even told told you this mm-hmm. maybe in one of our talks is that is that that's something that i wanted when I, was, when I was really young in the sport, when I first got into UFC, people would say, well, you know, what do you think? I said, I, 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 I want to feel like I belong. I, wanna, I want people to understand that I belong here in the sport. At this point in my career, I don't, I don't care if people think I belong or not because I'm knocking people out. My performance is speaking for itself. My, the respect that I get is going to be earned. You know what I mean? And that's the way I look at it. That's just a byproduct. The respect is a byproduct of the, of the performances that you put on.
2: So, when you hear Josh not give you that credit, do you just, again, do you just chalk that up to Josh? Or do you feel like, all right, I mean, like, at this point, does it not go through your mind? Like, what do I have to do to start, you know, getting some credit around here?
9: Yeah, you know, the, that to me is, uh, again, it's the, it's, the same, it's, it's the same kind of thing. You know, I, I feel like um, he's, an, he's an entertainer before he's a fighter, you know, and I, and I think he has that personality. And I think that and guys that I fought before, they give me respect because they understand. They understand once we get in the cage, once we leave the cage, that, you know I mean, how the the kind of athlete that I am. And so I get that respect. I don't really care if I get it from Josh. But, um, you know, I think that's more just that's his personality. Uh, and I honestly feel like that's one reason why he failed that night, why hmm. he came
2: up short. You know, after the fact it came out that uh you were working on a new contract. You didn't have a new deal going into the fight. Why was that? Typically a guy in your position, the UFC likes to sign him to that long-term deal before the fight. Why why did you uh kind of roll the dice and uh, wait till after the fight?
9: Um because uh because it was uh it was something that it was an option that was kind of given to us, you know. It was something where it's like you know, we see these guys like Roy Nelson who roll the dice, and and they go out there and they say, "Oh, you know, you guys are going to be, you know, eating your words when I come out here with a win, and then I'm a free agent." But at the end of the day, you know, that was an option that we that that we took, and and um and uh, you know, it, it paid out for us. Me and my team are very confident in my ability, um, especially knowing that we're going to fight Barnett next. Um, you know, that's that, that was a gamble that we were willing to take, and, and um, it definitely paid off.
2: Um, based on the story that Dana White said last week, it sounded like you couldn't really meet eye-to-eye eye in terms of how much you were worth. So you rolled the dice, and uh, a- after the fact, they were like, all right, let's talk and, and give you what you deserve. Are you happy with what you got now? Very
9: much so. Very much so. And, you know, and, and even, you know, I'm going to be constantly proving myself. That's part of this sport. And so, um, you know, like, like Dana said, it, it just couldn't, couldn't really see eye to eye. And so we took that gamble. We took that shot. We, we, you know, we came out, um, you know, in, in our favor and, and the UFC has backed me a hundred percent. Um, you know, they, they understand and, and they've been great throughout this entire process. I mean, we got a, we got a contract signed so quick, you know what I mean? So, um, you know, there's no there's no real battling, nothing really going on. They, You know, we, we took an offer that they gave us, and, and it worked out great. You know, the UFC, like I said, has always been there to support me, and they know, they see the talent that I have, and they see how hard I work, and, you know, they're
2: willing to pay for that. Did it bother you going into the fight that they didn't quite see that worth right away?
9: No, not at all. I mean, I, in my entire life, I've always been... That underdog. I've always had to prove myself. That's the story of my life. You know, nothing, nothing has ever been handed to me. I've never, you know, and, and when it was handed to me, I didn't accept it. I want to work for something. I want to earn something. Um, instead of just be given something that to me, it makes it so much sweeter when you earn something. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I would never want the past that I've, that I have had in the UFC. Um, you know, I would not never want anything less. I don't want one fight and then fight for the title. Because I, I don't feel like you'd earn it that way. I feel like the way that I fought, the, the people that I fought, I've earned it. And so when I go and I fight for Doom next for a number one uh, contender spot, I'm going to earn that spot. And when I fight for the title, I'm going to earn that spot. But I'm going to earn that title. You know what I mean? And that to me is, is much sweeter, you know, earned than given.
2: How much, how much longer after the Barnett fight did they approach you again to offer you the new deal? Just curious about the timeline
8: uh
9: it was it was pretty much right away I mean um when I got back to California, I think it was on Monday, um you know uh, you know I was kind of I was a little emotional I posted something you know where I got home and you know did this big Christmas for my kids and stuff, and I said, you know thank you Dana white thank you u f c you know you guys have been able to you know help me make this make this possible for my kids and um you know there was a point in my life in my career. Well, I had less than 100 dollars to spend on both my kids for Christmas. Wow. And, and that was and I remember my, telling myself, I remember telling my best friend, I said, "This will never happen again. I will not let this happen. I mean, a hundred dollars for two kids for a family, for me to spend on my family and friends and everybody, you know what I mean? And, and you know, for me to be able to provide for my kids like I am now is, a, is really a dream come true.
2: How long ago was that? And so, oh,
9: and so, and, so, and so he actually okay. called me. He actually called me. I'm sorry. I'll finish it real quick. He yeah. actually called me on the 30th and was like, hey, man, we're, we're just so happy to have you here. You know, we're going to be working on a deal. Enjoy your, enjoy your vacation. Enjoy your holidays. You know, all this kind of stuff. And uh, we'll be in touch, uh, you know, very soon. And, and they were in touch within that week.
2: How long ago was that when you only had the $100? Uh, 2009,
9: 2010, probably.
2: Wow. So not that long ago. No, you, not that long at all. You were an MMA fighter.
9: Uh, I was fighting for the smaller shows and and you know, stuff like that. But yeah, I was. Uh, you know, people see, you know what what they see now, but they don't. They choose to not see what it took to get here. You know, I'm, I mean, just to be an MMA fighter, I went over fifty thousand dollars in debt. Yeah, you know I mean, just to my management really they supported me. They they took the reins. They really helped me. They saw what you know, something worth investing in and they invested in it and, and it's paid off for them. You know, Um I, in 2010, I had my truck. Reboot, you know what I mean? And there, there's been so much stuff that I have so much, just crap that I've had to go through to get to this point, you know? And, and uh, like I said, man, you know, I would rather earn it than somebody handing it to me. And, and that's why I had to go through hell. I've, I've been where other people um have been and, and I can, I can understand where they're coming from, but I won't, I won't, uh, I won't, like, uh, you know, I'm tough on those kind of people because I was tough on myself in those situations. And you always have doors that are open for you, but you have to take advantage of them once you're there.
2: So in 2010, you were a 9-0 and heavyweight uh, going into the UFC, and you won your UFC debut. So around that time, you, you weren't, you weren't, you know, playing with much. You didn't have a lot to your name, right?
9: Not at all. I had... I right before my first fight with uh, McSweeney, mm-hmm. um, that's when I had my, that's when I had my truck repoed. Wow. I was um, just kind of, you know, living, you know, living where I could at the time. I think I had a, at a very small place, um, you know, and I, and I was always late on the rent. I think finally, by the time I moved out of that place, I had, I, I think like $1,300 worth of late, late payment bills because I paid the, the rent late. You know what I mean? So it was just, yeah, it was it was one thing after another at that point in my life, and it, it was very difficult. Um, but like I said, I, I made it through. I, you know, no, I didn't want people feeling sorry for me then. I don't want people sorry feeling sorry for me now. Um, you know, you can do it if you uh, put your mind to it.
2: Did you ever think, you know, say, "I'm not just I'm not, I'm not making enough money here"? Did you ever think about quitting?
9: Um, you know, uh, the I think the one characteristic that I have is once I make up my mind that I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it until I'm either successful or I literally have no other option. And, and that, that was, I had already made that mindset, um, signing with the UFC, understanding that, yes, we're going to go through tough times. I did not think they're going to be that tough, but we went through really tough times. Um, but I knew that I would not give up what I wanted. I, I would not, let that beat me, you know. I, I'm not gonna let that beat me. I'm gonna beat. I'm gonna beat it. If somebody else can do this, I can do it, and I can be successful at doing it. That's my outlook on everything that I do in life. You know, being a father, being a fighter, being just a just a man in general. If there's somebody that can do it, I can do it, and I can do it better. And you know that that's how I live my life.
2: You know, I remember talking to you for the first time at UFC 120 in uh, in London in October of 2010. And uh, that was the time that you fought to a draw against Czech Congo. The, the only real blemish on your record. You were very emotional after that fight. Is this why you were that emotional? Was there so much pressure on you to go on a streak? And did you feel like that was going to set you back?
9: You know, it, it, I didn't feel the pressure because of a streak or, or wins or losses or, or anything like that, you know. Um, I felt the pressure because... I didn't perform to my best ability, I, and, I, and I also knew that, you know, at that time, that was the difference. I made $8,000 for that fight. It was a difference between $8,000 and sixteen. and at that point, $8,000 in my life was such a big difference
8: to me. Mm. You
9: know what I mean? It, it, it made such a big difference, and I think, you know, my management, I, it was 2010, the Christmas 2010, because my management ended up sending out presents for my kids because I couldn't really get them anything.
2: Wow. And then now and I, I follow you on Twitter and everything. I saw you had a massive uh Christmas um kind of late Christmas if you will with your family and I believe correct yeah. me, it, it was like 808, right? Wasn't the number 808 the the amount that you bought? Yeah,
9: was, yeah was 808. That's also the aerial code right. for Hawaii, so I had to post that.
2: So, yeah, that, that's that's yeah, an amazing was, thing.
9: Yeah, I mean I mean 3 years later, you know, it, it's it, it's changed so drastically and um you know, that's just, I'm just so happy that I'm able to do that for my family.
2: I notice, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, um, because obviously I wasn't around, for, you know, uh, your first fight, but you, I noticed you bring up your children a lot, and, and you get emotional, and you talk about them a lot, and they talk about it in the countdown shows. In the last, like, year or so, you really mention your, your two boys a lot. Is, is that, I mean, is there a specific reason for why you keep doing that?
9: Yeah, because, uh, you know, I... I've I've kind of touched base on before. Is everybody has what that motivation that's going to take them to that next level? Everybody has it. Some people just haven't found it yet, and maybe some people won't won't recognize it. But for me, like I said, I like, I had $100, less than a hundred dollars in 2010 to spend on Christmas, and now I'm able to provide for them. I'm able to to do more than that, you know, and um and and for me that has been you know, the driving force for the last two years, um, for my success, for my, for my willingness to work as hard as I do. You know, I, I've had to take myself out of San Diego and do my camps because I know myself good enough and, and accepting that, you know, I am a father first and I will never say otherwise. And so with that being said, it's hard for me to be a father and the level fighter that I am now all in the same day. For me, I have to, I have to separate those, those two. So when I do my camps now, I'm in Albuquerque. I'm away from my friends. I'm away from my family. I'm away from my two boys, and, and that kills me. But that drives me to work as hard as I do because I have, what I said earlier in this interview, I have no excuses. Mm. I have nothing holding me back. There's no reason for me to not put in the work that I need to put in in order to be successful. You know what I mean? So I have no excuses. If there's a man that beats me right now, there there is not an excuse. You are the better man and I will, and I have no problem admitting that. The night that I fought Bigfoot, he was the better man. He beat me that night. And and that's and you know, no excuses that you cannot have them in this sport. Otherwise, you'll get hurt.
2: Just two more minutes left with Travis Brown. Incredible stuff. Thank you so much for the time. And I, and I should mention, I did say that the the Czech-Congo fight was your lone blemish. I forget. You know, it's amazing because it, it's hard to really say that uh, the Bigfoot fight was a loss. But, you you know, it is counted as one. We don't want to take anything away from him. But it was announced uh, last week that UFC on Fox 11, uh, it's you versus uh, Fabricio Verdum. It's a huge fight. Kind of unclear as to whether or not it's the main event. And uh, that's important because, you know, we'll determine whether or not it's a three-round or five-round fight. Do you know right now? Is it the main event?
9: I don't know. Actually, I, I've you know I just I looked on SureDog and it's me and Verdum as the main event. So, you know the the thing is though, is at this point, um, if I do what I'm supposed to be doing, I need to be training for five round fights every single time. Right. So there's you know that's what I'm training for. That's what we're getting ready for. Um, you know, and I welcome it. I'm I'm ready for it. I've trained for one when I fought Bigfoot and it was hellacious. I mean, the training for a five round fight that goes into it. I mean, people don't understand that 10 minutes more in a fight equals, you know, hours and hours and hours of extra training that you have to do because you have to get your body ready for 10 rounds or for, for five rounds. Right. But, you know, you'd doing about 10 rounds to get ready for those five rounds. You know what I mean? So you're doubling up on your, on your practices almost.
2: Uh, you fought some big guys as of late, you know, tough guys, Silva, Gonzaga, Overeem, of course, Barnett. Where do you put Verdum? I mean, do you think he is the best guy, the toughest guy that you have faced thus far?
9: Yeah, I mean, you know, he's he's the next guy in line, man. And, you know, I build these guys up to be monsters in my mind. Um, you know, I, I've even dreamt about them beating me. And, and I told the, you know, I, was, I have a mental coach, and he was like, you know, Um, you always, no matter what you do in these practices, in these mental coaching and all this kind of stuff, you always want to picture yourself coming out on top. Well, there's been times where I'm dreaming and I wake up with the feeling of a disappointment that, that I've just lost to to that person. And I've dreamt about these guys beating me. and, And when I do that, I think that already, that, that gives me more motivation to go out the next day, the next week, and even work that much harder. So I never feel that feeling again.
2: It's I can feel the confidence oozing out of you right now. It's it's amazing to to talk to you. You 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 know you say it, but it feels like you are on top of the world. It's a great thing. I love it.
9: Yeah, and I'm and, and I'm not there yet. All I'm right. still working. I'm at the bottom, working my way up. That's the way I look at it.
2: And you're in Vegas right now. You said
9: I'm in Vegas right now. I'm I'm working with Frank and uh, and Ricky Lindell. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just coming out here, getting some wrestling in, getting uh, you know, just just always improving my game. This, this is what you know getting up to that next level and having that that little bit extra income you know if you're investing yourself then then nothing nothing's going to be there to stop me
8: there's no excuses right
2: well, good luck, Travis. First off, uh, you know, congratulations on the win. We, we told you that when I, when I saw you in uh, Las Vegas. Congratulations on the new contract. Yeah. That's very exciting. Thank and uh, congratulations on getting that big fight. Good luck. I'm sure I'll talk to you before then, but uh, it's great to hear a little more about you and uh, the road that you have uh, taken to get here because uh, that, that is an amazing story and you deserve everything that you are receiving right now. So enjoy it and uh, enjoy the time out in Vegas with the training and, and all that stuff. And good luck as you prepare for right now, the biggest fight of your career.
9: Thank you, man. I really appreciate you having me on. Thanks uh, for giving
2: me time. Pleasure. There he is. The uh, the man who will be facing Fabricio Doom, April the 19th. The UFC returns to uh, Florida. And that's interesting because uh, just uh, well, less than two years ago, the UFC had an event in uh, South Florida. This time it's around Central Florida, but around South Florida, um, it was headlined by Demetrius Johnson versus Ian McCall and uh, Dana White said afterwards that he didn't know if uh, they'd return anytime soon. The attendance wasn't great. It was a Friday night. It wasn't the biggest card of all time. It was a fight night. The co-main event was um, it was uh, Charlie Brenneman versus Eric Silva, so it wasn't the greatest fight of all time, but that being said, uh, the, the, here they are two, two years later, less than two years later, and Um, They're coming back with a huge card. Uh, They've got, as I mentioned, April 19th, Travis Brown versus Fabricio Verdum. We don't even know if that's the main event yet. Also, Liz Carmouche versus Misha Tate. So that is what has been announced thus far, and that is taking place at the, uh, what is that arena? It's the Amway Center or something like that. It's where the Orlando Magic play. What is it called? The Amway Center. Amway Center in Orlando. They return to Central Florida, I believe. It's the first time that the UFC has ever held an event in Orlando, Florida. So that's UFC on Fox 11. The UFC returns uh, UFC on Fox 10 this Saturday. So good timing there, and congratulations once again to Travis Brown for getting that big contract. Now, uh, in a minute, we're going to be joined by Uriah Faber. We're trying to track him down. Talking to his people, being elusive. Key main events UFC 169 in uh, less than two weeks. It's in Newark, New Jersey. And, uh, of course, you know, we had Eric Del Fiero on the show last week. It was supposed to be Dominic Cruz versus Henniburau, title unification bout. And, unfortunately, Dominic Cruz uh, suffered a a groin tear, so he had to pull out of the fight and uh, enter Uriah Faber, who steps up on short notice. He defeated Michael McDonald. Um, what was it, around a month ago in Sacramento. So he is uh, ready and willing, and he steps up and gets another crack at Henan Henneborough, who he fought at UFC 149. It's not really being promoted all that much that they fought once way back when. But he did fight at UFC, uh, he did fight him at UFC 149, lost a a tough one, a fight that somewhat um, resembled to a degree the Jose Aldo fight. But he is getting another crack. And what's most interesting, in my opinion, about this is that for a long time, a lot of people like myself were wondering if Uriah would get another shot at the title. And when this was announced, no one even questioned it. This was the number one guy to get that shot. No one deserved it more than him. No one said that he was getting too many, none of that stuff. Uriah Faber deserves this shot at Hen and it's great that he's getting it right across the river here in uh, Newark, New Jersey, and he joins us right now via the magic of Skype. There he is, the one and only California kid. I hope you have a lot of those sweatshirts because it's very cold over here.
1: Uh, yeah, I've got quite a few in. Unfortunately, we're going to be leaving California when it's 70 degrees. This has been like the, the warmest winter in a while. So going into the cold. Yeah, it's part of the part of the U.S. Right, No bueno.
2: Well, I don't feel too bad for you because you are getting a shot at the UFC bantamweight title. I'm wondering when you got that call, tell us about the whole thing. You got the call, your reaction. How did it happen? I'm fascinated by this.
1: I was actually in a meeting for this new company that I'm a part of called... The memory tag.
2: Another new and, company. Uh, How many companies do you have? Well, this is
1: somebody's company that I was brought in on. It's a really cool concept. So, um, you know, we just did a test run out in Hawaii. It's, it's like videos that you can put on postcards and greeting cards and stuff like that. And you can just activate them with an app on your phone. It's wow. Pretty sweet. So I'm actually in a meeting. And when Dana calls, you stop whatever you're doing. <laughs> so I had to excuse myself. And I figured it was good news. It was, it was on a Sunday. And um, Dana's like, here's the situation. Dominic is, you know, screaming. He's really hurt himself. He's going to the hospital right now. He's out. We're 90% sure. Are you ready to step in and, in three and a half weeks? And I was like, man, you know, not the ideal situation, but I'm not one to step away from an opportunity. You don't know how this world is going to pan out. And, and so when you get a big opportunity like this, you have to step up and take it. And, and so it took me a couple of seconds to, to just say, yep, let's do it. And, um, you know, it was, a, it was kind of a surreal moment. And I immediately stepped on a scale and saw where I was, you know, where I was sitting and, and just figured, all right, let's do this thing.
2: How much did you weigh?
1: I weighed about 157.
2: Is that normal for you?
1: Yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, right now I'm sitting uh, this morning. I was about 152, 153.
2: So So. you you mentioned it's not an ideal situation, but in a weird way, is it kind of good because you're coming off a win? It wasn't too long ago. You don't have to overthink it. You fought this guy already um, and you just kind of go in there and you work off instincts. I mean, sometimes when you don't have too long of a break, it sometimes it, it turns out to be a good thing, right?
1: I think so. You know, and I, and I, and I think that, uh, you know, the, the break that I did take wasn't a crazy wild break. I went to Mexico. I was in the ocean, you know, for hours at a time each day. And um, it was a real active rest. And, um, you know, I actually had a terrible camp going into the Michael McDonald fight. I had about three different things that went really wrong in that, in that camp and was forced to to have kind of a peaking process that was a little bit prolonged. I hurt my neck, I hurt my you know, I had eleven stitches in my forehead, I had eight stitches in my chin. It was just a bunch of crappy things that happened. So I was actually really rested and felt good, you know, the, the two weeks after that fight. So, um you know, but I don't look at these opportunities. I'm not like a lot of the media is like, Oh, this is the last chance, this is this chance, this is that chance, you know. I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't believe in any of that. You know, I'm, I'm about taking every opportunity you get. It's about the journey, not the destination. And I'm going to capitalize and seize this big opportunity and become a world champion, man.
2: You talking about these uh, these bumps and bruises makes your win over McDonald even that more impressive. And I wasn't sure if that was even possible because that was one of your best wins. Were you ever close to uh, pulling out of the fight?
1: Um, well, I, I hurt my neck one day in practice, and I did go you know, scanned and looked at, I thought I might have a small fracture, but, um, you know, as soon as they said it wasn't fractured, I realized it was just, you know, nerves and it was no big deal. Then I, uh, it, you know, I, I never thought about pulling out. No, was, you know, when something happens right away, you don't know how fast it's going to get, you know, it's going to start feeling better. And, and the neck started feeling pretty good, pretty quick.
2: How's the neck right now?
1: It's great. I think it's good, man. I, no I, problems uh, at all? You no. Know, no, not at all
2: that's great um as yeah. as you prepare for this, as I mentioned, you fought him already. Do you even look at that first fight against Burrell?
1: yeah i'll I'll watch it a little bit uh but I know exact. I knew right after the fight what what issues I was having with him and um you know i so I've, I've been working on things, and I talked to Dominic about it i mean I, not to Dominic <laughs> to uh dwayne about it okay uh, and uh you know, I, I basically have just to be a different fighter. And, and I, I, I think the biggest difference between that first fight and this fight is all within my head. It has nothing to do with, um, with anything else about what I learned from Brow or this or that. It's, it all has to do with me. And that's a good feeling because uh, I was in a, in a very excited spot for that last fight when, when Brow and I fought. I mean, I, I don't think anyone knew who he was. He was an extremely tough fighter um, you know I, I lost out on some big opportunities to even be put in that situation, and so the morale was not high and I tried to ignore that, but it it was hard
2: and I, of course you were you were moved you were going to be on the july fourth card you moved to uh calgary, so you were kind of- de- it was hard for you to get up for the fight right
1: it was it was for a lot of different reasons, yeah.
2: And you're not one who uh, usually, um, you know, is, is lacking confidence or, you know, you, you seem always very excited for fights. Was that like the the least excited you had been for a fight in a very long time?
1: Yeah, probably the least excited I've ever been for a really? fight.
2: Really? Wow. And you were still yeah. fighting for a belt, though.
1: Yeah, I don't know why. I mean, there's a lot more to it than, than why don't I you care tell to really us? get into. <laughs> that I really care to get into. <laughs> okay. But, um, you know, it was it was it was at the end of, uh, you know, a rough year for me with my sister and right. um, some other things with my, my family that were, you know, kind of a burden that I was helping out with. And so I was looking forward to after my big fight in July 4th, being able to contribute a little bit more to my family. Um, the monetary value of my fight changed dramatically. And, uh, the, the, the size of the the size and the meaning of the fight was so much different. You know, I, I had built four months not fighting to, to be on this the biggest card of the year to, you know, fighting Dominic Cruz on in, in Las Vegas, and then it kind of just pulled me out and put me on this other card that no one really cared about. And it really, you know, the supporting cast was not there for that fight as well, and it was a pay-per-view, and... Um, And I realized after that fight, I can't even think about that. I just have to have an attitude of gratitude, not miss opportunities. And that's what 2013 was all about. And that was the biggest difference with the rest of my fights that you've seen since then and the one that you're going to see on February 1st.
2: Of course, this opportunity comes at Dominic's expense. Uh, You know, unfortunate news that he had to pull out. I know you've had your history with him. Do you feel for the guy? I do.
1: Yeah, it's unfortunate. You know, I, I... i mean i don't wish any harm on that guy at all I, I as far as who you know our relationship it's kind of a weird one you know we, we we actually have some some communication at times and our cordial to each other but don't really like each other very much so um it's it's a competitive thing though i, I still want to fight the guy and he wants to fight me and you don't wish that on anyone
2: did you reach out to him after you heard this news
1: He and I have he and I had a conversation. Really? Yeah. Who reached out to who? He actually uh, he actually texted me first, but I've I've communicated with him before. We were forced. I don't know if you know this story. Yes. But we were forced to work as a team together before our last fight. It was the most bizarre thing ever, and uh, it was like a mishap by the UFC PR. They had hired some new people, and and next thing I know, me, Phil Davis, Rich Franklin, and Dominic Cruz are going to meet some some U.S. troops uh, for the Marines, and, and um, you know, little did we know we were spo- we were doing a team building thing where uh, they basically put us through hell for eight plus hours going through the crucible in, in San Diego, California. We were forced to problem solve. <laughs> and uh worked as a team to to do all sorts of stuff and like, you know, had to be put in front of plaques and members of the US military that had died and and then do like strenuous competitions and it was crazy man and we kinda got thrown into it so we had to we were forced to get to know each other a little bit there so we know each other and things kinda were a little better for for a second there and then uh and then uh and then, as soon as we split apart, the animosity grew again. So, um, but we we've had to communicate throughout the, throughout the throughout the years.
2: But I am fascinated. I thought
1: you'd know that. I thought you'd know that because I know you said you love my book. Uh,
2: by the I way, I I did I did know that you mentioned it in the post-fight press conference after the second fight. But I wanted to let you tell the story for those that weren't there. You mentioned this many years ago, how you thought after the second fight at the post fight press conference in Las Vegas, you you insinuated that the rivalry wasn't as heated as uh, as it once was because you said that you know you had to go through this thing with the Marines and you, you kind of got grew, grew to like the guy a little bit, right?
1: We, we for for a very short period of time, yeah. We, we I mean I wouldn't say we like were best of friends or anything, but uh, but we at least communicated for the first time. <laughs> you know yeah so, but don't I mean, don't had, try to
2: discredit it, me. I know everything respect. about you
1: there's some mutual respect there,
2: but I'm fascinated by this uh this uh, story that you you tell of him reaching out to you. What did he say to you?
1: He just said uh you know that he was pretty heartbroken by all of his his uh injuries, and that you know i I've, I've had a great year. And he'll be back. May the best man win.
2: Wow. Were you surprised by that?
1: No, not really. I was going to reach out to him also. He just did it first. And I said, I said, heal up so we can fight, man. And he said, yeah, I will.
2: That's very interesting because he hasn't talked to, to anyone, as you know. So publicly, this is kind of like the first thing we hear um, from Dominic. And uh, I think it says a lot about him that he would reach out to you like that. Um, all right. So this fight is in, is in less than two no, weeks. Oh, he, go ahead.
1: He, he, actually, he actually reached out to me before the last time he got injured too. Really? In person in Las Vegas. Uh, we had a, a discussion too. So, I mean, here's the deal. He and I really want to fight each other. And... It, it, it sucks for, for both of us to have to put this thing off. So hopefully, the way it goes down, he heals up, I beat Burrell, and we fight.
2: Have you noticed that none of your uh, friends in the media have been talking about, you know, going to the 149 fight, it, it was all about last chance this, you know, all that stuff, does he deserve it? That hasn't come up at all. Have you noticed that? And, and what does that say about you at this point in your career? I think it says a lot.
1: Yeah, I haven't really noticed it because, and I didn't notice it back then either as much unless it was like directly asked to me, Right, which you were one of the only guys that were like directly asking me that and like harping on the, the, the conversation. And, and, you know, I, I give guys a hard time for, for you know, looking at things and, and saying stuff like that, but you just forget that no one really knows what's inside you as a human being. No one really knows what you 're made of and what you' what goes on in your own head and and to assume that other people can get an insider insider's view or, or know who you are is just kind of ridiculous so of course you know <clears throat> you know there's there's a lot of the history that that are not excuses but an explanation for me in my own mind of of uh some of the wins and losses that i've had in, in big fights but um you know I got into this sport as a hundred and forty eight pound guy who didn't have an opportunity to fight at the hundred and thirty five pound weight class uh in in two thousand and three you know I had to fight one hundred and fifty fives and I had to make a stand and say I'm only going to fight one forty fives and then um I was forced to stay at one forty fives for a long time because I was the world champion there and and like I said, I'll never pass up a great opportunity and and so uh you know, I've had some tough fights, broken hands, battered legs, all this kind of stuff. But my only losses have been in title fights, but 80% of my fights have been in title fights. I was a world champion for many years, and uh, it's not like I have trouble in title fights. Mm. I've just fought some tough guys and had some things that have not ever gone my way here and there.
2: Where would you rank this current stretch? W- would you say this is the best stretch of your career?
1: Yeah, I'm not really good at sitting back and smelling the roses and looking at stuff like that. Um, I know after my first loss against Tyson Griffin in 2005, I, I fought seven times in 13 months. I went seven and zero. That was a pretty good stretch. Um, you know, I, I have to take a be- take a look when I'm all said and done. I'm not mm. done yet though.
2: Uh, you you take a step back. What do you think about you know right now? Is he better today than he was when he fought you at one forty nine?
1: I would say he's he's definitely better. I mean, I haven't seen like things that he's doing tremendously different, but he's getting more more confidence, more experience. Uh, he's the type of guy. He's a world champion, man. He really is a world champion. So um, being a, a guy that has that mentality and continues to train and get better, he has to have improved a little bit, or else it's gotten worse, and uh, you know, no one's beat him, so I'd say he's getting better.
2: Biggest key to defeating him? Because right now in the UFC, he looks pretty much unbeatable.
1: I think the biggest key to, to beating him is not letting him control the, control the fight, and the, the speed and the distance of the fight. He did a really great job last time of, of controlling the, the pace, Of the fight. He was able to slow me down, who was a a fast paced fighter, and he was able to control the distance with with his reach and and his weapons. So I need to get past that and make sure that I implement my game plan at my speed.
2: And here's the big question Will Rosie O'Donnell be in attendance on February 1st?
1: Of course, Rosie will be in attendance. And I think she's bringing her son, who's actually a wanting to get into MMA a little bit himself. He's a tough kid. And uh, she's hooking me up with the, the lady that's going to do the cornrows. Oh, wow. My hair is long. And, yeah, Rosie's been a big supporter, and I'm, I'm super fortunate because she's a cool chick.
2: You know, I, I, I believe in this weird kind of stuff, not saying anything, not making any predictions, but it just feels, you know, it's a Super Bowl weekend. It's close to New York. It's a big stage. It's pay-per-view. Something's in the air here. Short notice. I'm feeling something weird. I don't know. I don't know about you. I don't know if you look at those stuff, at that kind of stuff, or look at the stars or, well, there aren't any stars here in New York, maybe in California, but you know what I'm trying to say. (laughs) Something seems up here as far as your story and how this whole thing unfolds.
1: Yeah, you know I'm, I'm, I'm looking to win, and uh, if that's part of the story you're talking about, then I think you're right.
2: <laughs> well, I look forward to seeing you here. Again, bring the warm clothes. If you need any tips on uh, what to wear, let me know. We'll talk offline. But congratulations on getting the fight, first and foremost, and good luck in the fight. Good luck in the last week or so as you prepare for it. Can't wait for it.
1: You got it, brother. You must have a lot of fighters that back out or, or flake on your show. This <laughs> is the most reminders I've ever had from you. Leading up to an interview. Have you been getting flaked on a lot lately, Ariel? No. Actually, in fact, I decided
2: to just remind the heck out of people so that they don't flake on me because I hate promoting that someone's going to be on – and then they don't show up. So in fact, we're on like a two-year streak of no one backing out, and you were the featured guest. You had the big picture, so you can't back out. So that's why maybe I I sent you maybe one or two extra texts, but I'd like to hear from you. I I, I use this as an opportunity to interact, and I just use the show. Yeah, we had some good
1: interactions. I won't mention all the the details, but let me say this. Yes. That's why you're the best, buddy. Thank you. Perfectionist, making sure that everyone's uh, on point Crossing your T's, dotting your eyes, Ariel <laughs> Helwani, baby.
2: Thank you very much, and my report, mom says. Are you up
1: for report of the year?
2: I am. Yes, I am.
1: Have you ever lost that? I have not. Wow. Are you I voting for me? You. Are you voting for me? I hope I didn't jinx you. I haven't voted yet, but I need to get on it. All
2: right. Well, maybe we'll win back. at around the same time.
1: Maybe. How about that? <laughs> all right. My mom- thanks again for all the reminders, dude. I'd <laughs> my- have been on this ball without all the reminders.
2: Hey. My mom says good luck to you. She wishes you the best in this fight. She is watching right now. She might be a bigger fan than Rosie O'Donnell. And uh, don't mention about the reminders. The next time you're on, I'll send double the amount. <laughs>
1: oh, great. All right. <laughs> Thank uh, you, Ryan. Man, I saw a cute picture of him. Thank you. Have I, a good pre-
2: one. I appreciate it. There he is, the one and only the California kid. He returns to action in a matter of days. UFC 169, February 1st in Newark, New Jersey, a huge fight against Hannon Burrell for not the interim title. The real UFC bantamweight title. It goes down at the Prudential Center. Very excited about that. Why? Most importantly, I don't have to travel. I don't have to go on a plane to the fight. I'm very excited about that. Thank you very much to the Super Bowl for coming to these parts and uh, the UFC moving that fight card from Las Vegas to New Jersey. Okay, let's go to our next guest. His name is Glenn Robinson. He is the CEO of Authentic Sports Management. You might not have heard of that name because you probably hear of the other name they go by, the Black Zillions, and they are on a roll. They're doing great things. It's been one of the great stories in MMA, their turnaround, and for a long time I've wanted to have Glenn Robinson on the show to talk about that turnaround and the team itself. So happy he's on the show right now. Glenn, how are you?
10: Good. Good. Thanks for having me
2: on. Okay. First things first. Let's get the the business out of the way. Uh, one of your your your, your prized uh, members of your team, Anthony Johnson, had a fantastic performance on Saturday at WSOF. Number eight. Is yeah, he going he to well. resign with uh, with World Series of Fighting?
10: Well, I mean, you know, the World Series of Fighting has be good to him, and he has. Uh, we're going to sit down and talk to them first. Ray and Holly and everyone over there have been really nice to him, so we're going to sit down and talk to them first and see what the offers and go from there. I mean, uh, what he wants to do now is relax for a few weeks, and then we'll meet with uh, World Series of Fighting, see what, see what they put on the table, and uh, see if we can work something out. And uh, hopefully we can, and if we can, we'll see what else is out there for him.
2: Has the UFC expressed any interest in him?
10: Yeah, I didn't feel it was really appropriate to, to really do anything... To, since World Series design been good to him, I didn't really feel it's appropriate to approach anyone or discuss anything in uh, any kind of way until uh until his contract was up and we we want to give the first shot to them to talk to them
2: okay, so there's a chance he may resign with him because the uh the sort of easy pick i mean it, it seems like a natural the uFC needs 205ers, he's looking very good as of late knocking guys out. It would seem like he would want to go back to the UFC, but you're saying there's a chance here.
10: I'm saying that we're going to try to sign with WSOF first, and if that doesn't happen, then he's going to go to wherever you know what what's what's the right place for him.
8: Mm-hmm.
2: All right, fair enough. You know, in, in a in a did you want to say something before I cut you off? No. Okay. Uh, in a in a funny way, Anthony Johnson kind of represents. This, this uh, resurgence that I've been talking about, because he went through his ups and downs, released from the UFC when he wasn't released, in my opinion, for performance issues. You know, he had the weight issues and whatnot, but still very much uh, a top guy, in my opinion. And that's why it has been so interesting to watch him progress in World Series of Fighting. And, you know, he's had this resurgence. And for a long time, it, it felt to me like people were dancing. On your makeshift grave, people were celebrating the demise of the Black Zillions. You were on somewhat of a losing streak every time one of your guys fought and then lost. People were celebrating that record. And it seemed like a lot of people were happy about this. And then all of a sudden, one by one, you guys, it seemed to all come together. And now you are blazing hot. I'm wondering, first and foremost, did you notice that? Did did you get the sense that there were people, journalists, fans, other managers, fighters, that just seemed to relish in this idea that the Black Zillions weren't coming together, and were faltering under the bright lights?
10: You know, life's kind of like a car accident. You know, I I was driving back from Disney with my wife and kids um, a few months ago, and I I was spending an extra three hours on the road because it was like a fender bender, and everyone had to stop and take a look. So people enjoy seeing other people's demise, in my opinion, and uh, they were taking it as our demise when it was really just a streak of bad luck. Some fights didn't win, the team was getting settled in. Uh, we we're getting the coaching staff right, and I wasn't concerned in the slightest. I knew that we'd get it right. I knew Henry who is a striking coach, is the best, and I knew that, you know, the right people put in place that the fighters would get to where they would need to be, and, and they did. They all, you know, it's a matter of believing in your fighter and a matter of, uh, um, just putting the right steps in place necessary to, um, do what's needed for the team, and that's what we did. We got the right coaches. We got the right people in place, we got the right training partners, and teams doing great. One by one they're all proving their value.
2: Other than the actual losses, did you notice that something just wasn't right and that led you to, to change things?
10: Yeah, you know, when you build a new company in the beginning, you're always gonna have that. You're gonna have those points where things don't completely gel hundred percent. And there was I knew that there was some things that just, just weren't completely gelling and and that's why we took the steps that we did.
2: Um, and, and and
10: so, go ahead. Uh, I think we I think we took the right steps, and you know I'm always constantly looking at how we can better things. So it's not like I stop looking uh, today, tomorrow. I mean, as with every fight, I say, what can we do better for next fight? What can we change? What what what's, what can we improve upon? It seems part of the process.
2: It seemed like for a while you had maybe leadership issues. You went through a lot of different coaches, but now you've really settled into this groove. You know, with Henry Hoof, who you mentioned. Um, George Santiago has kind of taken up this, this role as coach. He's, uh, he's, he's walked away from the sport to concentrate on that, and I think it's great. Kenny Monday, is that the team right there? Are those the coaches that everyone has to listen to?
10: Yeah, that's the heart of, that's the, heart of the coaching staff. I, you know, George taken, George and Henry uh, have taken over the leadership of the team. George has, uh, functions on a lot of the day-to-day, as well as the jiu-jitsu and game planning. And George has got tremendous MMA experience. And it uh, was, was really what he wanted to do. And so it, the team respects him. They listen to him. They, they're they just happy to you know take direction from him. Henry is a leader from the word go. Everything he says, they listen to. I mean, you can see it in the cage when, when the guys are in between rounds getting advice. He won't let them sit down. You know, so you know, I mean they listen to what he's had to say, and they listen to it not because they feel they have to, but because they want to and they trust him and Kenny Monday's resume speaks for itself, and you can see our wrestling has been getting better, so the work is being put in and and Kenny's done a great job in bringing the level of our wrestling up and uh you know, actually, I could break some news on your show today, please, if you want, please so we just uh, we just signed the latest black zillion, his name is Terrell Fortune,
2: okay. Why?
10: Terrell Fortune is the number two ranked heavyweight wrestler. Uh, he's on the U.S. national team, and he is just—he uh, w- walks around at 275 pounds, and he looks like a bigger version of Rashad. So um, we're going to get him ready to go into uh, MMA over and get him ready for a, a big future. But Terrell is just a, a beast. His legs are like tree trunks.
2: When's he going to so, debut? Um, uh, well, we just want
10: to get him situated first and, and get his training up for probably not another four or five months, but Terrell, give Terrell two years, and Terrell's going to be unstoppable.
2: Are you the one who scouts the, the guys? That go, do you ultimately decide who joins the team? No, it's a
10: group decision. Um, everything that happens on the team. I sit down with the coaching staff, sit down with George and Hen, Henry and Kenny, and we discuss that the person would fit in. It's a culture thing, you know. The person usually, the person will come down and train for a while first, and we just see if everyone gets along and if everyone, if everyone feels comfortable with one another.
2: Okay, so I, I'm wondering, and it's a question I wanted to ask you for a long time: Why even get into this sport? I mean, from what I understand, you're very successful in. Uh, I believe it's the 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 hardware business, right? Like tools and things like yeah, that.
10: Yeah, yeah. I sell consumer. We have another. My main company is we sell consumer products, and that's what's driven everything else. But, uh, look, there's been days, I will not admit, where I you ever see that insurance commercial where the guy goes back on the DeLorean to <laughs> get the better insurance? Yes. So there have been days I want to go back in time and kick the remote out of my hand before I've seen my first UFC fight. But overall, uh, you know, I, I fell into it because of George Santiago. Uh, George's ex-wife was my assistant. I got friendly with George, and, and it started from there. And It started off just by me helping him with a friend and nothing more. And uh, fell in love with the sport and really enjoy helping the guys. I mean, I take a lot of pride in seeing them go from like everyone counted Anthony Johnson out, and now Anthony Johnson is who, who you know who's a better un, you know who's the better two hundred five or a free agent at this moment than Anthony Johnson?
2: Right. Uh, so, so you got into it? Did you get into it? You know, with the idea in mind to create this team and this gym and all that stuff, or did you just want to help out a couple guys?
10: I just wanted to help out a couple of guys, and we rented a gym. To help him train, and then when I started working with Rashad, and he left Jackson's, it's kind of like if he if people started coming down to train with Rashad, and it just grew. It just happened.
2: That really felt like the turning point for you, right? Like once Rashad was available and he needed a place to go, it seemed like you, you kind of up the ante. Well, that
10: was the start of it. It was Rashad actually only came into play like you know a couple of months after I started helping George and Danilo Jay Z and area. It was just a couple of months.
2: Right. Okay. So, if if I was
10: helping Rashad from, I was helping Rashad already do some management work, and then he needed a place to train. So when they started training together, then other people started coming down to train with them, and it just it literally just happened. It wasn't something I sat down one day and said, "This is what I'm going to do." It just happened.
2: Uh, If Rashad's not available and none of that happens with uh, Jacksons, do you think you ever get into it like you like you are now?
10: Uh, Probably not. Probably I mean, not. Rashad is a very close friend of mine, and, and, and he's much more than uh, just a, a person on the roster, and, and also a big reason why I put the drive behind it. And uh, you know, I have a lot of respect for Rashad on every level, and and uh, I so I don't know if it would have. I, I think without Rashad, I can't honestly say if it would have um, taken to the level it has.
2: Did did uh, knowing George's ex-wife did that introduce you to MMA, or were you a fan beforehand?
10: I was a fan beforehand, and I was already training um, Muay Thai, just for exercise, just because I enjoyed it. And then uh, George and I became friendly and and uh, just started helping with the odds and ends just as a favor, like you'd stop in the office and ask me my opinion on something. And it was just very, very innocent, really nothing in mind, and then it just literally just happened. So- like some people say, how did you get it? like I could say to you, how did you get into what you're doing? How did you get into? You, know, you could say, "Well, I went to school." I, I don't know if you did. I went to school. I wanted to do journalism. How would you fall into mixed martial arts? Just some, some, somewhere along the line, something happened, and right. This is and you know and this is where you are today.
2: Right now, authentic sports management is it a profitable venture for you?
10: Yeah, it's. I mean, we're not making crazy money. It's very hard to make money managing fighters, but right. you know, it, it's it's okay.
2: And then you also own Jocko and F Three Nutrition, right?
10: I'm an investor in F3, but Jocko, I own 100% of, and uh, Jocko's doing very well.
2: It is doing very well. Yeah. Uh, is, is it something that you are gearing towards just, uh, like, our non-MMA people? I know it used to be like a, a surfing yeah. company, right?
10: It started off as a surfing company years ago. We catered to a lot of CrossFit athletes. We cater to a lot of football players now. Um, we're starting to cater more and more people, more and more sports, more and more everyday people who want to, just you know, want to feel like an athlete train CrossFit, uh, so it's not just going to pros, and the brand is picking up a lot of steam, and we're growing every single month, and, and it's been great. It's been a lot of fun, and it's, it's, it, I like building brands and it's something I enjoy. So yeah, it's, it's doing well, and I think it's going to just keep getting better.
2: How do you balance all of this? The managing, uh, you know, your, your, your previous job, the one that you kind of started all of this, the clothing, all that. So how do you do all that?
10: I have forty people here.
2: I work wow. With. Forty people. I thought it was just you and Ryan Loco. Uh,
10: well, sometimes <laughs> in the day it's just me and Ryan Loco talking about you. Right? Hey, well, did you talk to Ariel lately? Wow, uh, did you?
2: That's did very you nice. Get,
10: of- uh, seven notifications from Ariel to be on the show.
2: Hey, wow! Everyone's g- <laughs> giving me crap about that. Jeez, I just like people I, I, to be I, on I, time. I was listening to. <laughs> I was listening to Uriah. I'm just joking. But
10: uh, no, Ryan is a big part of things, though. He's um, he's been with us since. I basically, since we started and, uh, you know, he's part of the family and he does great work and he's been a big asset to Jocko growth, to, to the growth of Jocko with uh, the work he's done. And, uh, I couldn't say enough, I couldn't possibly say enough good things about Ryan. It's just, you know, he's just a great guy.
2: Are, are you turning people down now? I mean, do you, you have, uh, cause you're not just, you know, uh, black zillions, so to speak. You got guys like, you know, from all walks of life now, it, it's, it's certainly evolved. Are you at the point where you're turning people down?
10: Yeah, we haven't really taken on Ace. Terrell was the first new person we've taken on in a while. And, you know, if we bring on somebody we want to make sure we can deliver, I don't want to just have a big, big roster and not be able to help people. So I want to make sure that whoever's on the roster is someone that we can legitimately do something for, make their life better, and make them feel like, you know, that, yeah, I'm a part of your life, and your life is a little better for that reason. And if I can't do that, I don't really want to be part of it. Is Alistair, Once it gets to be figured out I can't do that, and then that's time for me to walk away. Is, uh,
2: is Alistair Overeem still a member of the team? N-
10: no, Alistair doesn't train with us. Alistair trains in Thailand. So he's I done? Mean, he's welcome back, but he's um, decided to do this camp in Thailand, and it was a great camp. He, I talked to him uh, last night, and he's, it was a great camp, and he said he feels fantastic. And, and uh, he he just really in good spirits. So I saw a lot of pictures of him. He looks great. Coach uh, coaches said he did great, so I talked to all his people over there and uh, you know, Alistair and I talk to him, you know, almost every day through text or however and uh, so there's no issues in in uh, with Alistair and I and just this wasn't right the right fit for him at that time. And Alistair's been in this business a long time, so he knows how he wants to train and he knows what's right for his body and he knows what's right for him. So this time going to Thailand it was right for him, and we support I support him with.
2: Are you still managing him? Yes. so when you say he wasn't the right fit I mean do you credit uh, that for the the losing streak here do you think he just wasn't in his uh, in his proper element in in Florida
10: I think the reason he lost his last fight is because they didn't stop the fight soon enough because <laughs> I think that in nine other fights out of ten, they would have stopped that fight when um, Travis Brown's knees buckled mm-hmm and so, you know, it's always easy to look back and say, "Why didn't someone win?" But I mean, he had Travis with 41 punches. Travis's knees buckled, went to the ground, and they still just kept staring at him. Do you so think he'll... if that didn't happen, we would be talking about something we weren't sure. talking about the losing streak?
2: Do you uh, think he'll so... be back with the team though, like uh, as far as training in Florida, or do you think he's done?
10: He's welcome, nice. No, well, I mean, we, it's you know, Alistair, we, I thought so we'd talk about it after the fight. He's always welcome. It's always his home if he wants it to be. But right now it's not looking past the fight he has in a couple of weeks. That's the most important thing. And we'll see uh, after that what he wants to do.
2: Have you been told if he loses this fight that he'll be done with the UFC?
10: UFC hasn't said anything that, that to us, but I've read about it in the Internet. So
2: Right. Um, I just want to ask you a couple other questions about some of your, uh, your guys. Michael Johnson, is he going to get that Nurmagomedov fight?
10: Uh, I don't believe so. I heard rumors that, that he's got some agreement to fight someone else. I don't know who. I, I heard Nate Diaz possibly, but um, no one told me that person. Just the rumor mill. And he doesn't seem to, Khabib didn't want to seem to fight Michael. Right. So Michael's willing to step up and fight anyone. He really wants to fight somebody, uh, you know, in the higher level of the rankings. And uh, he's performed in his last two fights more than just a little bit. Uh, you know, no one, uh, no one. He was the underdog in both fights. No one expected him to beat Joe Lazan, but he did a pretty impressive job of beating him. and Tiba hasn't been knocked out since 2000, and what 2009, I think. So, uh, you know, I think Michael's proven himself, and it's time for him to take the next step. UFC is going to definitely, said they're going to definitely try to give him the best fight they can. But, you know, it's tough because top ten guys only want to fight top ten guys.
8: Right.
10: And, uh, you know, so it's a very Joe Silva has like very tough job. Because number six doesn't want to fight number nine. Number five doesn't want to fight number six. Right. So it's very, it's, he has a, it's a very tough job.
2: Eddie Alvarez, will his next fight for Bellator be his last one for them?
10: Uh, I wouldn't I would definitely say that. No, I mean, we've had some great Tim, Tim Danaher uh, at Bellator and I have come uh, somewhat close and really, really nice, to your guy. And uh they've expressed interest in, in you know, retaining Eddie. Nothing as formal has been discussed or agreed upon. But, you know, we'll see where the future goes. I mean, you know, Tim was instrumental in helping get the deal done with Eddie. So, I mean, I really can't uh I wouldn't hold off. I wouldn't you know, definitely wouldn't say that for sure. He's not gonna be part of Bellator. We'll see we'll see what we'll see what they offer and we'll see what's right for him and he should be fighting somewhere in the next five months, so we'll see how it goes.
2: Yeah, do you know the the exact date of when that fight will take place?
10: No, they, you don't. Uh, no
2: we've been asking ourselves. But it will be on pay-per-view, right? That's what they told us, yeah. Wow. And uh, Vitor Belfort, is that fight against Chris Weidman going to be in May or July? Do you have any idea?
10: It's I, st- still not confirmed. Still not still going back and forth on what date.
2: Oh, okay. I thought you meant the so, fight wasn't just, confirmed.
10: No, no. The fight's confirmed, but the date's not locked in.
2: Okay. Do you guys have a preference?
10: Vitor just Vitor would fight, to, you know, tomorrow if he could. So I don't think Vitor cares.
2: And, and and speaking of not caring, does he mind fighting in the U.S.? No, Vitor
10: doesn't care to fight anywhere. I mean, you know, it's, everyone has a lot of opinions, but Vitor Belfort is the way he is. Not because he you no, know, you know, Vitor has been nominated for the ESPN has him up for an award for his kick against Luke Rockhold. And they said it was, you know, the trajectory of the kick and, and the angle and all that. None of that was taught by TRT. So it's it's all ridiculous. He trains two, three times a day. He gets up. He's dedicated. Uh, even if he's having a tire, rough day or a tired day, he pushes through it. And, you know, he doesn't let anything change his focus. He's extremely focused. One of the most focused people I've ever met in my life. And that's why you win fights. Well, no he'll... one teaches those kicks that he's doing or not, you know. To anything but a ton a ton of work
2: will he apply for a TUE I don't believe so he's not really why not
10: yeah. it's something uh, we have I mean, him and I have not discussed uh, he trains with us but most of it he's because he's been in the, in the game so long everything for him is pretty well set so Joanna I think he yeah. probably met his wife before does most of his day to day stuff and um, but it's nothing that they've talked to me about
2: but you don't think he will
10: I don't think he will, to be honest with you. But it's nothing to talked to me about, so I couldn't even really, I couldn't even really answer you straight.
2: Okay, fair enough. Well, Glenn, I wanna, I wanna wish you uh, all the best. I mean, you guys are doing great work. Like I said, I said it on Fox a couple of weeks ago. It's one of the great stories. Uh, putting in the right guys, getting the team back on track from Eddie to Michael Johnson, Rashad Evans, Tyrone Spung, of course, who we didn't really touch on. You guys are on fire as of late, and uh, I think you're doing a tremendous job. So congratulations on all the success thus I really far. Really appreciate it. And uh and good luck in the future to you and the team.
10: Thank you so much. And um, I really appreciate being on your show. Thank you for uh giving me the time and and um, thanks. If you need anything, give me a call.
2: All right, there he is. Or, or text. <laughs> okay, I'll send you multiple texts. All right. Uh Glenn well, Robinson. No no more than three days. Okay, <laughs> okay. Uh the CEO of Authentic Sports Management. AKA the Black Zillions doing great work and uh, thank you to him for stopping by. All right. We're going to take a quick break because we need to rejigger some things here because in a matter of moments, we'll be joined in studio by the incomparable Henner Gracie and his fiance, Eve Torres. You may know Eve from uh, world wrestling entertainment. She was once a diva over there now. And I don't say that, you know, I'm not calling her a diva. That's what they call the, the, the female wrestlers. Now, um they're doing great work of course with gracie Jiu Jitsu and all kinds of other things hopefully he has brought me some acai we will find out in a matter of minutes so while we rejigger things take a look at this interview that i did with joe riggs in brooklyn just a couple of weeks ago less than a couple of weeks ago one of the more honest interviews i've ever done about boxing nick diaz tax problems retirement all that kind of stuff great stuff at a joe diesel riggs and then in a minute we'll be right back here with henner and eve in studio all right, welcome back to the MMA Hour. Oh, getting some uh, feedback. Okay, there, it's gone. Um, that was, of course, Dana White. He was in Duluth, Georgia last Wednesday following UFC Fight Night 35. Part of that we heard from Joe Riggs. Great stuff from him, and he'll be part of uh, Bellator Season 10 later on this year. But let's talk about the business at hand here. I'm very excited, so excited. And this kind of came out of nowhere just last night. The one and only, the incomparable, as I said earlier. Henner Gracie is in studio, but we're not all that excited about him. We talk to him all the time. His <laughs> lovely fiance, <laughs> the former WWE diva, Eve Torres, also yes, here. thank I, you. Wow, yeah, how about thanks this? Thanks
11: for having us both. Worked you, out well.
2: You yeah. guys don't usually do interviews together.
11: I think this might be our first one, yeah.
2: actually. First ever?
11: I think so. I've been First in the room time. when you do interviews. You've been in the room when I do interviews, but we don't We've really We've done
2: TV shows.
12: You've done like you know E Network, NBC, ABC, CBS, things like that, but nothing this big.
2: <laughs> I noticed, and I felt like you needed. I, I felt like you needed the the. The, the 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 plug the yeah, the rub so to speak. No, now she's still, a she's a TV pro. She's talking into the yeah. mic. You're not. Well, I'm just trying to focus on the energy between yeah. around me right now. This is very interesting. <laughs> I know you're shy. You yeah. get nervous yeah. in front of He's, the cameras. Yeah,
11: he doesn't like to talk too right. much. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm,
2: I'm just wondering because this is a very unique character, by the way. And you're, you're engaged. You're getting married in April. We're getting
11: married in April. Correct.
2: How does one live with a character like this? <laughs> Be honest.
11: Well, you know what you see the henna the henna Gracie you see on YouTube yeah. the, um, energy, the energy
2: the yes. energy yeah the
11: energy. I will say that's real. That really? is real.
2: But twenty four seven.
11: But it's not twenty four seven. It's not twenty four seven. There is a side to Henner that he he's definitely calm, and he's. I mean, this is the mastermind behind the Gracie Academy, everything that's happening, this big jujitsu movement. So really? that takes a lot of thinking and a lot of internal. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on in there, and he needs uh, he needs his time to, mm-hmm. you know, let that all process. So he's uh, You know, I deal with him okay. <laughs>
2: But yeah. she said he, you're the mastermind, and I pick up on these things. Does that mean mm-hmm. it's all you? It's not your brother? No, no. Here Here's what's very interesting. Okay.
12: Let's just say this. I'm the. Um, me and Hedon are very interesting matching how we work together. And a lot of people really don't understand. And they know I talk more when we're on camera together. Like, man, Henner, shut up. Like, he don't talk sometimes. <laughs> and I know, and it's just my instinct to just want to deliver and get it out there. And for me, it's like we just got to get the message across. So I, I do whatever I can. But uh, the way me and don't work together is very interesting. It's like. The best example was we were filming Gracie Combatives, our mm-hmm. instructional series, self-defense, and I was showing a technique, we were showing it together, like lesson number 12, some headlock defense, and throughout the whole technique, I was thinking to myself, shoot, I'm talking a lot, but I know I'm missing something. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, right. my dad, I'm gonna finish shooting this, and those were all one take, by the way. It wasn't like, oh, cut, do it again, no, right. it was one takes. And I thought, I'm gonna finish this, and my dad's gonna be pissed that I'm missing this detail right now, because I'm, I'm not honoring the technique that was handed down to the family. And after a 15-minute slice showing all the techniques, and I spoke probably 80% of the time, at the very end, I'm thinking, I can't think of it. And I'm trying to waste time because I'm trying to get it in. At the very end, Hidon says, you guys, and the most important detail is right here. Sit low and keep your head back to make sure the opponent can't throw your head on the ground. And I didn't tell him I was missing the detail. He didn't know I was stressing about a missing detail, but he knew there was a missing detail as well. So somehow between us two, everything gets done. And uh, he knows input is minor, but when it happens, it's game-changing, revolutionary.
11: And not only that, but I feel like a lot of the ideas that you guys have start from hedon right. like he is like the one who just like one day will say hey what if we did this and yeah. then henner's like oh my gosh you know what i mean
12: and so and then he don't forgets H- about it the next day yeah. and then 2 years and later like, it comes out exactly. <laughs> let's make a dvd series for kids henner where they can teach parents can teach their kids and then he'll go off to like costa rica for vacation you know and then i'll just grind it in the lab so yeah. he's a very much of an idea guy and you guys i'm work more of an execution well guy yeah. and i think if we were both executioners like executioners of the of the of the missions it would uh, it wouldn't work well because we would step on each other a little bit too much so he kind of hey henner do your thing And and I let him have his ideas, but he don't has the idea guy. He comes with some good ideas, but he comes with some crazy ideas too. So he needs a filter. But uh, you're the filter. um kind of his wife Victoria is a great filter as well and me and Eve and everybody around him but all together it's a thousand times more good than bad in terms of these ideas that he comes out with and they're 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 life changing stuff really some big movements like the keep it playful movement right. you know that uh, you, if you train jujitsu with us like you
2: promised to do one day yes you will um, I thought that's why you're here to officially because I don't know if you noticed this but I have a black belt I know I got it in the mail yeah and, and that's I true I figured this is all Adam Sandler it got one, one of those it. too oh he did yeah So I finally have something <laughs> in common with Adam Sandler <laughs> Other than being Jewish. Okay, I want to know, how did you meet this man?
11: I met... Um, which version? Which version? Yeah, right. Which, which version,
2: bro? The, the best The real one? version. The real okay. version? <laughs> I'll go next. Okay. Yeah, go okay. no ahead. You Come go first. Then.
11: No. Um. Well, I... Okay, I'll, I'll start with why I kind of was interested in jujitsu, which was that... I started on the road with WWE, right. and uh, I won the Divas Search end of 2007, started on the road 2008, and I had an incident on the road where I was traveling by myself, and uh, and I stopped at a gas station. I was traveling through the East Coast, this lovely part of the country, <laughs> and, uh, and I stopped at a ga- gas station. I had just got done with the show. I was still on my heels. was still kind of dressed up and encountered three— gentlemen, not gentlemen, right, in the yeah. gas station and, and they started asking me obscene questions and really started harassing me. I just completely ignored them, like they didn't exist, and I you know, I just didn't acknowledge them. And the more I didn't acknowledge them, the angrier they got and they got aggressive to the point where I dropped everything, ran out of the gas station, they chased they were following me out, yelling obscenities and um, got in my car, took off and like had one of those like breakdown moments I think every woman has at some point in her life, which is like, okay, like That really could have been bad. And mm-hmm. for some women, it does get bad. It gets beyond just a, a close call. And uh, so that was a, a, an eye-opening experience for me, for sure. Well, coincidentally, about a, a month later, I was talking to my friend Victoria, who mm-hmm. I knew from the dance world. We danced on a couple shows together, and we had worked together, became really good friends. And she invited me to the Gracie Academy. And not only that, and then she says, so she invites me to the Gracie Academy. Mind you, my brother had trained jujitsu in high school. Oh really? So I knew about jujitsu and I was like, you know what? Beginning of the year, let's start like a new year's resolution. Let me just do something that's good for me. And let me just start learning something new. And then she so she invites me to the Academy and then she kind of fits in there too. Like, yeah. And, and, um, I I really want to introduce you to somebody. And I knew she was dating. He at the time. He was this amazing man. And she told me all about him. I want, I want you to meet someone. And, uh, And I'm like, all right, this usually ends up awkward, but fine, I'll, you know, I'll come. So I knew I was going to be introduced to him when I came to the academy. I thought Hedon was going to give me my first private class. Okay. Well, it was not Hedon. Oh, wow. It was Henner. Shrewd. Henner, yes. He snuck in there. He got, he (laughs) got me. So my first semi-private class, it was me and and a couple of the girls And Victoria was there, um, giving my first introduction to jiu-jitsu. And so he, pretty much we met and he mounted on top of me and said, how would you get out of this? And he was choking me. So, Yeah. And then I turned bright purple, and you know it she signed up. She there. signed yeah, up. Yeah, I, I signed and up. And is that so the I,
2: real story?
12: Yeah, there are some other details, but uh, for the most part, that's pretty much it. I think that. Um, Did you know who she was? I knew who she was, okay. and it was he had much more. Me. The difference. <laughs> the main difference was on her side, she was just kind of brought in, and, and the whole meeting someone. It, it was very kind of almost kind of oh just come by. It was very like casual. But on our side, I had commissioned Victoria to do this. <laughs> oh really? Yeah, this was all planned a hundred percent. And, um, Victoria had been with Hedon for, I don't know, six months or even closer to a year. And I said, Victoria, you know, I need to meet one of your friends, you know, and who do you got for me? Like what's going on here? And uh, what are the options? Because Victoria was cool, man. <laughs> right. I met her I was like, man, this girl is pretty cool. She's a you know, professional dancer, like on tour and yeah, she doesn't do drugs. Smart, she's beautiful. Yeah. She's like super friendly. Everyone loves her. And I'm like, man, Hedon really kind of scored here. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, all right, Victoria, you have any friends? You know, the typical, typical sure, questioner. Sure, sure. And, uh. She, like, takes these requests pretty seriously. Oh, wow. So she was like, well, actually, let me investigate. (laughs) Came back three days later, and she was like, well, I have three options. Um, One of them is married, one of them has drug abuse problems, and one has a boyfriend. And I'm like, what help is that for me? Which
2: one was...
11: I was a drug abuse. No, I'm just I'm just <laughs> i do not want
12: to make no, it. No, so she gave three options, and I'm like, thanks for nothing, Victoria. And then, um, anyway, she came back a little bit later, and she said, Henner, this one, the, you know, the one that I saw, had a boyfriend had not had it for six months. She's been, you know, single, and I danced with her on this thing and this show, and they're, she's amazing, and here's my only concern. She might be too good for you. Wow. And when she said that, bro. That's
11: a good friend right there. That was one of the
12: few times where I almost got into like, you know, fight or flight mode, like self defense. Like that was, but then I thought, okay, if if you think she might be too good, she's perfect. Let's go get her. Wow. So then it was like, yo, bring her in. We'll bring her for a class. It was all planned, you know? And uh, typically I don't mix business and pleasure like that. But um, I figured that, you know, if she had an intro class, if she had her first class with Jiu Jitsu with me, if she didn't fall in love with me right away, she would fall in love with jiu and that would give me time to work the magic over several,
11: however long
2: it took. <laughs> so which was three? it? Which should you fall in love with first?
11: Um, it was pretty even. It I'm was. not going to lie. <laughs> it actually was. I mean, I started training right away. I was like interested in, you know, wanting to continue my training. He took he for some reason didn't interpret what I did as interest, but because um, yeah. I'm I'm much more internal. Like I, I watch something, I'm like, wow, that's fascinating, and I really want to understand this. And I want to be good at it, and like you know, I'm more of like a serious student mm-hmm. who looks at it and I'm okay. I want to I want to do my best. I'm not like, oh my gosh, this is so yeah, yeah. amazing. She's not like that at all. You're so yeah, cool. You that. Oh, You're
2: used to that kind of yeah. I'm he's the girl more used to just, that. Yeah, just because I didn't yeah, right. give him
11: all that, just you know, and he <laughs> he took that as like I wasn't interested when really I. I was I'm serious. Yeah,
12: she was super internal and it took me about like about a year after dating and boyfriend, girlfriend and her working yeah. for the WWE to realize that when you know, when Eve says nothing, she's madly in love with you. Like wow. she, Yeah. And when she like, Oh, how are you? She's very cordial and like very outgoing, that means she doesn't really not that she doesn't care, but she doesn't love you and she's just being normal. But when she's like I'm like Eve. How'd you like the class? She's like, mm, it's pretty good.
11: I did not say that. And right. that okay. means that she. See, she's, this is where it gets. Now, started. you know, the same
12: way, like you know, preschoolers, like a little. Pre- when she was a little girl in preschool and she liked a boy, she would just beat him up. Okay. That's her way of saying that she loves him. You know. So with this situation, it's just don't care, don't act like you care. And uh, after a year, I figured that out. But once I cracked that code, now when she cares, she really does act like it. It's all bets are off. Everything's good, and we're gonna get married, and it's gonna be happy, and we got a
2: puppy, and it's all good. Uh, we'll get to all that in a second. But when you first met, you were still a part of WWE, right? I was, yeah. What is that? like, uh, I mean, uh, to, to date at WWE, all over well, the place? I,
11: I, I met him, <laughs> and then about two weeks later is when I started full-time on the road. Oh, wow. So I had already won the diva search, and about, yeah, we, we were, like, dating for, like, two weeks, and then yeah. started so, on the road road full-time. So it was about, I was gone about five days a week. But it
12: was deceiving, because when we started dating, she was she had a normal life. For two yeah. weeks, I was like, okay, this is a, you know, a wonderful person. And even in the nice, beginning, I wasn't on the road
11: as much, because I was home, still...
12: So she, she hooked yeah. me while she was around, mm. you see? And then, all of a sudden, this crazy schedule, you don't know anybody, yeah. crazy. your schedule's crazy. No, this Travel, is crazier, this is way crazy. And you might yeah. have heard it from some people, but hear it from the source, which is, and the source meaning me, meaning the person who has to deal with this schedule, <laughs> right. not the one who's going, her job, you know, famous all over the world. So every single week, 6 a.m. on Friday, is the flight. Okay, You get to the airport by five, m- latest by five, wake up at four, break her breakfast, while she gets ready, leave you the house. of breakfast. He oh, did make day. me breakfast. And Danny took in me to the airport. Energy sandwiches. Wow. Energysandwich.com, <laughs> you guys. Energy sandwich.com. Wrap the sandwich <laughs> in foil to keep it warm so when she gets in the airplane, she can open it, wow. eat it, and her neighbors could be jealous. <laughs> and then they can ask, what is that? And they can just tell the whole story, you know? And um, so making the thing. 6 a.m. every Friday, this happens. We take her to the airport. She goes on a flight. She has a show Friday night. Drive 300 miles, show Saturday, drive a th- couple hundred miles, show Sunday, show Monday, live on Raw, Monday Night Raw, show Tuesday, Friday Night Smackdown, come home Wednesday at noon, I pick her up at the airport, Wednesday afternoon, Thursday all day, Friday, 5.30 a.m., she's gone again. Mm-hmm. For five years. Five years. Five you years. You were together throughout the whole time. Yeah. Yes. So five years. Basically, my Saturday, Sunday was Wednesday, Thursday, you see? Right, so right. I would take time off work and I would work like a madman all week and Sundays and you know, all, all day, everything, but... When she was home, we would have time together, and it was very interesting to have a relationship like that. Um, I don't know. I don't know how it worked. Is that why you left?
11: Well, yeah. I mean, it it was kind of got to a point where... I had a, had some priorities in my life, and and you can't live that schedule as a woman and still get married and still have a family and all those things. So, so I had a you know I came to that point where I'm like, all right, I have to make a decision here. What what direction I'm going to go? And and obviously, I also had another calling, which was um, the love that I really started to develop for for the women's self defense program that we have and teaching that. And I really wanted to be more involved. So there's a lot of things pulling me in that direction, and it finally it just kind of finally went over. Be honest. And I what.
12: Here's the thing. She was in there for five years, and, I, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, this is cool. You know, like wrestling, even though it goes against everything my family represents for 85 years, <laughs> I'm in love with her, and love prevails, right? Is that a problem for you? Oh, Honestly,
2: huge! It was huge, and for the family?
12: No, you don't understand. Growing up in the Gracie household, yeah. there were two things we weren't allowed to watch: rated R movies wow. and WWF. Really? Oh yeah, it was just very fascinating. Bad. Like it would be on the TV, and me, my brothers loved it. We were like, oh yeah, Jake the Snake, and this and that, Undertaker. And it was like, turn that stuff off. That's Mickey Mouse business. Oh, it's my dad, turn that stuff off. That's trash because it was offensive and back then they tried to play it to where it was more sure sure you know they tried to keep it more real in the wrestling but either way they wouldn't let us watch it and uh, we would always sneak it at night and we'd watch it and what's funny is that tell about that footage you discovered oh yeah
11: I discovered I went through all this old family footage
12: 1980 great footage footage.
11: of them in the garage training all this anyways I turned to one footage and it's just looking at the camera I'm Hannah Gracie, World Wrestling Federation right. champion, <laughs> Seven and, years old. and him and his and Hollis, brother Holly go at it, go lock up, and they're like just full on wrestling Only, match no in the Jiu-Jitsu. family room, just wow. wrestling,
12: body slams, in his clotheslines. And my dad's oh. filming it, and I, I don't think my dad made the connection. He's like, "Yeah, jujitsu, grapple, guys, grapple," and we're like fighting each other, and he likes the fact that making we're making rolling sound rolling effects, right, because right, you know, right. in the Gracie household, you want to see kids fighting each other. Right. So he was rolling, like, "Yeah, we got footage of these kids rolling early," but we're doing wrestling, you know. So, anyways, it was very taboo to watch and very much against. So when I met Eve, I'm thinking, shoot, this is going to be, a-. as soon as she told me what she does and, and Eve, Victoria told me and I thought, man, she better be amazing because this is a serious risk to bring her to the household for lunch. Wow. <laughs> Huge. So the day came where after three or four weeks dating, I thought, okay, it's time. She has to, eventually it's going to get real. So I got to bring her to the house. And I, um, and I, and I took her home and in my mind, I'm thinking, how am I going to tell my dad that she's a fake I mean, a WWE wrestler, entertainer. (laughs) Yes. And I'm like, this is not going to go over very well. And I'm still, as a kid, seven-year-old, trauma has survived. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm just going to say it. I'm going to say, hey, guys. And I kind of make it real lighthearted. I'm like, you guys, so this is Eve, you know, and she's my new friend, and she's training at the Academy, and, you know, we're dating, and blah, blah, blah. And she does WWE (laughs) wrestling, (laughs) the stuff on TV. And everyone laughed. (laughs) It was all good. No problem. No problem. So I had brought this trauma as a child. This is, you to be careful not to abuse your children because <laughs> right, right, it carries right. with it. So this is one of those, I stuck and my dad never even cared. No problem at all. Full respect and, you know, loves her. And she's an amazing teacher, has helped jujitsu grow and has never been an issue at all, you know, from the get-go. But it was amazing how it affected my situation psychologically. What, what
2: about for you? Because from what I hear, I know some people in the quote-unquote business, it's tough to have a relationship outside of the business, right? For sure.
11: Actually... For me, I actually that was like my savior. I feel like like that's what kept me grounded, what kept me sane. It's true. I had something outside of that world. Where whereas a lot of people, because they have relationships in in the business, um, which is which I you know I understand. If you if you literally like if you're stuck on an island with with someone, what's going to happen, right? Um, So I had I had this you know outside source to the to the real world that every time I came home reminded me of like what's important and, and mm. to be grounded and to not focus on the madness that's going on the politics that may be going on at work and um, and it also helped me you know stray away from any of the like the, the stuff that goes on when you do date in the business there's all these all this drama and all that stuff that ensues from that so I was very lucky I felt like that I met him at the perfect time and and then, you know, of course, at first it's like, you know, all the guys like try to try to feel you out. Like you're like the new whatever fresh meat there. And then once they knew, you know, once they knew who I was dating and he got started coming around, then yeah. it was like, oh, respect, respect, respect. Oh, yeah. oh, like, yeah. You know, so everyone I loved Henner. I made
12: it a point to go to these shows. You know what I'm saying? And oh, yeah. Like, you know. How often would you go? Anytime I could really, I, and I was, and it was cool. For, you know, we made it work. You know, like I would schedule seminars. I'm like, okay, you're gonna be in Chicago. I'm gonna schedule four seminars in Chicago and go make a tour of jujitsu teaching while you guys are there, and we'll meet up and we'll do the, We'll I'll see you at the Monday Night Raw, mm. and we would do things like that. And It was pretty regular. I'd say at least every couple months, I would set a seminar yeah. when I because her schedule is a year in advance. They know. And I would do international stuff with them. I went to Mexico with them, set seminars in Mexico to go to the international. So I did a lot of that. And it got to the point where, you know, once I shook everyone's hand and everyone saw and everyone knew it was real. And, you know, I just uh, once they found out, you know, the family and where everything came from and, you know, that uh, if they got out of hand, that there would be some chokes, you know, delivered.
2: It <laughs> by, was, uh, by it was him all or me. <laughs> did you ever try to convince him to cross over into your world? No. No? Uh,
11: that would just be wasted breath, I feel like. I would mean, you
2: uh, ever do it? Well, so here's,
12: lie, some, so here's the thing. Don't lie, you've had some dreams. Here's the thing. You've had some dreams. Really? Here's <laughs> the thing. When you live with someone who they come home and all they're talking about is the psychology of the match and the ideas and this and that and how, you know, the perfect match and explaining everything. And when they're watching TV, Eve sits down to watch herself or one of the girls on Monday Night Raw or even any match. And she's like this and like rewatching it a week later. And like she's in front of the match and she's getting all into it. And like she's wrestling with nobody, but she's watching a match and she's doing her moves. And I'm like, baby, you're not. The match is already over. Everything's going to be okay. Calm down. Um, So when you're around that 24-7 and then you meet all the stars back there and you see how it goes behind the scenes. You're going to have some thoughts. You know what I'm saying? And it's going to cross your mind. And not that I had any aspirations to do this, but there were days where I woke up and I'm like, Eve, so I was backstage at the show (laughs) and Vince just told me to suit up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, and I'm like, I don't know why this is happening. Like, I don't want to wrestle, but they're like, henner we need you. Go and get in the ring." And I'm like, "All right." And I would go do it, and it worked out because of the things we learned and I watching So there were a few times where I was. He was, was
11: henner like, Daddy Long Legs, Gracie.
12: <laughs> Not bad. <laughs> so you know, it was you got the funny. size. I know, I know. It was really funny,
2: but I, got I to just told to...
11: him if you start shaving your legs, it's over. That's yeah. the only problem.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so how bad is it backstage? I mean, as far mm-hmm. as like you know, saying that you ne- you have this guy in your life. Like, did you? ever have to come and you know say defend her honor or things like that or do people respect you?
11: I I I defended my honor okay, actually there. Good. You yeah. know I'm, well done. I'm I'm very I'm very good at that and I don't really play too many games with people and what about you know, the politics?
2: Is it tough po- that, that politics
11: that? are for sure tough. Right. You know it's it's hard. It was harder in the beginning for sure because you don't you just don't have, you know, you know how haven't earned as much respect. Towards the end it was easy. It was it was nothing, you know. But um but in the beginning it's really you're trying to figure everybody out and you don't know who's kind of arranged with what and um who has power because of this or that so it was really tough in the beginning there were times that i was like i don't know how much longer i can do this like it was mentally and and emotionally draining to work with some of the people i had to work with and to feel like i just felt like how can you work so hard at something and just try to try your best and then it just doesn't matter you know and then it got, got to a point where finally i was like Okay, my my hard work finally paid off. And you know, I was diva champion once and twice and then three times and and uh I really felt like I finally got to see the fruit of my labor, but it was it was a while I felt like before that happened and that can be demor- you know, demoralizing for anyone.
2: And unlike in your world, someone else is kind of deciding your fate. Like you can be a champion in jiu-jitsu and do it on your own. Right. There's a lot that goes on. Yeah, but let's not get it twisted. That's the same in any large company. You're going to start somewhere, and
12: you're going to climb the ladder. And you're going to do as hard as you want, but for political reasons, you're not going to get where you deserve to get. So this is a very normal thing. The only difference is they're with each other five days a week on the road in random places, in these little isolated groups that are that naturally amplifies, I think the the political the tension, drama. You yeah. can't go home at the end of the day and just unwind. You're there on the road with the same girls, same people, talking about the same things. You may have to have the it's same like a, a match little...
11: with somebody that you don't like for like months in a, a wow. in a row. You know. Yeah. I mean, there's there's stuff like that. So. It it was, it was challenging, but it's interesting now that, um, you know, now that Henry was working with more and more UFC fighters and they're friends of ours, I see so many similarities. Really? I I definitely do some similarities of WWE and and UFC. Well, I think in general, I think UFC is whether they've intentionally done it or whether it's just kind of been the progress of of the company. I think they're taking from the ideas of, yeah, now there's a little bit more of like storylines and there's, there's characters and there's, you know, the good guy, the bad guy. And, and, um and even about how they you know their champions become the face of the company right. right so there's there's some politics behind that regardless you know of who they want and and if you do something wrong they're going to try to punish you and do you know put you in a bad situation or whatever and you know there's always stuff like that with with WWE I felt like and and a lot of the and and the fact that these these UFC fighters work super hard you know I I feel like that's something I can relate to cuz working for a WWE you you know, especially when you're champ. Oh man, you're doing media like nonstop. So it's not just the the matches that you're wrestling. Right. You're doing nonstop media. You know, you're you're the face of the company. You're doing whatever you can, and you know, for free, of course. <laughs> so so, and I'm I'm sure it's very similar with you know with the UFC and a lot of the fighters now.
2: So it's been a year since you left, right? It's been
11: a year, almost exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I
2: saw on your Twitter, someone yeah. said uh, one year. Do you miss it? Are you, are you planning on going back? Or are you done?
11: No. You know, I I actually went back um a few. She's done. I went yeah, back I a few that weeks. First out of the way, yes, yeah, I went back a few weeks ago for like a one-time appearance. It was the okay. Slammies. I got to present the award. So things like that, I'm all about. You know, I I still love the company, and I still have a lot of friends there. And I and I left on good terms. I really left feeling like I felt good about it. You know, I look back and I don't think all these terrible thoughts. I think like, what a great time I had, and so that's good. If it's like a one-time thing, of course, you know. But I just I can't go back to the road. Not not with kind of my new lifestyle now that I'm used to sleeping in my own bed. And now that I and now that I have a puppy.
2: Yes, I can't can't this leave puppy uh, Choky. Yeah. What yes. does that even mean? Oh, choke like the actual. But it's 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 spelled differently. Well, you know how like there's yes. I just yeah. I just figured it out. Here's the thing. <laughs>
12: yes, his name is Chokey Yeah. And it's uh it's a it's a Portuguese name. Okay. Um, and it's, it has a Portuguese spelling, which is T I O K I. Okay. And um, it, it's, you know, it's the same okay, way here's Okay, have...
11: here's the truth Hannah wanted to name him Choky
12: like straight up Like straight, straight up. up like okay. Chokey. like <laughs> right. hey
11: let's he's got to have a jujitsu name and then choky <laughs> came up and i just looked at him with like blank face
0: Boom. Like, totally really and i was and like, like
11: all no. right if we're going to do this we at least have to make it kind of trendy exotic. or different Exotify or like you know exotic and pretend like it has another meaning even though it really just is because it sounds like choke yeah so so we gave it the portuguese spelling make it a little more exotic cuz you know
12: there's this name chiago yes chiago oh, yeah. ah yeah. chiago caristo my friends um so chiago so chio
2: choky right. Chokey. 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 But you, you, you and I love <laughs> the look on your faces—you're like proud parents. But he, yeah. he, he, or she—he, he. he has an Instagram, has a Twitter. and yeah, I know. don't know. I don't know how that started. This <laughs> is something.
11: Just, I just didn't. I didn't want to be, well, I am clearly that girl. Okay. I'm that girl with the, with the dog who's just like, I just didn't want to flood my Instagram with like thousands of pictures of people being like, all right, Eve, cool, but can we see some pictures of you and what right. you're doing? And it's just all pictures of my puppy, like licking my face and all that. So I figured if people want to see cute dog pictures, they can follow him and then I'll post all the pictures there so I yeah. can still be my Reasonable.
2: A How much you proud miss him? puppy
11: mom. Yeah. I miss him a lot. Yeah. I can't wait to go home.
2: Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about why you're here. You were just in Connecticut yesterday and you made uh, some very big news. You on Twitter were teasing people as you like to do as somewhat of a showman. <laughs> and you, uh, you, you come out that you were training Triple H and Stephanie McMahon Correct. in Connecticut. Yeah. H- how did this happen? Yeah, you know Stephanie
11: reached out to me, and and I think it's just very smart. I mean, their family, they're they're still family, right? Mm-hmm. They have they have three girls, beautiful girls, and and whereas most people, they don't opt to to learn self defense they wait till something like bad happens and then they say oh my gosh we need to do something to right. you know prevent this from happening again i think they're just smart and they say look we are high profile people we've got three girls that and they're they're targets you know mm. they're going to be targets and so They, uh, she reached out to me and, and we said, yeah, let's set something up. So Henner and I went out there. I, I worked with Stephanie all weekend and, and she was choking me out by the end of the weekend, triangle chokes, rear naked chokes, guillotine chokes, arm locks, kimuras, the whole nine. Like she was a natural. Oh yeah. She was a natural. natural. She was so good. And, uh, it was just fun to bond with her. Um, Actually, it was really fun. Yeah, I, was, Eve, I was super excited when she yeah, like texted me and wanted to... When, it, when st- I was with her when
12: we, we were in Australia.
11: Yeah, we were in Australia. We were in
12: Australia, right. Australia when, when, when Eve and uh, Stephanie first started communicating about the possibility. And Eve worked for Stephanie. And sure. she was almost like her direct boss for this five-year run in the, in the WWE. And... Um, for sure, Stephanie was the number one name I heard for those five years. Right. In terms of Henner. This company, it's, it's crazy. There's a lot of things going on. It's hard work. It's, you know, very political. But I love Stephanie. Mm. Like, she's amazing. She's beautiful. She's strong. Like, Eve idolizes this woman. You know what I'm saying? Like, really, really admires her. And, uh, like, to the point where I was like, okay, I get it. You know, she's amazing. And you're amazing. And, we're, you know, that's cool. Like.
11: So, yeah, I, 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 I had a girl crush on her. Let's just be honest. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Totally had a girl crush. It's
12: like Stephanie McMahon and Beyonce, you know. It's like yeah. I heard their names more than any other names, you know? You know? It's okay. Girls can have girl
11: crushes. <laughs> sure, sure. So, yeah, when she was, like, you know, excited to do this, I was like, so oh, man, this got, is going to be great. So, when she had the first
12: text, Eve was like, yeah, jumping on the bed and was super excited. And um, I
11: may or may not have jumped yeah. on
12: the bed. <laughs> <laughs> so, it was really cool, you know? And uh, they set it up and, then, you know, when she was like, yeah, we want to get self-defense for the kids and for me. And so, I thought, okay, that's cool. And then when she said that, I'm thinking, okay, chances are, since they live together, you know,
2: right. Triple H man. will be there. Yeah
12: and um, who is not a
2: huge MMA guy yeah he's really not he's in his
12: business and he's doing his thing and you know and and I've I've met him you know at the shows before and he's always really cordial and very respectful and you can tell he really liked Eve as well Um, she's a great employee for the company and um so we got to the house and we got to work with while she was working with stephanie got to work with the kids and three daughters and they are just amazing like these really? little girls yeah the the cutest nicest um most outgoing and friendly little girls you ever met you know and they're three five and seven years old and they're having the time of their lives and they're doing jujitsu. and i brought them their little geese and they're all suited up and ready for action and we trained <laughs> uh, four hours a day for two days and a half so we trained this morning as well and it was just cool because, you know, um, Triple H would come in and he would watch the little girls, you know. And at first I'm thinking, like, shoot, you know. Like, uh-huh. You I got not. nervous, don't yeah, lie. Yeah, I was like, all right, you know, I got to do You're this Just looking, he's looking down on you. Well, yeah, I'm just making yeah, sure. Yeah, just sitting there well, like, like, he doesn't know what to expect. He's right. never seen jiu-jitsu and he's in his world doing his thing. And I know I'm good at what I do, you know what I'm saying? But I know that, you know, he's good at what he does. And I know that he had some some concerns maybe and, you know, it wasn't uh, some uncertainties, but... Lo and behold, he was happy.
11: Yeah, and not only him, happy. but Vince actually came by too. he was watching. I'm yeah, just
12: rolling with these kids, and this guy <laughs> walks into the garage, and like just in like a, you know a nice like wool coat, and I'm like
11: this eh, uh. leather jacket. <laughs> yeah, I'm
12: like, who is this person right here? And then of course it's Vince. Grandpa showed up to watch the
2: wow. granddaughters. Yeah, Henry uh, looks
11: up and he's like, Oh, hello, sir. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. So it, it was interesting, you know. But um, what did he say to you? Because he as well hasn't been a, a huge fan of. Yeah,
12: know, but again, I've met him, you know, okay. at times, and again, always very. Respectful whether it's WrestleMania or these different shows I go to to support, and you know, but it's always in passing, you know. But now I'm in my element doing my thing, you know, and it was really interesting, you know. So I, I went all out, you know, I'm not gonna lie, I just I gave it 100%, and I'm working with the girls, and they're learning fast. So they the product is there, the results are there, and
6: yeah,
11: once you see the results, there's nothing you can yeah, say, so you, know? Paul
12: is and, you know. Yeah, so I mean, uh, Vince is loving it 100%. He's super excited about you know the kids, and he was laughing the whole time as I'm doing it, and uh, it, it was very interesting, you know, for a second. I just, yeah, it was. I just was like, man, is he. I, I think was,
11: Henner was actually auditioning. I was like, like
2: am yeah, yeah, I auditioning right now? This guy's super excited. Like, he was like, yeah, he, yeah. He did he promo pumped.
11: for him right
8: there.
2: He and was I'm like, like oh, all right, you give know. Him I'm like, yeah, it was no, really cause cool. promo's better than you.
12: Yeah, well, you know, direct them to your yeah. YouTube page. train exactly. with you yes. and the other rest of the best. So. <laughs>
2: did either of them roll?
12: Yeah, so so anyways, um, so Triple H did Vince after Vince rolled, no Vince did not. No, oh, okay, that no. would have been. He came a in, checked out the He just wanted to see the grandkids doing. It. He was there at the house anyways, and uh, so yeah, got to roll with with, uh, with Triple H, and it was really cool, man. He's a very natural athlete, and you know they all are. And I've rolled with a couple of the other guys as well, and it's really amazing. Like they they do this wrestling, and their bodies are just so familiar with these natural movements, so they take to it very fast and. You know, I got to train with with with, with Triple H, and it was uh, amazing. As strong as he was, you know, obviously it's only one weekend, so it's not sure. going to be much. But give me, you know, another couple sessions
2: with him in terms of jujitsu, and it's going to be a powerful combination for and sure. What's this Matt Hardy uh, choke that she tweeted? I didn't, I, is there an inside joke there? <laughs> very inside. There is. Oh, there and is. Is it too inside? Give for... me permission to tell it. Okay. <laughs> Even though, well, she tweeted <laughs> it was... out there, so it's kind of I fair know. game. It was right? very
11: funny, actually, that she did. Um, so tell the, tell the true story. Okay, too. and I'll tell the. <laughs> You know, the generic, the vague, vague version of it. And for those
2: that don't know Matt Hardy...
11: He was, yes, he was a wrestler with WWE. And uh, basically when I first started on the road and I was on my first um, overseas tour, you know, everyone kind of like messes you a little bit. Everyone's testing you out, whatever. And so um, I'm sure there was, you know, on on their end, a lot of alcohol going on. This is like something that just happens overseas. Everyone's getting, you know, everyone's drinking. Everyone's... Back then it was even worse because there wasn't like the drug policy wasn't fully enforced, okay. whatever. But um so basically he starts kind of like trying to play wrestle with me. And like, you know, mind you, I had been training jujitsu for maybe like three or four months. Mm. So he starts kinda trying to, try to play wrestle with me and I'm kinda of like trying to fight back. And then for some reason it just clicks in my mind that I'm like I wanted to see if this stuff works, wow. right? So I like, and, I, and not to mention, I'm a little bit competitive and I'm a little bit like territorial and a little like aggressive sometimes.
12: Just a little. Just a little, <laughs> yeah.
11: So it basically turns on into like almost like a full on bar fight. Wow. Where we're the only people in in the uh, in the. Um,
12: you meaning you and the other? Me- yeah, and, of the, and the other. Yeah, yeah. Right, only okay. people
11: from the company Just are like in this lobby the little bar. in the in the hotel. You know, bar, or whatever. It turns into like a full on bar fight, and I'm like trying to like pull. Trying and again like three or four months. So. I really have no idea what I'm doing.
12: Yeah, she um, didn't even have one stripe on her white dog <laughs> Stripe, <laughs> blank white.
11: Yeah, and Same I'm really just trying to pull yeah. things out. Like I'm, I feel like, like I want to use this stuff. I want to see if it works. And uh, basically, finally, it gets like broken up. And I check my eye, and he had given me a black eye wow. by accident. By okay. the way, this was all. You so are know, you play fighting
2: here? Well, yeah. here's the thing. Okay.
11: Afterwards, it was like there was no hard feelings, you know what I mean? But in the time I was a little bit like,
2: yeah,
11: it was, it was, you know, know.
8: right. right, So,
11: um, so I get a black eye and I, and I'm like, oh my, and now I turn to rage, like boiling rage because I realized I have a black eye
12: and you're you're on tour.
11: So yeah, exactly. Hmm. And I like just started the company. So I literally sink in a rear naked choke and put my hooks in. Wow. And he goes to sleep. Really? Yeah. Didn't tap. And he starts, um, snoring. Like <sighs> literally like, you know, like, it get and all the other wrestlers, of course, like you just got choked out by an interviewer. Cause I was like, a, <laughs> I was an interviewer backstage. In I wasn't even in the ring yet, wow. you know? So it was just a hilarious thing that happened. And, and of course, like afterwards I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to get fired. Like what just happened? Like I got, you know, like, let this get the best of me and I'm going to have a black eye and I just choked <laughs> out one of the wrestlers. Like, what am I thinking? And, uh, of course, it turns out couldn't, it was the best thing possible for my career. Because, number one, none of the guys ever messed with me again. Yes. And it, like, it, uh, got this rumor that spread. And, of course, it switched from, like, oh, you've choked out, you know, one of the wrestlers to, oh, yeah, she beat him up. And then she broke his arm. And then she, like, you know, it turned into some big story, which I didn't mind, you know. Sure, <laughs> sure. So, um so it was a good thing, actually, to do fairly early on in my career. And then everyone, like, would, you know, if anytime anyone tests me, like, careful, she'll choke you out.
2: <laughs> <It's like laughs> thing. And how were how so, you with Matt after that? I mean, did he take a little... Afterwards,
11: my- the truth is, I don't even know if he remembered the, the thing that went down. Like, sure. it was, you know, but he, he was, like... Just like, oh whatever, sure, yes. Yeah. It no, acted like cool, it was yeah. funny, you know, but everyone else loved it because they just you know thought it was a funny story, I guess.
2: So what is your role now in the the uh, obviously you're about to get married, but you have an active role in what he's doing, the Gracie yes. Jiu Jitsu movement, if you will, it continues to move along. You're, you're you're a very big part of it, right?
11: Yeah, yeah, I would think I, I believe so. I think you know, my part is really where it comes in is is this the second half of the world demographic, which is the women, <laughs> right? And uh, I think Gracie Jiu-Jitsu's done so much and it's gone so far. Are, but I think it's only reached half of its potential because mm. I think as much as you know, there's still women training. There's a lot of women now training jiu-jitsu, and with all the um, amazing things happening in women's MMA, I think more women are getting interested in MMA as well. But at the end of the day, I'm not even my role. I think is not trying to get women into MMA. I think my role is to try to appeal to the average woman who maybe doesn't see themselves as an MMA fighter, but says, you know, maybe I do want to learn how to defend myself and make it seem. Uh, um, Make it, you know, just educate women. The fact that number one, it's possible because, like, like me, I I never actually believed it was possible. Mm. I I just thought, like, what am I going to do against a guy who's much bigger and stronger than I am? And then when I started training jujitsu, it like everything in my mind just changed. It was like, it was like this whole world was opened up to me, and um, and I felt like this is something that every every woman in the world needs to understand. Like I was just, you know, now I want to share it with all my friends. I want everyone to know this. I want everyone to learn. And um, so I was very grateful that, you know, Henner was so supportive of that. And he found incredible value in that too, I think, to have a woman, you know, representing the art as well. Sure. You know, they're the best teachers in the world, but at the end of the day, they can't, connect with women the same way that a woman can in, in teaching. So I think that's where kind of my role came in and, and something that I hope to continue to, um, take it even further, you know, is, is women learning jiu-jitsu and, and just women learning to, to defend themselves, whether they become, you know, they start competition or whether they train and get their blue belt or whether, all I care about is that the average woman, the woman who maybe says, no, I'd rather take a yoga class or, oh, I, I'm too frail or I'm too old or I'm too overweight or I'm too small, that those are the women who get in and, and try class and start learning and, and just experience the kind of confidence that I felt um, when I started training. And I think it's, it's been huge. Yeah, yeah. It's been this is huge. the first
2: time you guys venture down this path. Like, obviously, there was you and your dad and your grandfather, but there was never really a woman. Well, exactly. Right. Exactly.
12: It was the missing link, right? To you know the the, the, the perpetuation of Gracie Jitsu on the on the global scale. I mean, you're noticing a difference. That it's a huge up? difference. I mean, well, I noticed it when she wasn't here. I felt I felt the the the, the void. Because all my life I've been teaching jiu-jitsu and watching my dad teach jiu-jitsu and we've taught women self-defense classes and we've always taught, you know, women empowered and, you know, before it was called rape safe way back when. And, you know, we're teaching these women and there's Hidon Henner, Harion, Halleck or whoever else, brothers, five men stand in front of a group of 50, 60 women. And we say, ladies, listen up. This is what happens. This is how you have to escape from it. And this is how you should do the move. And then Hidon does the move on me. Mm. And women are watching thinking, yeah, sure. Sure, he can do it yeah, on the you.
11: Six, four, yeah, the 6'4", super shape guy. Right. You guys, guys are there. fighters, there, yeah. you know
12: what I'm saying? Athletes, whatever. Like, of course you guys can do it. So it was a huge deal. And then, of course, as soon as I met Eve, and it wasn't even like, you know, an aspiration from the get-go, but as soon as I saw how she took to jujitsu, I thought, wow, this is, this is huge here because... You know, she's passionate for it. She speaks extremely well, and she has a great energy and enthusiasm. And you know, so we basically put her through a whole instructor training process, and and she adopted it as her own. So we couldn't have asked for more. And it's we've noticed a huge difference. We created the Women Empower DVD program that she's featured on, and and not only have you know women all over the country sent in feedback saying, listen, and men saying, hey, Henry, because of the Women Empowered and because of Eve and your sister Sage who are on the DVDs, my wife saw that and said that she could do it. So now we're training off the DVDs from home, learning together, husband and wife, practicing these moves, and that would have never happened if it was two guys showing women's self defense techniques, they couldn't connect with it. Uh, Not to mention the US Air Force uh, last year, Adopted Women Empower the women's self-defense program that we have. Yeah, which it's is, now
11: called Gracie Defense Systems. And but, it's basically yeah. sexual
12: assault in the Air Force is huge. It, wow. it's, it's, it's very it's a very serious problem. And when the statistics came out last year of how bad it was getting, progressively worse, one of the men in the Air Force who was a, a former student of ours and an instructor of ours, a guy named Ty, he said, hey, they have the Women Empowered program at the Gracie Academy. Check it out. They looked into it. They saw Eve doing her thing. And uh, they said, let's do it. So now every other month we travel to Air Force bases, right? And we're going, the next one is... Um, is Cheyenne, Wyoming, which yeah. is in February. And then we go to Ohio for another one, right? Patterson Air Force Base. And we certify 100 instructors on each Air Force Base in this program, in a one-week, 40-hour course. And with that information, they go and they teach tens of thousands of airmen on the base. They each teach individual little courses. And um, it's been remarkable. We've been doing that for for just over a year now. So... It's, it, you know, the U.S. Air Force. What bigger endorsement could you have for a, a program to defend against sexual assault? And it would not, for sure, it would not have been possible and it would not have connected with the with the potential students out there, if not for her.
2: I feel like this is, you're you're a lovely couple, great, you know, individuals, intelligent, but you couldn't have, I feel like this couldn't have worked for you, marriage and all that. You needed someone to <laughs> buy in. I think in, about that sometimes. Right? Major. Like, could you imagine if your wife know, was like a imagine. banker or something? I know my
12: past five you know, my, my, my only four or five, I forgot how many serious relationships I've had in my life, all ended because of jujitsu. jitsu They wouldn't buy in. Well, yeah. Well, they would kind of dabble, mm. but they didn't own it. And what ended up happening is there ended up being a kind of this situation where it's Henner, her, and jiu-jitsu. Mm. You see? And if I would spend too much time at jiu-jitsu, I would hear it from her. And if I spent too much time with her, I'd hear it from right. jiu-jitsu, right. the bosses over there, the, my partners, their brothers and father. So it was this, like, weird thing. And I always felt like I was being stretched and pulled and boom. And it was just, it wasn't comfortable. So a year, two years, three years sometimes, it would be together. But then it would have to break off because I felt, wow, I just want this tug and pull. And then I met her, and she took to it. And now it's like, Henry and Eve, jiu-jitsu. Wow. Boom.
1: Jackpot. It's amazing, bro.
12: It's you really, really amazing. It. So... And some people are looking at this and so say, yeah, if I owned the jiu-jitsu business, I too would, you know what I'm saying, get my, my, my wife or my girlfriend involved and I would just make her do it or whatever. And, <laughs> you know, it's easier said than done. You know, they have to, they have to, they have to fall in love with themselves. You can't fall in love for them. But what I will say is this. There are – what percentage of your viewers do you think are men? I'd Random. say pretty good. 90%. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Of those 90%, what percentage do you think practice mixed martial arts and or jiu-jitsu?
2: Mm, I'd say maybe 40 or there so. There you go. Oh. Somewhere in there. Right.
12: So that's probably how many viewers right there? That's probably 50,000 like, people, 100,000 people. More right
2: like 10 million? Yes. Yeah,
12: 10, 20 million right. people. Yeah. Just that 40%. Right. So right. of those 10, 20 million people, how many of them, and I know this is I have students of my own who have this problem, have a wife at home who is having that draw where the husband goes to jujitsu, the wife is like, come on, come home, the kids, whatever complain. And there's this constant battle between jujitsu, the house, the husband, the wife, in terms of energy, time, and, and all I'm getting at is the men that are out there who are jujitsu fanatics or, or even mixed martial arts, but for me it's a jujitsu thing, who have a wife who is kind of on the outskirts and who either tried it and was unsuccessful with it or who has never tried getting involved in self-defense, in this art, you should look into getting them involved because... Like, for example, what happened this weekend with Stephanie. Like, she Thanks. is in love with jiu-jitsu. Yeah. Like, mm. she now is like, oh, yeah, we're like, this is amazing. We're going to bring you guys back. We're going to keep this going. And she learned so fast. If they're introduced properly and they fall in love with the art, there doesn't have to be that tug and pull anymore. It can be something you do together. Not only will it prevent you from breaking apart, but it'll strengthen the bond. Mm. Jiu-jitsu yeah, for have... marriage, jiu-jitsu for relationships. <laughs> we have it. actually
11: a lot of families at, at the Gracie Academy. You know, it always starts with what? It's usually it starts with like the kids. Yes,
12: they, they the throw kids the kids in up. the class yeah. to make sure it's safe.
11: Right. You and know then They yeah. then, the kids sure, to the
12: wolves to see if it's going to be okay. Sure, if the kids survive. <laughs> then the dad will then sign up. Then the dad, up. right, right. Okay.
11: So then the dad signs up. Then the dad, they train for like three, four, five years. Long right? The time. mom always dropping off the kid, always coming to watch class, always yeah. just sitting there. And then finally Baby we have like duty. a free women's empowered seminar or whatever. And we just try, hey, moms, like come in and just take the class. class free. Just one time. Just it'll be so much fun. Finally we get the moms in and then what happens? Now everyone's training. The whole family it's is amazing. training together. We go to the academy.
12: We're all going to the academy.
11: like families, and Jay. It's, it's like the new it's soccer awesome. mom.
12: It's just everybody yeah. comes yeah. together, right? but this time mom. she's actually playing soccer is the whole point. Right. She's yeah. doing it. So she has a vested interest, and in, it's a family thing. It really brings the family. Because think about it. If your family doesn't have something that you guys all do together regularly. You're and, always going
11: to be a part. Yeah, you're something. always going to be like, be I'm going something. here, you're
12: going there. We, we eat dinner together, and we do homework together. But if that's it, if there's no hobbies that connect you beyond just being family members. Now, some people say, oh, you have family, you have to have your own things. You know, you got to have your separate things that that you do. And Mm -hmm. she dances and does her thing and and her cardio bar and, you know, her Zumba and I do my surfing Mm -hmm. and I do my skimboarding and I do my workouts and stuff like that and we have our separate things. But there should be a united hobby, something that brings them together at home they can watch and care about together. And the thing is, we only started realizing how important this was with Gracie University, with the Women Empower DVD programs, with things that put training in the home. Families are getting it and saying, Henner, this is helping our marriage. My kids are doing bully proof. And then my wife started the Women Empowered. And now we're doing it together, husband and wife. Gracie Combat Women Empowered. I'm teaching her. And we were on the rocks there for a while. It was just not a great marriage. But this is bonding us. So yeah, that kind story- of feedback. True story, yeah. You you can't you can't put a price on. But that. But there's you know a what very
11: specific. I mean, it could either go really right or it can go wrong, this and that's true. the thing. Is like you really have to approach it the right way. Whereas if a man, sometimes a man, when he teaches a woman, he wants to say, "Oh no, you're doing," and, and they almost care too much, right? right. Like, oh, you're doing it wrong. Very this is you know. And then once you get that, it's like it's not a good. Tension. it's not a good thing. Well, yeah, yeah. Then, then tr- it becomes more tension. Have you ever tried to teach your wife
12: something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't it interesting? <laughs> it could be tough. Yeah. Very interesting. Why? <laughs> because your wife wants to impress you. She spent her whole life becoming a person that could be perfect for you to have kids and have a family and live happily ever after. So when she's trying to peel an apple, as in my case, for example,
8: or, you know, scoop
12: a papaya seeds out or cut an avocado and chop the seed out of the center, like and she's trying to be perfect and do it. And you're here saying, no, 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 honey. No, 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 no. Do it like this. Do it like that. Oh, I bet
2: this happens all the time with this guy tutorials and everything. So it's a
12: very tricky thing. So, you know, and the avocado is something that really matters and you got to really make sure it's perfect. So I have to intervene. But for something that like self-defense or practicing at home, what we suggest is expect nothing, praise everything. Okay, so you show a technique. Let's say your wife watches the technique on the Gracie University website and she sees lesson one and she's doing a trap and roll and she grabs the wrist incorrectly. You have two options. You can say, no, honey, grab like this. Or you can say, that was amazing. Let's try it again. And then she does it again. That was really good, honey. Let's watch it one more time. And then we plug it in. We watch it one more time. Five minutes later, she sees the thumb detail on her own. Mm. She fixes it on her own next time, so she'll get the details over time. Don't have to correct everything now. Why does the husband want to correct everything? Number one, he wants to show that he knows. I know why does he want to correct. (laughs) I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Number one, he (laughs) wants to show that he knows better. Right. Number two, and I'm guilty of this with the avocados. Number two is that he cares about her doing the move correctly. Like he's thinking, if I can teach her the move perfectly today, then she won't get sexually assaulted tomorrow. Right. So she has to do it perfectly, like Henry. And he don't show it on the DVD, or like Eve shows it on the DVD. So, honey, no, 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 it can't be like that. It's got to be like this problem is if you have that attitude with that approach of instruction now this is for kids you're going to need that pretty soon Bullyproof. i'm going to send you the Bullyproof dvd series what's the young champ's name uh, oliver oliver yes the champ needs Bullyproof. he's two and a half he's two he's almost two typically we start him around two and a half gracie games all the way tackle the giant crazy legs crazy horse bulldozer spider kid crazy legs all the fun is games <laughs> we'll get him thank you so <laughs> but the most important thing with the kid is what expect nothing praise everything so that you think okay i need them to do the move perfectly That's why you want the dad wants the kid to do the move right or the husband wants the wife to do the move right. That's a big picture thought. They got to do the move right so we got to make sure it's perfect. The bigger picture as Hedon would say is that you need them to stay engaged long enough to get the reflexes for it to one day work against that potential threat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which and if means they're not
11: having fun, they won't stick they around. They won't do class they number stick-
12: two if their association is jiu-jitsu means disappointing my husband, my father, whoever. Mm. You see? So yeah. when kids go to class and you're coaching them from the sideline, what do they start to associate? Jiu-jitsu learning is uh, an opportunity to disappoint my dad because I do everything wrong. Be careful when you coach from the sideline. That is for all parents. Not just jiu-jitsu dads or moms. It's for soccer. It's for anything. If you want them to have fun, don't yell at them from the sideline. Whenever they do, tell them good job. It's all good because the kid only really knows what you tell them. And if you tell them that they're doing a whack job or they're not doing very good, they won't stick
2: in it long enough to get the results that you signed them up for to begin with. Mm. I'm done. (laughs) Everything you're saying is right. This guy is a motivational speaker right Yes, he is. Very motivating. I'd love to see what uh, family life is like at home. One last question. we're, We're running out of time. Why I've noticed you more at events. I've noticed you more You're with Rhonda You're with Brendan You're very observant, man Yeah. So what's going Why all of a sudden? What's happening well, there? And, and how much of your time Because you do all the stuff You travel Sure And then you have to be there With these guys or girls uh, How do you balance the two? First, why is it happening All of a sudden? Well, um, Rhonda uh, Brendan Schaub
12: Jake Ellenberger uh, Leodo are four of the primaries We're teaching right now It seemed like a year ago I never saw you at any yeah. event um, Well, here's the deal They're They're realizing <laughs> Right what I've known, you know, about Hidon, for example, for my whole life, you know what I mean? I've trained with some of the best grapplers and fighters in the world, and no one threatens my life like Hidon does. And, you know, he's not here, but if you ask him, I'm sure he'd say the similar thing about me. And uh, people are realizing that now, you know. For example, Leodo you know, came to me and was, we were rolling and did the first class. And he just walked in and wanted to do a group class. Leoto came to the Gracie Academy and said, I want to sign up for regular group classes. Like, I don't <laughs> want to be coach. Like, I don't need the Gracie to like, be my personal coach. He was just right. like, Can I just jump into class? He just came into class. And I rolled with him in the class. And then I said, hey, Come on, bro, let's do a private class. I'll pull you aside. And we did some stuff on the side. And it took like two months. And then he finally said it. He's like, like, this is amazing. Like, people talk about Gracie Jiu Jitsu and people talk about, you know, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and BJJ. And I never knew there was a difference. But this is what, what I just felt from you and from Hidon. I want that. I've trained with grapplers all over the world, and no one submits me and threatens me jujitsu wise like you guys do. And, you know, he said this other, to other people as well before, and, you know, and, and I thought, wow, that's interesting. Like, I've known this about Hiron, but I've never had a you know, chance to train with Lyoto to feel that from someone on the outside. And, you know, it was, it, was, it was cool to hear that from him, who has trained with the top echelon of UFC sure. fighters in the world. And uh, so he just said, I want to be able to have this jiu-jitsu where from every position you're attacking, you're submitting people, you're going for the kill, going for the kill all the time. So... They're realizing that that is a very systematic based approach, very scientific, and you see it in the Gracie breakdowns. Like we're not just there blabbing yeah. about randomness. Sure, like sure. we're isolating very specific things that are happening in these fights, and and, uh, and 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 they're catching on to that, you know. And it just you know took some time, and like everyone, like a fighter will mature. We're maturing as instructors, and you know people are realizing that little by little. And I taught Rhonda two nights, uh, three nights ago, uh, Thursday before I came to Connecticut. And I said, Rhonda, like, and and I helped her with the last fight, and I'm going to be in Vegas with her for this next one. I said, so how did you hear about us? You know, like, how did this even start? Because she started rolling heat on it first, and she's like, I saw a Gracie breakdown. Wow. Yeah, she's like, (laughs) I watched a Gracie breakdown of (laughs) of one of my fights that you guys did. And a lot of people do, like, analysis of my fights, and I never really watch them, and a lot of them suck. But when I watch you guys' breakdown of my fight, I learned something from your breakdown of my fight. And I thought, okay, that's cool. Like, Gracie Breakdowns are working. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <of course. laughs> I'm saying, From, from Rondas nice. to regular people in, in, in everyday life, you know, they're, they're encouraging people to take action. Right. And whether it's a professional fighter or someone who's just at the couch at home and sees that and thinks, man, that's MMA, but that's Gracie Jiu-Jitsu within it. And I think that I can do that, you know. And I feel like until you have stepped on the mat, until you've done your first official class, not the informal Gracie Breakdown choke in the the backstage, until you've done your official first class, Gracie (laughs) University or Gracie Academy, the Gracie Breakdowns have
2: not served their most important purpose. Mm. Just me. It's all on me now. Well, I'm just saying. I know when I say you, I got the rest of the world. Right, right, right. Okay, (laughs) okay. Um, I, I was hoping that you'd bring the bowl... Because I saw the picture of... Uh, well, we had it. Here's the thing. Oh, acai it, is a perishable thing. Sure, sure.
12: So I got the thing. I put some dry ice. I had the frozen acai bowl, granola on the side, coconut and dried figs chopped up right. already. She chops them beautifully. We had the frozen bowl. We got on the plane. We landed in Connecticut.
2: It was melted yeah naturally mm-hmm. yes you and if it melts and it's it. perishable i had to let it go ah. mm-hmm.
12: it was honorable how we released it into nature <laughs> right but the bowl had to be surrendered so what does this You're basically mean?
11: saying you have to come to california you gotta to come get to the bowl. kitchen right. yeah. to
12: feel the gracie breakdown That's we'll do a special edition of one of these i would love it in the kitchen say <laughs> bowl let me just say this okay all the fighters have had it right ronda's had it who came recently richard norton richard the famous norton. martial arts actor chuck norris his best brother had it <laughs> richard norton was at her house a week ago Everyone who comes has had it. The problem is, it does two things. It's the most revolutionary <laughs> nutritional <laughs> consumption experience of your life. Sure. But it also ruins all chances for future excitement because this Enjoyment is only end of other. Well, yeah, because it's only exists always, in one place.
2: Right.
11: And you always have to just compare from
12: right. that point.
2: Naturally, right. Naturally, you're going to compare. I, I want it. Best you've I ever need had. it. Yeah. And, I uh, thought you were going to surprise me. I, I, yeah, yeah, I'm not well,
12: going to lie. I thought you were going to Honestly, you
11: probably would have, but. To be fair, we were literally driving from sure, Connecticut no, in fair. the car. Fair. I was feeding Henner in the car. Yeah. Wow. Hand, we were hand rushing fed. Here,
12: bro. You said, don't be late. What's up? Watermelon. Yeah. yeah. were early. yeah
2: 25 yeah. minutes early. We, were. Minutes yes. early. we so. were scared
11: of New York traffic. Very scared. But we made it. Much well,
2: respect. This yes. has been a joy. Really appreciate it. Hold on. Let's it. Sure. Yes. Metamoris. Yes, yes, yes. The Let's plug, plug. Yes. The okay, yeah, Come yeah. on. There it is. This is from your last Metamorris. Yeah. I hope I get another one. I get two black belts?
12: Yes. So you guys, for those who don't know, March 29th, 2014, um, Just announced. Like, Just South announced. California. Today. Just announced. Yeah. My brother Halleck announced it. Uh, Meta Morris 3 is going down. Eddie Bravo, the twister, rubber guard master. Eddie Bravo against Hoyler Gracie. Um, part my, 2. Yes, part, part 2. two. It's, uh, it's going down. And uh, people didn't think Where's it was gonna go going down? down. I think it's in LA. It's Southern okay. California, yeah. Um, it, this is the second time they fought. It's they like fought what? 12 years ago. I was going to say Eddie 10, yeah. 12 years. Eddie caught Hoyler in a triangle. And um, the family was upset. Well, He's know. kind of
2: been hanging his hat on this win for yeah, a long time, I think, right? I
12: think you know. Well, as Hoiler says it in the interview, you know, in the um, in his in his pre-fight interview that's now available online, the hype, the fight hype video. Sure. He says, you know, people, a lot of people were upset because they thought it was a fluke, you know. And I don't, you know, my personal opinion is, the, you know. Eddie's very good And Eddie's very creative And he caught And Hoyler made one mistake So maybe Hoyler's mistake Was a fluke You know what I'm saying But the fact is Eddie is good You know And, and if you mess up You can get caught But um, you know If you ask me Who's gonna win the rematch
2: You know what I'm saying Right Are you calling it
12: No You're I'm not I'm gonna be on the sidelines Just chilling out Competing spectating. Yeah no, no 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 I'm just Why there you compete I'm just there Support Brotherly great. support
2: Brotherly support It'd be huge news Listen No I got a puppy <laughs> <laughs> He's So, got more so important things. it's gonna be there Will you, yeah. will you ever compete
11: uh, no. No. I don't. Well, I guess never say never, but at this point in my life, I've, I feel like, and, yeah. again, the the vision is kind of more with the, the teaching and sharing. Right. And, Fair enough. And I would thing. have to literally be training every single day, nonstop, right. you know, It's to the same question I get for the UFC
12: and for Morris and for everything else. Yeah. The reality is I have so much respect for UFC fighters, so much, for these yeah. competitors who are competing on the world level, right. uh, for Morris, even. These guys are professional Brazilian jiu-jitsu. They make a living competing full-time. This is something you do
8: as a hobby. It's yeah, and like,
12: I, since know. I've been around it my whole life, I know that unless you give your whole life to the training for that encounter... Mm -hmm. You don't just go in there And just do that You know what I'm saying Like it's not You don't just go and casually do that Or at least in my opinion My personal Knowing my work ethic And my dedication To these things So You know The teaching has taken Such an amount of energy And time and, and focus Because I know there's millions Out there waiting to learn I gotta get to them You know what I'm saying Because that's my passion. And that's what I want to do. And if I don't do it, nobody will. And I just figure if I'm going to put my energy all in that, it's got to be, I got to be the best in the world at something. I'm going to be the best in the world at getting people off the couch, onto the mat, training jujitsu and all the positive life changes that come with that. If I do that, everyone else can fight amongst themselves and uh, <laughs> we'll see them at the top. So that's, that's my idea. And it's just, you know, it's where we have to go with it. We got to do it. Fair enough. Best in the world, like respect. our friend CM Punk. That's right. Yes. Right? <laughs> who I'll
2: be seeing uh, later on this week in Chicago. Yeah, cool. he's gonna be he out, t- out in LA soon.
12: Yeah. February 10th is out in LA in the credit train as well. So Another person
2: Punk. who has uh, drank the Kool Aid, so to speak.
11: Oh, yes, he has. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. Wearing those sweatshirts all the time. And it's him great. on the acai bowls, ask him oh, about yeah. the bowl, bro. This yeah. guy's like, you know, coming to LA, <laughs> have my bowls ready. Thank <laughs> you so much. <laughs> really appreciate it. I know you guys are here for a limited amount of time. Much respect, you guys. Everyone out there who's just like, you know,
12: they're thinking about it. They're like, I think jujutsu might be right for me, and I've seen a thousand gracie breakdowns, and I've seen all the MMA hours and all this talk, but you're not sure. It's very simple, you guys. Gracieuniversity.com. Watch the first three lessons. If they're not the best lessons you've ever seen in your entire life, I'll let you choke Hedon for free.
2: Wow. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> it's get a good neck. deal. You heard it here first. Thank you very much to Henner, Eve great people and uh, check them out online you see the Twitter accounts it's below their names right here if you want to ask them anything this man replies usually in longer than 140 characters because yes. it's hard sometimes and mazel on the uh, as we say in my country yes. on the wedding
11: thank you very much thank thank you very that nice means man.
2: congratulations it's Yes. good luck all and that stuff alright in a second um, we will be back to answer your questions giving out those tops cards right now speaking of training uh, Ronda Rousey Joe Warren told me a couple of days ago that he'll be training Ronda Rousey as well for that Sarah McMahon Fight. Here's that interview that I had with uh, Joe Warren in Brooklyn just uh, a little less than two weeks ago. We'll be back in a second right here on the MMA Hour. So there you have it. Joe Warren, at the end of that interview, uh, dropping the nugget that uh, Ronda, through his management, had reached out to him. Interesting because he has a history with one, uh, Sarah McMahon. Of course, we know about his wrestling background, and it sounds like he might be joining the energy himself in helping Ronda prepare for Sarah McMahon February 28th in Las Vegas. That's UFC 170. You can watch the rest of that interview uh, right now over at mmafighting.com. All right, just a few minutes left uh, on the program. Try not to extend the past four hours, which, uh, as you may have um, heard on the show in the past, I I start to deconstruct as a human being once we hit the the five o'clock Eastern. Uh, By the way, um, New York Rick, are you there? Yep, I'm here. It's been a fun show today. Actually, one of my favorites in a while. I was just, oh my gosh, what's up? It just hit me that the uh, the Knicks were playing a a, a rare Monday matinee game because of Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Yep. Wow. Let us not speak of that right now. Oh, is, did you just check the score? Yeah, is it bad? I did. Oh, oh it just kind of hit me that <laughs> I was like, oh my <laughs> gosh. Um, anyhow, okay, let's uh, let's answer some questions. We have uh, the tops cards, right? Yep. We have the top's cards from. Uh, who, who are you typing to right now? Are you busy? Uh, are we interrupting you? Actually,
0: yes, but I okay. will continue to do the read um, before you interrupted. Twenty thirteen UOC Bloodlines uh, out in stores now, uh, celebrating the global phenomenon that is UOC. Each box, each that big box that Ariel's holding right there, contains ten mini boxes, and each mini box contains five cards. Uh, that could contain a fighter autograph, a piece of fighter memorabilia, or both. Uh, so five autographs and five memorabilia cards per box. Uh, for more information, visit www.tops.com or
2: facebook.com tops. All right. And my, uh, my good friend Andy Mayer, who is in Florida right now, just texted me that he was so inspired by that last segment, he just signed up for the Gracie Academy in San Diego. He's moving there. So how about that? Henner, you owe me one. All right. Let's, uh, let's answer some questions. Uh, Okay, Uh, Scott Cohn,
0: uh, the artist who did the Bloodline stuff, the stuff that you see in the studio, he's saying you can win um, the original art for the cards. I'm not sure how. I'm trying to find that out now, but either way, um, you can win that as well. Website first? What's that? Yeah. Let's start with the website, as usual. Actually, while I bring those
2: up... um, we got the Roots of Fight uh, Under Armour stuff on the desk. Congratulations to our friends at Roots of Fight. Collaboration with Under Armour. How about that? They finally uh, hit the big time. Finally, I kid. They've been uh, the big time for a long time. Here's a Mike Tyson shirt. Yeah. Iron Mike. And then we have a uh, a Jack... You know, I tried on one of these, and uh, I'm not just saying this because we're talking about them and we like them. Jesse over there at Roots of Fight. The quality is just something else of these shirts. And... um, this is another Under Armour one. It's uh, Jack Johnson. There you have it right there. So congratulations to them. You can get the stuff over at uh, Under Armour or Roots of Fight on uh, their website, rootsoffight.com. I, don't, I think just underarmour.com. Are you kidding
0: me? Just, yeah. yeah. Okay. Sorry about that. Um, no, but congrats to them. That's a great collaboration. All right. First question from the website. Regarding Nick Newell, Ali Abdelaziz said after the event on Saturday that they are looking to book Newell versus Gaethje for the next lightweight title fight. Do you think this title shot will come one fight too soon for Newell?
2: I've been thinking about this. I'm kind of going back and forth. I kind of feel like uh, might as well strike while the iron is hot and give Newell the shot. He is uh, the next, you know, the next biggest guy at 155 in WSOF. But here's my thing: they're going to make their debut on NBC later on uh, this summer, right? I, I, I truly believe that that's the fight that should probably main event or co-main event um, the show. Can they keep Newell and Gaethje on the sidelines until then? Or do you roll the dice, have Newell fight in, say, March or so? If he wins that fight against a step-up, then he gets Gaethje. So I could see both ways. All roads need to lead to NBC with Nick Newell. Uh, Nick Newell needs to be on that show, in my opinion. Um, and if he can win one more, more power to them. If you feel like it's too risky, then make the title fight right away. But in a perfect world, I would book him in March against someone, get one more win, and then have him fight Gaethje on NBC this summer.
0: Our next question, thoughts on Anthony Johnson's resurgence. He knocks out Mike Kyle in one round, hasn't missed weight at his new weight class of 205, and he's 6-0 and since cut by, since being cut by the UFC. Is it time for Anthony Johnson to come back to the UFC?
2: I mean, look, in, in, a, in a scenario like this, you're kind of crapping on WSOF. But if you're asking me, does Anthony Johnson deserve to be in the UFC 100%? Anthony Johnson should be in the UFC. Uh, he, is, uh, he is worthy enough of being in the UFC. He is good enough to be in the UFC. And quite frankly, he was good enough to be in the UFC a few years ago when he was cut. Unfortunately, he couldn't make weight at 170, missed weight at 185 against Vitor Belfort, and uh, has finally found his home at 205. Uh, if he wants to go to the UFC, in my opinion, he deserves to be there. He should be there. It's a matter of, A, how loyal is he to WSOF? They helped him in this resurgence. And uh, can they come to terms? That, that's the big question. Glenn said they'll, they'll give WSUF the first shot. But if you're asking me, considering the 205-pound division, considering that they could use some contenders, Anthony Johnson versus Phil Davis, Anthony Johnson versus Shogun Hua, I mean, all those guys, they could use some guys all of a sudden right now at 205. My guess is he ends up in the UFC. This is a curveball here. With Benson Henderson
0: being the main event this Saturday, I was reminded of he oh, yes. and Ariel's one-on-one basketball game that never happened. It's the middle of basketball season. After this Saturday, can this still happen? And
2: he's suggesting you tape it. Sure. I mean, that would be unbelievable. I would want it to be put on the record that I beat a former UFC lightweight champion, a potentially future lightweight champion, in a game of basketball in some kind of athletic endeavor. Um, I kind of, you know, move back on that one because he has a fight. You know, I don't want to get something crazy happens. He gets hurt. I don't want to be responsible for any of that. But uh, I will see him. And as I've told him, I'm usually at most of the events. You can find me. I'm very easy to spot. Um, Let me know when you're around. After the fight, if he has some free time, NBA All-Star game. I mean, I I don't know. You know, they like to do the dunk contest, the three-point contest, all that stuff. I kind of feel like we're a bit above that. I, mean, I I don't know if that's something they want, we want to give away for free. TNT, you know, ESPN, whatever. Uh, maybe pay per view. We could talk about it. But uh, once he is done with Thompson and has some free time, I am obviously willing to discuss. You know, the terms, the place. I mean, for me, it's really anywhere, anytime, any place. For him, he's the one that has all these restrictions. So again, he knows where to find me. I'm right here. I'm not going anywhere. Uh, take care of your business in Chicago, and then we can talk. Our next question, BJ
0: Penn is training at Nova Uniao. I've seen some shots on Instagram of him and Hen and Burau. BJ doesn't look too thin, but he doesn't look bigger than Brow. Return of the prodigal son, question mark.
2: Well, I mean, this is probably a question for you. When you saw those pictures, and I know you did. Yep. In the, um, It was like a jacuzzi of sorts, hot tub. There I mean, were other ones outside of that one. What were you feeling? I'm excited. I mean... I noticed that he looked smaller. Did you?
0: Yeah, I mean... Mm. it's not bj looked okay uh, um the last time he went down to 155 it wasn't like uh we haven't seen him been been in great shape before um and that, that i don't really put any stock into that um but the fact that he's outside of his comfort zone of hawaii and training you know with some of the best fighters on the planet that really going back to his roots yeah that really gives me gives me a reason to be excited about his return at the same time um you know i'm still a little hesitant i've been, I've been hurt too many times by, by BJ wow now. how about that but you can bet that i will be so cheering it, my face off so so
2: if, so if you had it your way, you would prefer he doesn't return no what well i mean if, if he's hurt you this and that like just let it be why come back no when to say when yeah, I need to be hurt like that. You I, want he has to? to come you're back. happy to see he has to come back, but he has to. Why does he have to
0: come back? He has to perform. Well, I mean, I, I think BJ Penn still has some fight in him. It's not like uh, I mean he has been through some wars, but I don't think he's been through the the type of ups and downs where um, he's just been a punching bag his entire career. He he kind of still has some fight in him, um, and. I, I think he deserves to leave on better terms. And I, and I think he will. Uh, I, I think he'll, he'll be motivated for this fight. And I mean, you know, this training camp um, that he's doing now is, is proof of that. Is that, you know, he's, he's looking to do something outside of what he's been doing to this point.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, we'll see. <laughs> With BJ, everyone likes to say, oh, the old BJ's back, this and that. We get all excited. Let's see what happens. Let's see how the show goes. Let's see how he looks on the show. And then the only annoying thing is, is that the fight is still like six months away. So I wouldn't put too much stock into what we're seeing in January when he's probably going to fight Frankie in July. It's a long ways away. It's just a good sign that he's, sure. he's outside he's, of— He's out of the comfort zone. Yeah. He's back with the guys who you know he started with. It's all
0: good signs. Next question. Do you think UFC Fight Pass is a serious attempt to slowly integrate the, the UFC off of the pay-per-view model or at least get— or at least downgrade the amount of pay-per-view events a year. For example, the UFC could limit themselves to four-stack pay-per-view events annually, one event quarterly. What would be the pros and cons of this strategy if implemented?
2: Honestly, I don't think so. I mean, look at UFC 168. Uh, according to Dave Meltzer, it did around 1 to 1.1 million. Um, look at uh, you know UFC 158 did great with GSP and Diaz. Now, they've had some ones that didn't do all that well. 166 didn't do great. 167 didn't do great. Now, they don't make these numbers public, but... Meltzer says it. I trust him. Um, again, I do believe you cannot compare Fight Pass to WWE Network. Fight Pass is gravy. Fight Pass really is something that came about within the last year or so where they had these shows internationally. They wanted to grow the sport internationally, and they said, all right, let's put these local shows on. In the, the, the prime time slot in England, you know, uh, Poland, uh, China, Singapore, all, the, all these places— and uh, and we're going to cater to those markets. And for a while, they didn't even know if those shows uh, would air here in any capacity um, here in the United States and North America. And then they finally decided that they're going to do it on Fight Pass, charge people, the prelims, whatever. And, and it's kind of evolved since then. It's not the WWE Network who, you know, WWE has essentially waved the white flag and said, all right, pay-per-views just isn't cutting it. We're going to put these um, these pay-per-views online and bundle them up, and you can buy them for $9.99 a month um, in installments of six months, et cetera. It's a totally different model. Now, it can't evolve into that, but the UFC is still making money off pay-per-view, and all roads lead to pay-per-view at the end of the day. That's where they'll make, um, if things go well, their most money. They can use TV and other outlets to build to pay-per-view. So right now, I don't see it happening. Could it happen in 10 years? Things evolve, sure. But let's see how this thing's this thing plays out. It, it could very well change. Um, but right now, it's not WWE Network, and it's not them waving the white flag on pay per view. These next questions are from Twitter, eligible for the tops cards. Uh,
0: first question: With Jessica Aguilar having such a great showing at WSOF, should the UFC buy her
2: contract for Tough Twenty? I mean, that's that's a question more for you know um, for WSOF. I mean, they. Uh, they have to be, they have to be you know, um, in agreement to do something like this. I asked Ali before her fight. You know, it, it seemed like the right move when they, they signed her because w, uh, w, uh, UFC was not in the strawweight business. Um, and then all of a sudden they got in the strawweight business. And that was one of the, you know, other than 135, probably the best division for women's MMA. Uh, so once they got in, it changed everything for WSUF. And I asked them if they were actually going to release her. Um, it sounds like she's not all that interested, at least right now, to go through tough and all that. I mean she doesn't want to go through the house, and she's playing her cards right. Power to her. Um, so right now, I foresee her remaining with WSOF. They've signed three or four women. Who uh, Robert Sargent, who runs MMArising.com, who I consider to be the the leader in all things women's MMA, says that they're you know that they're they're okay challenges for her. Um, so I foresee her, you know, being with them for at least, you know, the remainder. I think it's a four fight deal, something around that. So I I don't see UFC trying to buy her out. They have 11 women. Um, there are ones like Jessica Panay who announced that she's moving up to 115 from 105. Who's going to try out. They'll get their 16 women. They'll be fine without Jessica Aguilar. At some point she keeps winning. Her price will only go up. Interest will only go up. I think in some ways this might be a smart play, especially if she doesn't want to go through the house.
0: Our next question, with Rampage and Spong fighting on Twitter, is there a possibility of at least one fight collaboration between Bellator and the WSOF?
2: I mean, I don't see it happening. I saw there was a press conference uh, today, a conference call where they announced that light heavyweight tournament that we talked about earlier. Um, someone asked Bjorn Rebney about the WSOF call-out, and he said, I'm interested in our business, not call-outs. It's not happening. Um, Uh, Tarant Spunk just signed a new multi-fight contract with WSOF. Rampage isn't going anywhere. So they could talk all they want, but the fight isn't happening. At at least not anytime soon. Our next
0: question. Do you see a Jacare versus Rockhold matchup in the future? Uh, Okay, (laughs) that's it. That's the question. I want two days. What is that?
2: Oh, he wants... He's he's on his knees pleading like GSP. But he, he messed it up. He said, "In my GSP voice, I want oh today's prize so bad, give it to me." This is your question. This is the question that you asked to get the prize. There wasn't
0: really uh, many questions about Rockhold. Uh, oh, okay, so I, I got gotcha. you. Thought one that. Touch. Okay,
2: it's no, appropriate. No, I'm not ripping on you for choosing the question. I'm just this is the best you can do if you want the prize. I think that's a, g- a decent question. I mean, I guess that's just that's just a prediction. Rockhold looked fantastic. He looked as we expected him to look when he defeated Costas um last Wednesday. Um, he was a man on a mission, looked like the old Luke Rockhold, loved what he said afterwards. It was great to see him get back on track. Do I see another fight happening? Absolutely. A, there are still a lot of people, including New York Rick, who think that Jacare won that first fight. And in the UFC, sometimes it's you know if it didn't happen in the UFC, it didn't really happen. And a lot of people didn't see that fight. They're very close to each other. If you ask me what I would do with Luke Rockhold next, well, basically, there's a little middleweight tournament going on. Of course, Chris Wyman's going to fight Vitor Belfort for the belt later on this year. Then, on February 15th, Gegard Mousasi dropping out to 185. He's fighting Lyoto Machida, who won his 185 debut uh, October 26th against Mark Munoz. Co-main event is Jacare versus Francis Carmont. I predict that the guy who looks the best out of those four will get the winner of Weidman versus Vel- uh, Vitor Belfort. The guy who doesn't get the title shot but does win on February 15th, I think, should fight Mr. Luke Rockhold. So if Machida looks great and he's next, then if Jacare wins, we might see Jacare Luke Rockhold next.
0: Our next question, does the lack of public support for GSP's comments verify that
2: fighters are afraid to speak out? It's very interesting. You know, um, I can't sit here and say that fighters are afraid to speak out because, you know, I can't speak for all of them. But I will tell you this, I did speak to fighters who uh, were very much in agreement with some of the things that GSP said. And in in agreement with the idea, the notion that they are somewhat afraid to speak out. I don't want to say afraid, but hesitant. And you can understand where they're coming from. Um, You know, look, if I'm upset with uh, SB Nation, I'm not going to sit here and publicly complain about them, right? I might say things behind the scenes. I might keep it to myself, but it wouldn't be the smartest thing. Now I'm not, you know, a fighter and people aren't covering me and, you know, putting out stories, things like that. It's a little different and it's it's a tougher spot to be in. But I think what he was getting at was you don't have the freedom to say, all right, if I'm going to say this and potentially burn that bridge, I at least could go here, there, or here. If you're an NFL player and you speak up about your team, which a lot of them don't do, um, that wouldn't be the smartest thing because you probably won't play. But if you do do that, well, then you have, you know, 29 other teams that you can go play for. It's not quite the same in mixed martial arts. You could go fight for Bellator and you can make money there, um, but maybe you don't want to fight for Bellator. Maybe you don't like, you know, their tournament format. Maybe you don't like Bjorn Rebney. Maybe you don't like Spike TV. Who knows? And then it's pretty much, you know, World Series of Fighting, not quite there just yet. You can go to one FC, you can go overseas, and then it's pretty much it. So it's a tough spot, and you have to be very careful. Um, am I surprised that no one is saying I agree with you, GSP? No. Uh, do I think that fighters are a little hesitant to speak out when they are on the UFC roster? Yes. Not only because you know they, you know, it's it's it just would it wouldn't make sense business wise. It would be a, a somewhat you know career suicide to do that. But look at someone like Tim Kennedy. Tim Kennedy said he can make more being a garbage man. He wins a couple fights, and now he's meeting with Dana. He's getting a new contract. He's getting Michael Bisping. So guys speak out sometimes, but for the most part, I think they're afraid of the repercussions because they don't like what else is out there. I don't think the UFC is a monopoly. I think that the UFC um, is by far number one. It's not even close. There's a massive gap, a huge gap between number one and number two. And they were the kind of, you know, strong survivor. They were the last man standing, so to speak, even though there are others. But I don't agree with Dana's $40 billion thing because obviously Bellator doesn't have $40 billion to work with. That's not their budget. Can't say that. But they are out there. And World Series of Fighting is out there and 1FC is out there. If you get released, like Okami and Fitch and other people, you have somewhere to go. It might not be as good as lucrative, but at least there's are somewhere. And if that remains... It's, uh, it's not a monopoly. But I, I do agree, there's a, there's, a, there's a very big fall from one to number two. And I will also say that, uh, you know, in, 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 uh, in 2014 in mixed martial arts, if you want to be, you know, if you want to be, there was another thing I really wanted to say, and I kind of lost my train of thought because we've approached the, the four-hour mark. But the, the, the basic premise is you, uh, you need to think twice about saying things publicly, and, and uh, that's the position that anime fighters are in.
0: Our next question, will GSP's comments lead to uniform drug testing in the UFC? Does the lack thereof hurt the UFC's legitimacy?
2: Well, I, you know, look, they do test everyone who um, is signed. They test everyone um, when they are in a a city that doesn't have, um, you know, a regulatory body. But those tests are announced. I mean, they know when those tests are happening. You know if you're about to sign with the UFC, you know what's going on. If you're going to fight in China, you know what's going on. It's all about random testing. That's the big one. Um, and that's the one that the commissions don't often do because they don't have money, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Kevin Ioli earlier in the show said that they are willing to work with the commissions to do more, to do more unannounced testing. That's brilliant. That's great. And, and they should do more. Um, when Dana keeps saying that they're being tested by the government, and re- yeah, that may be true, but the government isn't doing enough. And I'm not convinced that they're being tested more or, uh, you know, more um, uh, stricter than Major League Baseball. I'm not convinced. I don't think that's true. So they could do more. If they want to do more, they can. It's just going to cost money. And we'll see. You know, I don't know if GSP's comments in particular will do it, but this is a very interesting time. It's a very interesting time because GSP has never abused his power in the past. GSP has always been the company guy. He's never tried to make headlines. He has one foot out the door. He's not Rampage. He's not Randy Couture. He's not going off into the sunset, and they don't need to worry about him. He has one foot out the door, and he has one foot still in the door. And they could use GSP. Let's let's not kid ourselves. He's one of, if not the biggest star in MMA. So they can't kick his butt. They can't, you know, bury him. They can't just dismiss what he's saying. That's why you see, for the most part, the words are being chosen wisely. What GSP is saying is very impactful. We'll see how far he takes it. Is it just a story, uh, you know, of the week? Is it just going to die after, you know, a couple weeks? We'll see. If he keeps going, it's definitely, you know, something worth monitoring, and it could be the biggest story of the year and then some.
0: This is our last question. How big will the Super Bowl... Factor into UFC 169. And then he asked for our Super Bowl picks.
2: So, I don't know. I mean, look, if you don't know, um, New York slash New Jersey is going to be incredible. Uh, there's a play... Well, let me see. Let me see if I can find the Super Bowl. What they're doing in New York, the amount of... I don't know if I can find it. The amount of events that they're doing from hockey games at Yankee Stadium to uh, Knicks versus Heat. I know all kinds of college basketball. It's just a, cr- they've truly stacked deck. I was actually listening to uh, the radio a couple of days ago and they were saying this will be the greatest week in New York slash New Jersey history. Now, what's interesting is every time they mention these things, like I was listening to ESPN radio, they don't mention the UFC. That just shows where we are right now on the sporting landscape. They don't mention the UFC. It's amazing. Some do, but often they don't. They mention college basketball, the NHL, the NBA, um, of course, the NFL stuff going on. They don't mention the UFC. I think the UFC will get the rub. I think a lot of guys will be there. A lot of athletes will want to go. Um, you know, I'm not sure if media, extra media is going to go. That's, that, that, that remains to be seen. But I think it was the right move, especially because the Super Bowl is on Fox. And uh, it it just it just makes all the sense of the world. One sixty nine is not on Fox, but the prelims are. It just makes it feel like a big deal. I know Fox Sports one is going to be there. I know that they're uh, they're going to do all their shows there. It's the, it's part of the presence, so I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I don't think it will make it a bigger you know pay per view uh, draw. I don't think more people are going to buy it because it's in New Jersey. More people might go to the event, but. I think, you know, they come here so, you know, once a year or something, not a huge deal. It's just, it's nice to be a part of it. Everyone, everything involving sports is going to be here. It would have been weird to be in in Vegas, in my opinion, especially when it's a Fox uh, Super Bowl. And then as far as the, uh, the pick is concerned, I'm going to go with, uh, I, f- I feel like, you know, I'm no NFL expert just because my bills... Are uh, very bad and it's very hard to follow when they're so bad. The only team, by the way, to not make the uh, the playoffs in the 21st century, which is an amazing stat that I'd love to uh, get rid of. But I'm going to go with the Broncos. I, you know, I like the older guys. I like. Uh, I've never been a huge Payne Manning fan, but I think he's respectful and he's always cool with the media, and I, I just like his demeanor. I like Russell Wilson as well, but uh, I think it's going to be a great story with that Richard Sherman guy. And Peyton kind of going at each other, kind of young versus old. Denver fans seem like good fans. Seattle fans seem great. I don't know. I guess Denver. What's what's the pick? You got anything for me? I was about to do Ariel. Don't you bring that weak Broncos uh, yeah.
0: pick in here? But then you re, you mentioned Richard Sherman, and I was like, all right, the moment's lost. Sorry. Um. But no, I'll go Seahawks.
2: Richard go Seahawks. Sherman. because believe, of Richard Sherman. Who's the uh, Who's the favorite right now? I think it's like a one point. I'd spread. be
0: surprised really i would be surprised if it wasn't the broncos but i'm not sure
2: um. but it's like it's 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 literally one point it could be one point broncos one yeah point I mean, Seahawks. but that, that's what it I is heard a neutral site so you yeah know. but two cold weather teams and um obviously that will move between now and then there's a two-week break but anyway i mean uh i'll go with i'll go with broncos now but i i reserve the right to change my pick how about that nope i okay, no. okay fine i'll go with broncos
0: um, um, Moneyline, how about that? Okay, let's, uh, let's go through these. I also noticed while we're going through these that one guy favorited three out of these <laughs> questions. He has good taste. The same guy.
2: Oh, wow. That guy down there? Yeah. What's his name?
0: Let's see. His name is. My, my mouse is being a little weird. You, huh. have, you have four new direct messages as well Garrett Christian.
2: All right, Garrett. Hopefully, you um, are who you claim to be. Not well. <laughs> um, I like the uh, not this one. The one prior to this one. Like, yeah, I like this one. I hated my answer. I, I was all over the place, but uh, I like that question, Luke.
0: Luke. I, feel, I think Luke won uh, something before UFC fit. Sorry, I think Trey. He, he got one. Good questions. Yeah. Sorry, Trey. But Luke gets Luke. the uh, the tops cards. Congratulations. There it is. Thank you. you very very much, bloodlines. To uh, the thing I was saying about the art before, Scott tells me the original pieces of art are one of the things that you can win in that box. So like his art and some other artists' art are in in those boxes.
2: You can win oh, the, cool. the original pieces. So that's pretty cool. All right. That does it. Thank you to everyone who sent in questions. Kind of shortened it a little bit today because we knew that we were going to go longer, but uh, we will show you the love in the near future. And uh, we appreciate everyone stopping by to watch or listen to the show. Alfred, you can hit my music. A fun show on this uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Let's uh, let's check in on the Knicks. Have they have they rebounded or no? Oh my. It is over. It is over at MSG, my friends. Well, uh, I want to thank Mr. Kevin Ioli for stopping by. Great stuff out of him, and check him out over at uh, yahoosports.com. How about Chris Lieben? Honestly, I didn't know he was going to do that. That was a surprise to me. I mean, I had my inclinations, but I did not know that he was going to actually announce his retirement on the show. I appreciate him doing that on the show, and I wish him the best in the future. And uh, congratulations to him on a on a very good career. Thank you very much to Habib Nirmagameda for stopping by, and of course, his manager Sam Cardan over at the uh, the Red Fury fight team. Khabib stopping by. It was like 10.45 in, uh, in Russia when he stopped by. So thank you very much to him. And good luck getting that fight that you want. Cole Miller, uh, congratulations on the win over Sam Sicilia. Uh, get well soon. Broken left hand. And uh, good luck in your next bout. Travis Brown was fantastic today. I didn't know that story about him and... Uh, the hundred dollars, all this, just just great stuff out of Travis Brown. Love the way he started the interview. So, uh, congratulations on everything and good luck against Burdoom. your Uri Faber, also once again, as always, Uriah Faber, bringing it. Good luck against Hannah at UFC 169. Glenn Robinson, thanks so much for the time and thank you so much to Hannah Gracie and Eve Torres for stopping by in studio. Really enjoyed that. A lot of fun. We'll be back next week, same time and place. Until then, I say, Sumani. <laughs>